I made a command decision in the last episode that was so damn hot here. I don't care if we have, like, a freaking jet engine in the background. We're not going to drop <laughs> dead doing the podcast. Like, my standards okay, are collapsing right. around me. I don't care. <laughs> Go for it. I'm like... <gasps> told by Jen Will it drive Ryan round the bend Part of it weekly Where the story never ends mm-hmm. <laughs> And welcome back to Part of it Weekly. This is Ryan. I'm Piazza. <laughs> Get it all out, everybody. Come on. Everybody up. Come on. There's one more person here. If you haven't raised no. your hand. No, we all, we we all, we all said it. said hello. Did Pia say We're just, hi? Yeah, yeah, Pia she said Pia. Oh, she did? Pia oh, did. did. <laughs> well, close enough. All right. We, we, we're back here. My fellow Papuanians, this is episode 96 of Perfect Weekly. After the recording of this episode, our recording staff is going on extended hiatus. If we were a TV show, we would all vacation together so we could have that two-hour direct-to-DVD movie. We're not actually going to do that. But we're taking a break to recharge our Pofuamian batteries. The last time we took time off was after episode six. It's been a long time coming, so you may notice that the crack is beginning to show in our Pofuanian armor. Gen 2 and I, by the way, have to leave early this evening. It has nothing to do with us having an illicit affair with each other, just to chime in there. Um, now, oh my gosh. Really funny story, actually. I right. went uh, I went away with Danielle. Really? Yes. Is that her name? We went to a cottage that her parents rent. It's in the middle of Maine. Everyone makes the following noise at the end of every sentence there. Yeah. So we're in the middle of Maine. There's flannel everywhere. Everyone there has their bodies completely pierced. It's very strange. And they all go on dates to Walmart. I'm sure it's not all of Maine, but this is one particular village in Maine that reminds me of Deliverance Country. So cell phones don't work in the 20-mile radius around wherever the hell I'm staying. So I'm in the middle of nowhere. I have no access to Puffwa. I have nothing. But they have Wi-Fi. If you stand in the middle of the food cafe area and, like, rub your belly and raise your left hand, you can get a Wi-Fi signal. So, of course, I can get on Skype. So I decide I will be a good human being. And I get on Skype, everyone sends me messages. I'm like, go away, I'm on vacation. And I decide I'll be a good person and I will call my mother. So I dial – now, my mother is not the most technologically savvy person in the world. She, you know, calls me at work. Her printer's on fire. Hell, questions about double spacing. Her new thing is when she tries to send people emails, she sends them in the URL line of the web browser. 
That's where she tries to put in the email address. So, like, so, so I'm like the tech support guy. I'm like the guy at tech support who gets the call at 458 from Mike because he can't connect his cables. So I call my mother and I'm like, okay, we're just going to have a nice, quiet call over Skype. The phone rings. <laughs> Hello. Hi, Ma. It's me. Hello. Ma, it's me. Who is this? Restricted call. Who is Ma? It is your son, Ryan. I'm just checking in. Hangs up on me. <laughs> Call back. Hello, Ma, it's me. Who is doing this to me? Ma, I'm sitting right here. I'm calling. I felt like Bill Cosby from Ghost Dad. She hangs up on me again. I call back a third time. I'm like, Ma, it's a click. Now she thinks I'm just the annoying guy prank calling her. So I sent her a text message from VerizonWireless.com saying, Ma, it is your only son. I am the person who decides if you go into a home. Stop hanging up on me. <laughs> and then I, I'm thinking for a second. I'm making this phone call the day after we recorded the previous episode of Parfic Weekly. The one that I wasn't in. And I'm thinking about it, and I look down. I'm still on mute. (laughs) (laughs) So now I take myself off of mute and call my mother back. Now she won't answer because I'm the crazy stalking guy. (laughs) So that, that was my weekend. Now we finally get back. We get back from Deliverance Country, and I go to have my wedding photographs taken. It's the ones you take a few weeks before the wedding when you sit in a log with your special someone color coordinated and you take happy pictures you know for the for the newspaper announcements and for four by sixes you can decorate your condo with so we get all these pictures taken now i'm one of the people that when they take pictures of me i stare at the camera wondering what part of the camera i'm supposed to actually be looking at so i'm not looking you know off to the side like a crazy mentally handicapped person and i keep looking and then i'm like i look confused because i don't know where i'm supposed to look on the camera so I finally get the camera thing down. He took so many pictures of us. By the end, my mouth is strained, and I'm like, "Am I smiling? Am I still smiling? I can't tell." No, it will. That's it. It will feel like that on your wedding day, only yes. times ten. So we we go through every picture one by one, and in every picture, I'm like, "I look mentally handicapped. I look <laughs> mentally handicapped." Danielle's like, "Well, I look nice in this one. That's great." I'm your mentally handicapped brother, obviously, because I like, I look, (laughs) we find one picture where I look fantastic. I look stunning. And I have a giant zit on the side of my forehead. (laughs) All right. It could be a stress pimple. Who knows? So he opens the little, he opens the little notepad on the side of the picture and types. Now we're all, now we're watching this on the big screen in his in his studio, which is literally the size of like a movie screen. It's this big thing on the side of the window. People walking by the business are looking in and they're seeing the pictures and they're smiling. And he types in size 172 font, fix giant zit on Ryan's forehead. And he copies and pastes it into every single picture I'm in. <laughs> so that has been my weekend. But I am back now because Snape is a sailor man. <laughs> and I have some thoughts. <laughs> toot toot. Toot He's asking Popeye. He is like Popeye. So in this our final episode on the Psychic Serpent trilogy, the final chapters of Harry Potter and hey, the Triangle Prophecy. It's finally 
done. It's finally done. Well, we've enjoyed it. Let's not let Barb cry too early. We've enjoyed it, but it's been nine weeks. Even Barb is like, okay, I want to read In Blood Only by E.M. Snape. So. <laughs> I've made it through every episode. Were you in the first one? Yay. Yeah, he was. He was. He's been in every episode. Death Roll is a trooper. So, the lost and headed of the peons redo i am in all of these and i was even in the one that got lost are you going to be in the one that gets re-recorded we might be able to arrange that well there you go episode 91 by the way i hope you enjoy that we haven't recorded it yet (laughs) (laughs) so it has um come to my attention that at the end of last week's episode everyone got a little tipsy near the end of it and everything got sucked into limbo (laughs) is that correct that, that, is, that correct. is correct. Yes. All right. So because of the fact that I had to keep calling my mother back and I had to get the restraining order canceled and because I have, you know, go to my acne treatment and everything, I'm behind on reading the chapters for this week. Good news, though. I read the chapters from last week. So I'm now prepared to discuss last week's chapters. So I will Yay. do a quick run through of the chapters we missed last week. And then I'm going to get the heck out of Dodge. And Gen 2 probably will immediately following that. And I'm sure it will look very suspicious and the rumorville will start. Oh. I could have used that noise in episode 84. You are starting the rumors yourself. <laughs> you are so it would bad. look as suspicious if you didn't keep going on about it. <laughs> well, that is that is accurate. All right. Now, That's okay, Ryan. I uh, I helped start to do those rumors on Facebook the other day. Didn't you have me having an affair with Kelly at one point? What is going on around here? <laughs> that wasn't me. That was Kelly. Oh, that was Kelly has rumors going on about me with Kelly? Yes. yes. Oh. I just kind of passed oh. them along. No, but she's a senior member of the forum. I, I suppose that would be acceptable. So oh. anyway, so we're going to start chapter 18, um, you know, and we're going to do a quick run through the 23, and then we'll go through the final chapters. Now, the, the thing I just would like to jump us off on with chapter 23 is, at this point, something is obviously wrong with Dumbledore, and anyone can really figure right. out... He's not really Dumbledore. He's the guy in the story who happens to look exactly like Dumbledore. Sorry, do you mean 23 or 18? I'm sorry, 18. Okay, cool. So we're going to start. Okay, thank you. Let's go back. Great. So, confuse me. Let's not, let's not confuse my ex-girlfriend over here. So we're going to go back. Oh. We're going to start <laughs> chapter 18. Hi, hi to the mister. Hi to the hubby. So we're going to go back to chapter 18 now. You know, I'm reading, I'm reading Anna Karenina right now. Uh-huh. And... um. The whole husband boyfriend thing—it's—it's it's very timely. Well, I'm—I'm I'm glad I'm current. Unlike these episodes of Puffwa, the last episode came out and it was about the upcoming release of Star Trek. So. <laughs> <laughs> and 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 swine flu continues to grip the nation, so at least we're partially up to date. Okay, so you obviously have—you know—you—you're not Dumbledore, but you look like him. So you're kind of like. Kevin Klein and Dave, and you're trying to impersonate <laughs> the guy, you know what I mean? And people who know the guy, like Alicia Spinett and Harry and Hermione and everyone comes into the room. And, and here's the thing. You would, remember in, in, in Dave, the movie, when they stuck him in front of like, you know, pie charts and they explained to him what the house was and the Senate was and they show them, hmm? you know, what the picture of the mill, a tank looks like and stuff. All right. He seems to have no idea that Alicia was the head girl. I don't think he really knew who Hermione was. And every time someone asked him anything, he got up to go pee. And then came <laughs> back with the answer. <laughs> like, I just, 
I just wanted to comment on that because the first time I read the story, I didn't catch it, but I'm kind of an idiot. But I just thought, that I'm like, hmm. Every time he comes back and he's like, yes, Alicia. And he's reading it inside of his hand. <laughs> that would be because this Dumbledore is the same Dumbledore from Lioness. And he's been, <laughs> he's been eating all those pot lemon drops. <laughs> Which Ron can smell. Ron is like, I smelled Dumbledore earlier today. He smells like a lemon. <laughs> yeah, Ron's walking around going, who's got the weed? And Abe, and Abe smells like freshly mowed grass. I'm picturing Emma Watson from Half-Blood Prince. I'm picturing the little <laughs> ship turn around. And, Abe. Uh, <laughs> oh, no. and peppermint. And peppermint. So that's where I was. Peppermint, peppermint. toothpaste. No. Toothpaste. Barb is really good. Like, Bar- like okay, J.K. Rowling was really good, too. And she still had Marcus <laughs> Flint in school for 18 years. Like, she that was nice of you to say. Barb is really good. Like, Barb, like, she, remember we were talking last week? She makes everyone's, you know, she makes all of their patrol schedules. So the kids who are used as manual labor, you know, to, to secure the school and everything. She makes little timetables mm-hmm. for them. And then she, you know, gives them excuses and writes notes so they can get out of it and everything. She writes the whole thing. Barb just is on top of everything. But the one thing that confused me is in this chapter, Harry goes to Sirius's room and plays chess, and then <laughs> he goes with with um, with Alicia to visit uh, Dumbledore with the urinary tract infection, and they're in there, and he's like, "Well, Harry, can you bring her by my room or whatever?" They makes a reference to Sirius's room in, in the staff wing, and Harry's like, "You know, my God, I have no earthly idea where your room is." Like he was just there. <laughs> Because they played chess. And like, <laughs> the last paragraph, he was just there. So that was one thing that just jumped. It's, it's a very rare mistake. There was also a point where Barb forgot a quotation point, or a quotation mark. Just throwing that out. Dear God. Uh, I found a spot where she missed the Y off Harry. It just says, ha. <laughs> <laughs> Are we down to picking it? Well, it's, it's, it's four <laughs> times not, the I song. have lots of snark to unload on this thing. But then, like, J- well, no, then J.K. Rowling at the end of Chamber of Secrets and the next time on Harry Potter, doesn't she say that Harry blows up Petunia? <laughs> like it's <laughs> she drops the Y. Harry, you know, J.K.R. gets the wrong aunt, so you know, I'm not complaining too badly. All right, hit your snark. Go. Well, before we get to that, in Chapter 18, there's tons and tons of political talk, and I wanted to ask you this question last week but you sort of ran off on all of us. But I'll ask you now, were you riveted by this political talk the way most of us are riveted by good Quidditch scenes? Yes, I actually (laughs) skimmed the Quidditch scenes. It's like, no, I actually skimmed the Quidditch scenes and the sex scenes, but the political stuff I eat up. I, I see the Quidditch scenes and the political scenes and the sex scenes I eat up. Really? Me too. <laughs> because I was, ju- I was like, I was actually doing the thing on my iPod where it's like a seven-hour file. So if you spin the wheel three times, you're 18 minutes ahead. And it was Harry was still sucking on Ginny's breast. I'm like, good God! And I kept going and going and going. And it kept well, it's Harry's point of view when he has to run through everything he's ever thought about, ever associated with a breast. This, well, this is oh well, no, no, not not those sex scenes, just the flash ones. Oh, oh well, were, were there a lot of them in here? No, I just was saying in general. Uh, in general, one. just life. Uh, okay, so I don't remember pretty slash. <laughs> well, it's for the uh, part excuse me, who is Remus's date to whatever the hell that is at the end? I don't Alex know. Wood. Al- yeah, yeah I- Oliver Wood's brother. <laughs> <laughs> well, the th- well, the, I, I like the part where oh, Harry. 
Harry's walking Ron down to the dungeon where he's about to transform, and Ron is like looking at Harry kind of funny. I'm like, oh, Ron's red fan fiction. That was hilarious. <laughs> no. It's like Kirk and Spock. Keep walking, keep walking, keep walking. <laughs> Right, now, Spock is not right. It's not. Now, here's not. my question. I didn't notice this until chapter 18, so I don't know if if it hasn't been done in the previous few you know chapters or in the previous installments. If I hear the line, pulled their mouth into a line one more time, <laughs> I'm going to monologue. I think ooh, Hermione ooh, does oh, that no. a bit in this speech, actually. You know Her what drives me nuts? If I read it one more time, Draco, Draco Malfoy. His name Draco. We know Draco Malfoy. How many other Dracos are there? You don't have to tell us it's Draco Malfoy every damn time. But it was just everyone was pulling their mouths into a line. And I'm picturing all these pissed off people standing in a room going, because everyone's pulled their mouth into a line. I'm thinking exactly how does one do that? Because I'm myself. and That's kind of awkward. Because you look well, kind of foolish. And it drew his lips into a line, so it's just like, okay. I got He's got a pencil there. Pencil I'm picturing the thing you do when you like you rub your finger over your mouth like you're zipping it. It's like... <laughs> I'm, I'm picturing Daffy Duck and Bugs Bunny in a Looney Tune here. Well, it used to be McGonagall. McGonagall drew her lips into a line. That was her thing. Like, that's what she gets to do in the story. But and she gets to give a stern glare. <laughs> yes. And it, I think Barb needs to learn to the word purse. <laughs> oh, we're not going there. <laughs> oh, God. It's like scathed. Oh, well, no. I, but no, then pursed with aggravation. I, I don't know what it was, but everyone, you know, there was where everyone's getting very tense. Everyone's getting a little angry with each other. It's kind of like Puffwa when we've been doing this for 91 episodes without a break. <laughs> getting to the end of the fic, they're all tired of each other. Yeah, they're like, good God, you've been around for exactly 515,000 words. Enough. 436,000. <laughs> Were yeah, you including 400. Lost Generation in the, in the one shots? That's just triangle prophecy. Uh, yeah, 436,000 words, 18 chapters, and... Nothing. 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 Not nothing. Just nothing. Nothing that's important on my Gen Two list of shit that's important because Harry and Ginny haven't had sex. Oh, so until <laughs> that happens, we're good. Well, they have oh, had sex, but it was like the holographic version of Ginny, or as Melinda <laughs> Leo would say, the non-real version, not like the Arthur, non-real. who's real. You know what I mean? It's like one of those things. Well, yeah, but no, they haven't boned each other yet. And so that's what I've been waiting for, for like 10 million freaking long, long chapters of reading. <laughs> well, maybe they should listen to episode 84 of Polyrific Weekly. Maybe that would put them in the mood. Probably, because everyone knows that I'm a whore and I'm just waiting for sex to happen. <laughs> I apologize. We're very, we're very tired tonight. <laughs> Codicil, Codicil, asterisk, asterisk, asterisk. I've been married to the guy that I'm whoring for 15 years. Oh, it's a good thing. It doesn't count. <laughs> well, then there's the part two where Jimmy's basically like, Harry, if you survive, you know, the invasion. You can come back to me and have sex with me. Oh. And he's like, oh, I'm really going to come back now. I was going to come back anyway, I- but score. It's <laughs> like, uh, that's just Harry like, skips I thought I'd give you a 
Harry, <laughs> Harry skips into Azkaban. Hello. Happy nuts, housekeeping. <laughs> I can see him being led around by the front of his trousers. <laughs> Harry's carrying Dumbledore over his shoulder back onto the dinghy. He's like, Harry, I'm fine. I can walk. Nope, I can walk faster. You're old and decrepit. Like, blood puts his wand in the water and it turns into like a speedboat. <laughs> He's pushing the damn sail. Does Snape have a sailboat? <laughs> It yes. is a sailboat. Yes. They went on a sailboat with seventy-eight people on board. <laughs> but he turned them into turned them into turned them into hamsters. hamsters. <laughs> well, the thing I really enjoyed about the Kissed entire by thing, the mentors. The thing I enjoyed about it was they get to the boat, and the boat is taking heavy damage. It's okay. Now you have to understand during this entire scene, I'm picturing Snape wearing like a navy blue shirt and white pants, and he looks like the skipper from Gilligan's Island. And remember in the theme song of Gilligan's Island, it's like the minnow would be lost, and you see them holding onto the wheel, and they're like spinning it while hanging on. That's them picturing Snape doing the entire time. Does he have the red handkerchief around his neck too? He does, and and Harry's wearing the the, the bright red shirt, you know, with, He's with the white Gilligan. Pants. He's Gilligan. Like that's what I'm picturing during the entire thing. I'm picturing that during the, the entire thing. And I'm picturing, okay, Snape is on a sailboat, and they they need to bring the sails down. So he's like, okay, Ron, do me a favor, climb. I'm gonna I'm gonna climb up the thing and just drop it down to you. All right. And uh, can you fold them? He's like, yeah, I can fold them. I can fold. Them. Okay. Okay. So it's possible to teach people what to do on the boat to get the boat to work. Now I understand. <laughs> This is po- can we stop? Can we stop right here? Well, first, can we good bless P.S. Everyone, good bless you, P.S. Let's just stop there. Yeah. We have a boat that gets heavy damage. We've got Snape in his captain outfit teaching Ron how to sail things and fold things. And hello, are they not wizards? <laughs> <laughs> hello, can we not, do we not question have the plot. a wand? Can I mean, is that not what that was for? <laughs> well, the, well, it's Hermione a few chapter in chapter like nineteen or whatever. She's like, "Well, never make it on time." You're a witch. witch. Apparate takes <laughs> blue powder. Really, whatever the hell you want, you'll make. Oh, it. the boat has a hole in it. Reparo. <laughs> or reparo, I guess. Yes. Okay, we need to really stay on track here. We need to study the details. Oh, we are, excuse me. Now, that? Good you. God, you catch him with He just that. walked into my house. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, I, I, thought you right. like, I thought you actually walked into <laughs> your house. Okay, so they're rescuing all the auras, and they found Percy and Katie, and Percy's proposed, and they found Sam and, and Harry. and. Well, Sam wasn't like, really missing. Sam was there the whole time. Yeah, well, whatever. Okay. And, um... <laughs> Yeah, that Katie finds Sam because she didn't know he was dead. Right. Like, mm-hmm. And you know, and they're like, we've got everyone off the island. And Ron's like, what's that ticking noise? It's <laughs> 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 like someone's wearing a wrist. Puppets in that right there. Exactly. And like, Ron's wandering around Azkaban going, I can hear something ticking. What's that ticking noise? And, and Dumbledore the muggle boy is like, oh no. <laughs> Anyone know what and that could be? <laughs> Dumbledore runs out the door. He's like, Ron, there's a bomb. I'm like, wouldn't you like tell Ron to go first? 
thought that was kind of un-Dumbledore-ish, but whatever. And but, again, wouldn't Dumbledore know a spell to contain it? <laughs> no. Probably. Well, here's what I want to know. It's a magical bomb, right? A magical a incendiary device? Yeah. Why does yeah. a magical bomb tick? <laughs> I don't know, but it's all happening, and it's, it's blowing up and everything, and I'm sitting there in my head going, Voldemort, Voldemort, my thing is, it's a bomb that takes only loud enough for werewolves and blind people to hear it. <laughs> oh, and the blind foreshadowing. Oh, God. That ha- I have to say, that is the most creative use of the Dumbledore twinkle I've ever read. <laughs> he has eye implants. It's like, hmm. <laughs> but it was completely pointless because it all comes up in the epilogue. That's fine. I just thought that was creative. You know what? The, one of the things I've noticed in in the last few chapters is um, Barb puts in explanations for things from canon, which I don't think you need. I mean, the, the reason Snape was pissy to Harry in the first book was because Harry, you know, as a result of coming to Hogwarts, made Snape leave his girlfriend behind. And the reason Dumbledore can see through the invisibility cloak is because he has fake eyes. I'm like, I don't think you need, you know, a lot of that explanation because those weren't the things yeah. that people were really wondering very much about. I know a lot, I've noticed a lot of fan fictions do that. They have to explain I think people everything. were wondering, though, back then. I mean, twinkle? All the, all, I mean, you have to realize how old this story is. I think it was written when people were still wondering a lot of stuff because there was less canon to wonder about. Do you, for the Twinkle, though? I don't know for the Twinkle. Like, like, I don't think... He, well... No, they wondered... Maybe not that. I just think, I, but I think was. it was clever. I think it was a clever explanation. Or just not even... It wasn't explaining things that need to be, needed to be explained, but it was a clever... It absolutely was. It worked well with elements of the canon, but I would have liked it and appreciated it more if it were a relevant part of the story. Well, like I thought, what I thought worked well was when they run back into Azkaban because they hear crying and they discover Cho. And Harry goes, "No, I can't remember the first time I read this what I thought." But Harry's like, "I didn't know you became." Well, no, it is. Harry's been kind of dim the last few chapters, and he's like, "I never knew you became an Or." That would be a tip off to the reader that maybe she didn't. But I love that moment where you discover that she's actually not an Or; she's a Death Eater. Because usually she's either just a bitch or she's boring. So it's nice to see some character progression for Cho and. Now she's just evil. <laughs> but I did think and that I think would, that, wouldn't I, wouldn't evil fall under the bitch category? Yeah. No. No. What was this? Who was the? Was it Tamsin from? Um, yep, that what, was Tamsin from, from, from Coven. From, from Coven of Echoes, and and she's just a jerk. And everyone's like, "Oh my god, she must be a death eater." I'm like, "Well, what if she's just a bitch? Like that happens." <laughs> you know, yeah. <laughs> it's like you have to shoot her. She could just be evil. So, I've read a lot of fics where Cho is a Death Eater because the author has a bad opinion of the character based on the canon. Oh, we found her, by the way, in Half Blood Prince. Kelly found her in Half Blood yes. Prince. Yes, she was yes. every no, screen grab of the entire movie, and we she's next to Nigel. I think they're dating. No, Neville. Neville. She's next Neville. to Neville. 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 Oh, they're not dating. Neville. That's entirely <laughs> ridiculous. <laughs> t- I thought it was Nigel. Sounds like. No, I think he's like seven years old. Why would Cho date him? Uh, well, he's going to die, so, you know. One last <laughs> he's not going to die. He doesn't exist. Well, he's going to die. Well, it's Cho. She, you know, one whore can think like another whore. So <laughs> <laughs> God. He's a whore now? I don't even know why people do still I, do listen I to this podcast. Do I have to break out the Cho defense stick again? 
and beat Jen. No, I was I was joking. I was joking. Oh, but all I'm thinking is at least Lego in his fic that he's never going to finish made show an aura. He's never finishing his either. No, people are talking like fries from the fandom. I don't know. I'm finishing my fic, darn it. How far is Lego in his fic? I finished uh, other things, just not that thing. Okay, we're all going back and we're all finishing our fix. L- Death, are you finishing yours? Ray would kill me if I tried okay. to say I wasn't going to finish. Peace. Okay, that was a mildly cryptic answer, but <laughs> peace in our time. I'll assume you're going to finish. Yeah, you got, what, you got three more years to get through? Oh, that's fine. And a half. I, I'm at the halfway point. One chapter. One more chapter is half done, and I cannot finish this stupid thing. I'm like, please, someone tell me what happens. Oh, no. <laughs> I hate that. I hate that. It's so close. Oh. So close to finishing it. And, I was yeah. playing teacher's assistant this morning at Elizabeth's preschool, so I wasn't there for help. I'm- I've noticed that you've become very busy. You're never there. Poof was falling apart at the seams. Everyone's <laughs> dating everybody else. It's terrible. All right. I'm not no dating anyone. For anybody else. Give it time, P.S. You live half a mile from my house, and I have five weeks to go. Mike. <laughs> oh, she's dating Mike. Sorry. All right. okay. Oh, yeah. Oh, don't say that. I have it on tape. Oh, come on. Okay, Mike's, fine. A... Fine. Mike's a Mike's what? Mike's a wonderful, nice, thoughtful, funny guy. Well, I, have I am to say very, this. very lucky to have him for an assumed whatever. <laughs> I have to say this. It's 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 over the line. It's R-rated. It's restricted section only. It's inappropriate. It's probably a very, very bad thing to say to P.S. in front of people, but I'm going to say it anyway. P.S., based on our previous recording experience with Mike, at least I am comforted by knowing that as long as you are with Mike, you will not get pregnant. Okay, I'm comforted by that as well. As well you should. But, you don't get any disease in the world, because that doesn't matter. I'm going to have to tell him that. He's got the five-year plan, P.S., you're fine. Are you prepared to sit down with all the cockroaches? (laughs) Can you picture the two of them getting married to you, P.S.? Take this man. And his cockroaches. <laughs> she runs like You know what? Here's the, here's Wait a minute. The thing. I could kill a, a cockroach. He says, he says that he'll do everything else as long as the wife kills the cockroaches. I think I've, that's pretty good. I think that's a pretty good that's deal. That's a good deal. Hold on. Are you saying <laughs> he's deal. wearing you down? No, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that's what he said one time about any wife he might possibly have. And you thought about it what? <laughs> Why not? He's a sweet, wonderful guy. I like him. He's my friend. Well, he's my friend, He's too, my friend, I too. I like him only as a friend. I don't know about everybody else here. <laughs> yeah, but you're carrying on a fan with half the rest of the world. I, I am. I can as well. I have to make do with Mike. <laughs> oh, that's just sad. That's nice. I think Mike if proposed to If I was single... The first time I met him. If I was single and 15 years younger and Jewish and <laughs> lived in the Northeast. And- hey, hey, we know someone like that. Mazel <laughs> tov. I'm not Jewish. We're talking about Julia. Julia. We, we know two someones like that, actually. 
Oh God, the Jews! Ellie. <laughs> what the hell? Okay, Free. why was I talking about the boat? Snape in the boat. What was I saying? I don't know, but it let us off topic. No, no, yes, my, no, no. Hell. I remember now. I remember now. Okay, so and uh, let me just point this out. I'm not criticizing the story here because Barbara's actually fine. Maggie came along because Maggie knows how to dr- how to steer the damn boat. Boat mm-hmm. lessons. We need Maggie. That's great. Once again, autopilot. Maggie gets there and immediately collapses and gives a prophecy. And now she's dead weight. So luckily, Ron is able to fold all of the sails. And I think did Hermione, someone else, Ginny, Hermione. No, Ginny wasn't there. Someone else went up and took all the sails down. Maybe it was Maggie. Maybe she felt better. But I just remember thinking, wow, they really could have used Ginny instead. Maggie didn't do much. She just kind of flopped over as soon as they got there. <laughs> no, I remember Ginny was back with Fred and or George and Angelina having helping with Rufus and Rowena. Well, I was afraid they were going to name him like Godric or something, like Rowena and like I just thought Rufus. Well, no, but Rowena still, came first. I thought they but were going to still, but still, Rufus. It's like a dog. It's name. a very British name. It is. Oh yeah. Can I just apologize um, to our listeners named Rufus? Gen two didn't mean it. She's just on the rebound. There's a Rufus on the floor. Anyway. <laughs> there is. We have. I'm looking at him right now. Good God. No, no, my, the, um, what is it? The guy. There was a guy. There was. A, it was. A, I think he was a king because this is like part of my like family history stories. Back in this, the the New Forest where my ancestors grew grew up and stuff. My parents are from the New Forest, and. If I'm remembering right, uh, the, the, the New Forest is the king's like hunting ground back, you know. You in mean the William II? Yeah, I don't know. William II was hair. called William Rufus. Yes, that's the one I'm thinking of. And they tell all these stories about it because he came and did the hunting ground. And apparently my ancestors, like, he got killed or something with an arrow and they took him to Westminster. Yeah, he got killed while hunting. I would have just called him Bill Jr. And there's a Rufus Rufus Stone in the New Forest, not too far from where my parents grew up, because their ancestor, Moses Perkis, put Rufus on the wagon and and rode him back to Westminster after he died. By the way, Molly Weasley, batshit crazy, chapter 18. Let me just say, (laughs) this is the worst Christmas ever. Because oh, they invite yeah. Molly over, knowing she doesn't know that Angelina is pregnant, and she's kind of batshit crazy through the whole thing. But my thing, but I like the fact that Barb includes in there that that was on purpose because they knew there would be the big explosion, but then they knew she would come back, and it was a stall tactic because once she comes back, she'll never leave. So they pushed it <laughs> off for as long as possible. It's all right; she'll calm down because we can wave grandchildren in her face. <laughs> That's very true. It feels and true. And she turns around at the end of the fic and says, what do you mean? You've been keeping this grandchild a secret. And everyone's like, and Charlie's like, I don't know anything about what you're talking about. She's like, you knew, you knew. And they're like, just like known about Natalie this whole time. And I'm well, like, that's very random and pops up out of nowhere. All because <laughs> Bill took a day. Well, like, speaking, of, speaking of Natalie, is that not the character that Joe Rowling named for the, what was it, Canadian girl who had cancer and wasn't going to live to see the end of the story. I've never heard that. I, I don't know. I, I have heard this. There is a kid sorted in Goblet of Fire that is named after a little girl that was dying of cancer, and she wouldn't live to see the end of the story, so J.K.R. called her and told her how it would end. Okay, good. I was about to say, I really hope J.K.R. Did, like would tell her how the story would end. Like That, that makes me happy that she did that. 
Yeah, I got a I got a review once from someone who had cancer and he was like, You've got to finish your fix so I can say and I'm like, Oh no pressure and I'm like, <laughs> oh I haven't God. heard from him and I'm like has he died without hearing the end of the oh, story? No. Well, I know Keza was having the worst day ever, and then that happened. I'm like, what do you say? I'm like, Keza, do you even know how it ends? She's like, no. Oh. <laughs> so I can't tell them how it ends because I don't know. I'm like, no, just I do pick know. something and write it. <laughs> well, I just thought it was a very strange shift because she goes from being this character with all this significance behind being included to being Bill's illegitimate daughter? What? Why would you do that to the poor child? Not sure what to tell you there because I haven't gone that far in my reread. But the one thing I will say is Ginny, you know, breaks up with Harry, slaps people, throws things at people, yells, calls people whores. Pretty much all the behavior we've seen in Gen 2 this evening. Yeah. (laughs) Then it's Christmas, goes up to Harry's room. I'm just kidding. I love you. And Harry's really pissed. And when Harry gets pissed, he kisses people. It's very strange. He wakes up in the morning, and there's something sitting on his face. And I'm thinking, oh, God. It's never gotten this bad before. Like, you know, in terms of R-rated out of nowhere. And And then I'm at work, and I'm just doing filing or whatever. And someone asked me a question, so I couldn't take my headphones off. So I just turned them down, and I answered the question. I turned it back up, and Harry's rubbing her fuzzy tummy. And I'm like, what the hell? Ginny has a fuzzy tummy. I backed up. I'm like, it's the cat. The cat. Oh, my Lord. You totally need to get married. Because I'm like, this chapter is just exceptionally graphic. He needs to learn about fuzzy tummies by being married. What? Oh, your hormones are out of control. There's something sitting on his face, and he's rubbing the fuzzy tummy. It does not take a lot for me to get that. Be like, fair, he is male. I, will, I, I am male. Now, I have to tell you, the, the chapter ending, Ron was writing to someone at St. Mungo's All Right, and it wasn't his doctor, made me laugh. Dun, dun, laugh. No. <laughs> it was just like, and it wasn't his doctor. It's, like, it's just like the, not slapstick, but it's just such the dry humor. Oh, yes, that, that made me laugh, because I thought, I thought that, like, I mean, would it matter if it was his doctor and he was, like, having an illicit affair with someone? Well, I'm reading it, I'm like, oh, God, he's writing to, like, you know, like, you know, his orthodontist. Like, it's just... It it, it was just... It it just... I don't know why. It just... It cracked me up. It it was just... It was very interesting. So, reading on, um, Hermione forgets she's a witch and goes into a lovely introspective on the meaning of magic, which... It's true. I mean, if if you become... If you have such a life change and you realize that magic exists, you're probably going to be you know, very concerned that you'll wake up one day and it all will have been for nothing or it all will have been a dream. It was just odd that that morning she woke up and completely forgot she had the ability to apparate. But I lose my wallet every (laughs) single day, so I'm not saying it's implausible. I don't know where my cell phone is sometimes, and I'm talking on it at the time. You're talking on it right now. (laughs) I know. I'm just saying, at some point in my life, I'll be talking on my phone, and this thing will flash in my brain. It's like, oh, shit, where's my phone? Thank God it's not just me. (laughs) <laughs> I can see that you and Mike are going to be very happy together. You can <laughs> I think I have to suppose I'm not. Uh, if, I, if I was online right now, I'd be telling Mike everything you said. Hold on. I'm changing my <laughs> Skype status from Sue saved my foot, rest in peace, Ted, to Ryan Ships, P.S. Mike. Oop. Oop. P.S. Mike. And so does P.S. 
I'm <laughs> <laughs> just going to see what happens when Mike catches that little nugget of information. Okay. So you're prepared to keep that status up there for about a week, Ryan? <laughs> yeah. Well, he's always so happy to see me. I love it. He's he's thrilled. To see. He wants me to invite Keza to my wedding because he's like, you know she won't go, so you can get like brownie points for inviting her. I'm like, I know, but then she'll feel compelled to send a gift. And it will cost her more than the gift to mail it to me. I'm like, we're coming back. We had to cut all Australians from the wedding party. Very sorry. Speaking of weddings, what did everyone think about Snape performing the wedding ceremony? Oh, I have a line on that. By the power vested in me by the international maritime law. (laughs) I like how Harry's like, you can do it. And he's like, but I've never done it. And Harry's like, but you can do it. And he's like, like, I realize that. I'm I'm just saying I've never done it. You're like, it's a sailboat. Does it count? I like it. I like that they get it all started, and then all of a sudden somebody says, uh, Molly's going to kill us. Yeah. (laughs) And is there a licensing board or something, you know, for the. I seem to remember something I saw once where someone was a captain, but they could only marry someone on a ship, but they didn't have a ship, so they stuck them on, like, wooden planks and pushed them out into the harbor. (laughs) 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 So I don't know what the rule is. I really do. I don't know. Although, in the big fight at, at Christmas time, Snape is such a kiss-ass to his mother-in-law. He's like, I have never seen such a disgraceful treatment of a mother in all of my days. Snape's the instigator in that situation. Absolutely not at all. Molly realizes that Angeline is pregnant and flips out, and half the people are saying, it's not your business, just calm down, you're going to have a grandchild. And very few people are defending Molly, and Snape walks over and like puts his arm around Molly. He's like, there there. Daddy's here. It's like, stop it. Didn't that happen with Fleur once? What's the Vic where Fleur was secretly pregnant? It was this one. Wasn't it this one? This one. That sounds very Isn't this where she isn't this the one where she rips the baby out of her stomach and Yes. Yeah, and then they give it to and Alicia. And then she needs, like, more therapy than ever before. Yeah, Yeah, and then Alicia takes care of it, and it's all weird because it was actually Roger's baby. And, yeah. and, then, and Snuffles is on the bed watching her get dressed. And he keeps, like, knocking liquid onto her. I have to change again. This is you bad dog. <laughs> bad dog. <laughs> oh, very well. I, I guess you can lick it off of me if you really want. And it. Harry knocks on the door. <laughs> Can I borrow your dog? (laughs) (laughs) And you know when that happened. You know when that happened that Harry got one look at the dog and the girl and you're like, oh. That's disgusting. There's a whole section on fanfiction.net just for this. (laughs) Oh. It's it's just wrong. I want to go back to the innocence of the ticking noise. (laughs) There was no sex involved. Well, I, well, here's, here's my next note. Harry is almost killed by a bludger, is saved by gum, and hides by a broken urinal. Ginny realizes she'd miss him if he was beaten by a bludger in the stomach, similar to the one that big beefy guys are encouraged to whack him with three times annually every single book. And can we mention there's a wizarding society for the prevention of cruelty to creatures? I just thought that was really funny. He's like, oh, God, we're going to get the WSPCC. I had to teach Keza about PETA the other day. Oh, you did. Oh, dear. Oh, God. We don't have that. I'm You're sorry, so I'm lucky. not American. So 
it. I'm sorry. I understand that we don't want cats to be hit by cars or badly mistreated. And I understand there is such a thing as animal cruelty. But when it comes down to, like, you know, when Obama swats a fly and they sue him, (laughs) like, it's a little over the top. I gave her the, I gave her the article about cows, about how they, how they were fighting for the cruelty of, of milk cows. And they suggested that, that um, they we should all use um, mother's milk to make ice cream because it's cruel to the cows to milk them. But it's not I'm sorry, cruel what? to the mothers. To well, I'm not going there. They obviously have never duck their boobs in an electric pump and tried to express stuff. <laughs> I'm telling you, the cows. Are yeah, you really innocent. want to go back to the innocence of the ticking bomb. <laughs> All right, but that was my question about the scene. Okay, obviously everyone in the world can tell now, Harry, stop going to Quidditch matches. You're going to die because the bludgers keep going at you. And this time you're sitting in the crowd and the thing keeps beelining for you. But the thing I didn't get was Ginny was so upset that he could possibly get hit by a bludger that they have this really great talk about, you know, how they came together and what they used to think and, you know, they put their whole lives in perspective. He plays in a game where... People hit him with bludgers on purpose every single day. Did this never come because up? That's because there's a thing in Harry Potter fan fiction. It's called the OQM. Which stands for? It's called the Obligatory Quidditch Match. It has to show up in every fic at least once or twice. But they just act like he's never been hit with a bludger before. It's drama. I think he hasn't, technically, because he's just that quick. Let's look at this here. They go to the, to the broom race, and the, and, and the dragons are missing. So they go back to look for the dragons, okay? The dragons. And they all come back. And the yeah. chapter opens. Dead, Charlie said briefly, his voice barely audible. All Charlie's of, dead? All of... No, I'll read it again. <laughs> dead, comma, close quotation, <laughs> Charlie said briefly, his voice barely audible, much like Kessa a moment ago. All of them. <laughs> dead. Sirius put his hand on his shoulder, which I believe would be Charlie's shoulder, or else he's, like, scratching himself. Hermione <laughs> choked out a soft cry and put her arms around him, and he held her, shaking, his face buried in her hair. I'm like, Hermione's very upset about the dragons. They're all dead. Harry knew that Charlie had known some of the dragon handlers. It wasn't until then that I realized they were talking about people. I thought they were oh, talking yeah, me about too. Right? I was thinking Hermione was a member of PETA. I'm like, Hermione is, like, they're all, like, holding each other. I'm like, oh, my God, I, I, I really didn't care about the dragons, but I am a sick, sick person for not being as moved. And then it's like paragraph four. Oh, yeah, we're talking about people. Moving on. Harry gives Ron advice on how to run a proper relationship. At this stage in the story, Ron is pissing me off. He's sticking Hermione left and right, but Harry can't see Ginny in a social setting outside of the landing of their bedroom. Ron must be killed. I'm glad you realized that. (laughs) Maggie lies to Hagrid about newts and cooking so Harry and Ginny can make babies in a Hagrid-sized armchair. When, oh when, will these people realize that Draco likes to look in Hagrid's window? Little Draco Malfoy from the first movie yeah. appearing in the window. And I just, you'll get this if you're a fan of Boston Legal. I'm talking about the, the crazy next door neighbor. Draco's a pee-pee because he likes to look in people's windows. So there's that one. Remus ends the Iran hostage crisis and saves the Carter presidency. <laughs> Winky wears black robes. She's a death eater. That is so cool. Yes. Never mind. She's a maid. 
Ron Why is Winky wearing robes at all? She's a house elf. Did someone free her and I missed no, it? No, she's Aberforth. But he's like the red robes. Because I never saw Cho coming, but I was convinced that Winky was a Death Eater. I'm like, that is so cool. I have never seen that happen before. <laughs> Ron and Hermione never told Harry that Dumbledore is an imposter. Harry is amazed by this. This is Harry, <laughs> who never tells anyone anything about anything because he always forgets. Pot, kettle, <laughs> black. <laughs> Dumbledore looks like death and everyone pulls their lips into a line. <laughs> Limbo is cool. I love the allusion to Horcruxes. Barb does a great job of incorporating canon in his AU. I thought that was really cool, the fact that they, you know, there was an allusion to, to Grindelwald and the Horcruxes and, and, and all that stuff. I think it's very spooky that she like marries George and Angelina and all that stuff. I'm like, oh. Hmm. There was something else I found and I, in my lost notes that my husband managed to destroy off my computer by stuffing it up. There was something. Oh, that's right. It was that Harrington Smythe woman. She was doing something terrible to the um the health system, and it made me laugh because we've been <laughs> oh, discussing yes. that very thing on Potterfic Weekly this week. I'm like, Potterfic Weekly is in favor of the public option, in case anyone cares. <laughs> when did that go through the wisdom gamut? I don't know. We, we, it got held up. I, I didn't vote on that. I don't know. We're not. We don't have votes on important matters. We just decide them. All right. Um, <laughs> Dumbledore is a Muggleborn. That was weird. I've also read fix <laughs> yeah. where he's a Hufflepuff, and I've read fix where he's actually Godric. Slytherin. No, he's Godric Gryffindor in the real. Who's, Dumbled- Godric, who's Godric Gryffindor? I read a fix once. I read a fic what? once. It had such a promising first chapter. It looked like the best <laughs> fic ever. You, you ever have this happen? Remember the one Jen read that yes. one time, and she was so deeply moved, and by chapter four, like, Harry and Draco were doing it in the Great Hall, and it's like 3.30 <laughs> in the afternoon. It was awful. It was, it, it was by, um, it was by, uh, I Love Snakes, I think, or I can't remember the name of the author, but it was a, Ruins, something about Ruins is in the title, and it was, it, it had like the best first chapter of anything I read, but the story went, Really, I thought downhill as it went through. It just it just became very unbelievable. But um, spoiler space. Uh, the thing at the end is you find out that Dumbledore has actually been Godric Gryffindor all this time, and the real Dumbledore died in 1938. I read one where <laughs> Fox was Godric Gryffindor. That would be cool. Yeah, I've seen. Very I think cool. I've read one. I've, he I've was he was that. a phoenix animagus, and he turned oh. into a phoenix. So he wouldn't ever die or something. We've been giving Barb yeah. a hard time in the story. Is it possible that she predicted years in advance that Harry would have a conversation with the Grey Lady? Yeah, yes, I found so that, that very interesting. That yeah. was the, the one. That, that was really one, good. Oh, I know what it was. You know, right at the end when Harry's doing all these things and he's getting rid of all his clothes. And I'm like, what is this obsession that people have in fan fiction with making Harry naked when he's confronting Voldemort or doing something and they humiliate him? And, and then I'm like, ah, oh. and then we had Deathly Hallows where he wakes up in King's Cross naked. <laughs> it's naked twice. No, then in the kitchen they all take. There's seven naked versions of Harry running around. It's like yeah. it's, it's PS's dream come true. But don't we have Harry stuff now? Yeah, that was a little, someone just banged their head into their microphone. I'm not sure if that was on purpose or not. You know um, what? I just found in chapter find? in chapter what chapter is this? Chapter nineteen? No, twenty twenty one reservations. Barb 
actually came up with a spell for breastfeeding. No, we've had that in another fic before where Sirius used it. Remember Max oh. was grossed out back in Chapter 7 or Episode 7 of After the End because um, Sirius offered to breastfeed? Remember that? I, was, I wasn't around. And Max's exact response was, that is the most explicit thing Potterfic Weekly has ever commented on. <laughs> <laughs> I want you to think how far well, you we've know what? come. We need to give that spell to Peter so that they can make their breast milk ice cream. Oh my god, we're on topic. <laughs> I just like to point out, episode 7, talking about breastfeeding, risque. Episode 96, Ryan is having affairs with two of the hosts, and luckily P.S. will never get pregnant by me. That's you know, I'm just, I'm just saying. Everybody thought I was bringing that up. It was just one of the John two stupid little things, and here we are on page 433, and there it is, right there in italics. I thought that was great. Mm. Cecilia kicks ass. Cecilia kicks ass, and I'm just Cecilia. What? Who is Cecilia? She's the lawyer. The lawyer. Oh God, I have a thought about the lawyer. Oh God, I have. Two thoughts, actually. One, how does Harry get away with discussing the lawyer's past sex life when he just met her five minutes ago? Yeah. I just did it right now to half the people in the room, but yeah, that's a valid point. (sighs) And... Is she a character in Lost Generation? I have no clue. I'm assuming she must be, because she was a friend of Lily, and it takes place in Lily's... But it focuses primarily on Bill, doesn't it? Yeah, but Lily's... Well, I don't know. P.S., you're actually breathing into the... uh... Sorry, no, I'll try not to breathe. Oh, I thought you were saying <laughs> thank you. Thank you. We appreciate that. But my other point was to a case of what I consider really just bad writing, because the lawyer is running through all of her trial prep five minutes before the trial. I'm, this all should have been discussed a long time ago in private, where Harry could not see it. But I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna go there because I'm a huge fan of Boston Legal, and that has taught me that show so much about how the criminal justice system works. Because what happens? Because that's how it happens in real you know, life. It does, you, but you it know, doesn't happen the five minutes before the trial. No, no I disagree, my friend. Because according to to David Kelly in Boston Legal, what happens is you are you are you are you are charged with murder. It's 6 p.m. and your trial will start promptly the following day at 10:30, and you could be, you know, it could take as long as three days. And they even joke, if you can get him off by Friday, I'll sleep with you. It's Tuesday. The trial hasn't started yet, so everything takes three days. So, all right, with legal dramas, there's always that. I thought it was bad writing in this particular case. I have no problem if Barb wants to explain the case. I would just be a lot more comfortable with Harry witnessing like a Muggle courtroom drama. You know, showing us as opposed to telling us, well, this is what I'm going to do, and then I'm going to talk about this, and then well, I'm no, do this, and then this other thing. Well, there's no but possible reason for Harry. And- there's no possible reason for Harry to be there. And th- I mean, I think one of the issues we have in the story, and it's like I really enjoy the story, but one thing I do notice is that there's a lot of exposition that's spewed out by the characters. So the fact that we're in the room and the lawyer's telling us what she's going to do is preferable to me than having Sirius explain to Harry how courtrooms work. You know what I mean? Secondhand. So like. Like, the information has to get to us one way or another, so I actually didn't mind that one as much. I don't know. One thing I did think that was weird, though, was that no orders went to Azkaban. So just, like, they like they couldn't send one guy in a rowboat. Yeah. 
And if the guy in the rowboat didn't come back, we won't send anyone else, but just check and see if they left. 75 oars just up and disappeared. I think it was like the Mary Tyler Moore show or something. She's in the newsroom and there's a blizzard outside. Someone goes out to fix the, the transmitter and never comes back, so she sends someone after him and that guy never comes back, so she sends two people out after the second guy and they don't come back and now she's having a hard time rounding up volunteers. You know there's that guy in every office that if he never came in again, you'd never miss him. Can't they send that guy and just see if the oars are still there? <laughs> Fudge, do you know where the oars are? Oh. I really want to work for the government, because if I get taken out at Azkaban by the Death Eaters, I'm not sure whether or not Fudge will feel compelled to save me. But it's like you're never going to go back there? What if someone gets arrested for shoplifting and you need to send them over? Like, we, like we'll just abandon the prison. Like, can you imagine that? Never Min- leave a man behind. Like, Minister, why aren't you going back to Azkaban to rescue our brave sons and daughters? Budget cuts. Like, it's, like, <laughs> <laughs> it's like, send two cops in a rowboat. Where is the press corps? And why are they not needling him? Like, seriously, you send three high school students, a psychic, <laughs> a greasy-haired guy who calls himself the skipper on a sailboat, <laughs> with four hippogriffs and a dinghy, and they manage to rescue your entire military. Like, it's awful. But they almost all were lost because of a very strong wave. Like, it's... Like, like seriously, come on. You're on Gilligan's Isle. <laughs> Not for the courage of the fearless group. <laughs> And they have like a wedding on the ship and like the like the hall it's like the Titanic. They're like going, they're tipping. Like, uh, they're all holding onto the rail backwards. Oh, and Katie pushes it throws her hand up on the back window of the car. <laughs> There's like steam. <laughs> I think that was in last week's episode, in uh, fact. That was unfortunate. I apologize. All right. I have this, because I'm getting near the end of my notes. I'm going to let you guys take over. All right. Draco. Okay. Now you have Snape, Master Spy. You have Harry, Golden Griffin, Animagus. McGonagall, brilliant woman. She's she's your second in command. If Dumbledore, the 150-year-old guy, you know, who gets sick a lot, if he goes, she's in charge of everything. Well, Harry here won't be joining us tonight. He's, <gasps> um... Harry, why are you here tonight? She never thought of a cover story. So then Snape <laughs> gives the cover story. And I'm thinking to myself, that's a damn good cover story. I could make that cover story work. That's a great cover story. Draco's like, why isn't Ginny going? Everyone stops. <laughs> Everyone pulled their lips into a line and stared at each other for 30 seconds. 30 seconds is a long time to stare at someone. Like <laughs> yes, it is. Let's count. One, One, two, two, three. All sat around and stared at each other. Five, six, seven. Eight. This is how you really test who your regular listeners are. Not gonna speak I'm that. really, I'm already Eleven, four. Ten. So, okay. Uh, so, okay, okay. We're ten of twelve. I got you well, Yeah, we got, we made it to, like, we only made it to twelve. Harry sits, and then I love the one where Harry sat there for several minutes. It's like, what? Really? He just sat there for several minutes? So, <laughs> and, he no, drilling? and no one can think of a plan, and then Harry's like, um, yeah, uh, you want to come with us? We never thought of that. And then they're like, it's okay. I think he believed us. I think we caught he didn't believe a yeah, word. Of it. No. The story was so bad, even Draco saw through it. And then Snape is yelling at Sirius for his stupid, stupid, stupid plan. I just thought that was great. 
All right, so I am near the end of these chapters, so I am going to turn the podcast over for the additional snark my fellow hosts, many of whom I've had affairs with in the last week, have prepared for you all. <laughs> and by the power vested in me by international maritime law, uh, have a lovely maritime law. Have a lovely podcast, my fellow Papuanians. <laughs> Goodbye, dearest. Goodbye. Bye. Goodbye, Bye, Ryan. Goodbye, Snookums. <laughs> Good goodbye, my little pumpkin. P.S. Be safe. <laughs> I don't get a nickname. I'm back now because I had to take myself on mute because I'm afraid if I called my mother after this, I forgot. I, I would forget I was on it. Um, <laughs> P.S. That's me, never happened. P.S. I'm going to tell you what. You guys go on with the podcast. I'm going to ask Mike if he had a special nickname for that special someone. What would it be? And I'm going to get right back to you. All right. All right. <laughs> so I don't know what we're up to. Does anybody actually know? We are starting the chapters for tonight. We're actually we're starting. starting yeah, we're starting okay. tonight's oh, podcast. It is 24, yes. 24 yeah. to the end. Okay. 24. It's called Home. Ginny is Harry's home. This is Aww. what he realizes. Aww. Aww. Does it finally That's happen nice. yet, Gen 2? Or are we still waiting for the Harry Ginny action? <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's way far away. Yeah, I'm still far away. I highlighted some text out of this chapter. Oh, boy. Share with us. And for some reason, it just, it just, it just made me laugh. Okay. In addition, sorry, I had to, I'm scrolling through my notes somehow. I'm sorry, I have to come back in. Um, I've heard back from Mike. He said the name depends on who it is, and I informed him it would be P.S., and he said, Ryan, that's incest. I could never do that. <gasps> yes, I'm sorry to let you down. <laughs> Apparently, P.S., it's squicky even for Mike. Oh, Lord. Um, they're on the boat. They've got all these kissed oars on the boat, and there's 78 of them milling around, and they're drooling, and, you know, they're getting in the way, and they're afraid they're going to fall off the rails. And How many so people it, are on this boat? It's a huge boat. Yeah, it must, it's magically, it, it, it must be magically boat. enlarged or something. So they decide that they're going to transform, transfigure these oars. <laughs> so it says, in addition to transfiguring the kissed oars into small animals, chiefly hamsters, <laughs> who came up with that? <laughs> Was that Harry's idea? Hermione and Sirius had conjured small cages in which they would be safe no matter how turbulent the seas became. Harry went from cage to cage, peering at them. They were still very still, some of them on top of their companions in rather indignified poses. <laughs> <laughs> Presumed from the rough seas they'd experienced, it was strange for Harry to see their dark little eyes staring into space, unblinking. <laughs> I'm thinking of all these little... All these little robot hamsters with their little black. <laughs> I gotta see all these fuckball hamsters like, <laughs> That made me laugh, obviously. Little and, robot hamsters. <laughs> no. And then so suddenly he sees ones that's familiar. Yes, and then he sees frickin' Cho. Cho, you? <laughs> Like she's gonna answer him. 
I just get I just don't get how Harry is so dumb, right? Because when they left, um and something Harry transformed into the Griffin or yeah, I think Harry transformed into the Golden Griffin and Cho, who has been kissed, she gasps. And I'm like, if she's been kissed, she's not gonna do that. I mean, I figured it out. Dumbledore yeah. figured it out, and Harry's still sitting there going, Wow, she's just turned into a massive bird. Why is that? Oh, wait, <laughs> she tried to be an Animagus too? <laughs> wow. Like, I'm just like, Harry, very, very dumb right now. Everybody <laughs> can be an Animagus. McGonagall oh, was very busy. She, she trained everyone. Well, I wonder if Voldemort is going to turn out to be an Animagus like Thulsa Doom from Conan the Barbarian. And if he's planning <laughs> on that, he really ought to read the Evil Overlord list. Never turn into a giant snake. It doesn't help. Yeah. Is McGonagall to... using a time turner to get to all of these Animagus lessons? Might be what's keeping her so spry. In Chapter 24, before we get to Ginny, I just want to say I love, love, love that Harry makes a date with Myrtle. I ship Harry Myrtle. Their love has such big glasses. It's so sweet. It's so wonderful. Oh, oh please, no. They You're the one that just... wrote that, aren't you? They are just yeah. meant to be together. <laughs> You wrote the Harry Myrtle thing, didn't you? I confess. Yes, I did. Aw, man. You. (laughs) Are you breaking up with me? I think so. It's not me, it's you. (laughs) Exactly. So, so Dumbledore reveals some kind of plan because basically I am got my head in so many other things at the moment and I'm reading it and I'm like, I think this is what happened. So let me recap for the benefit of people like me who've got half a brain. Dumbledore says a bunch of stuff in front of Hamster Cho because Dumbledore knows that Hamster Cho is a death eater. Harry is too stupid to figure it out. Ron is just obviously doesn't have his werewolf senses turned on. Otherwise, he'd know. He can hear ticking from 50 feet away. So he <laughs> should know that Hamster Cho is a Death Eater, and he just doesn't. So Dumbledore says a whole bunch of stuff, and they all go, oh, no, no, yes, oh, well, we'll do this, and this is our plan. And they're all going, oh, Dumbledore, you're so smart. And then Cho transforms into a massive bird, and they all go, an urn? What's that? Oh, it's a sea eagle. She's been training with Professor McGonagall, who has a time turner, and she trains them all while her lips are in a very thin line, and they all look at Dumbledore with their lips in a very thin line. Why did you tell her all of that in front of her? Now she knows what we're going to do. Dumbledore's like, oh, it's just kidding. Is that what happened? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. That's, what That's exactly happened. what happened. <laughs> Yay for Kevin's stories! Yay, yeah, that's exactly what happens. Okay, it's like okay, it doesn't, it doesn't. He, yeah, and he looked at her and he's like, it, it doesn't matter because everything I said was not what's happening. So it doesn't, you know, we're all, everything's okay. Chill out. And this, my friends, this, the dear listeners, is what we call a red herring. <laughs> yes, mm. <laughs> it's a good thing somebody knows what's going on. Communism okay, it's just a red herring. So, so literary terms. They're on the boat, and the little hamster Death Eater child turns into the urn sea eagle. She's bleeding. She's flying off, and hopefully, she'll dive into the sea and die from loss of blood or whatever it is. And the boat goes back up the channel and through the marshes, and Harry and Snape have this wonderful bonding moment over. No relationship at all, but they're Harry and Snape. 
so they're bonding again um, because it's part of the story. And they get back to the Hogs Inn finally, and Harry and Jenny snog in front of everyone, and we all go, hooray, because it's a big sunlit day's kiss. And again, it's like eerie, do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do, because they, you know, <laughs> they clinched in front of a bunch of people, so they should have And Harry turns else. around and looks at all Ginny's brothers and like, oh, no. Oh, and they're all smiling, you know, <laughs> you know, just, it's but this okay, is what, Harry. Uh, this is what I found funny. When they break apart and come up for air, Sandy comes slithering out of Jenny's clothes and says, Hello, Harry Potter. And I'm thinking, Jenny's wearing his snake. There's something <laughs> subtexty going on there. Yes. She's wearing that's, his snake. <laughs> that seems very naughty. Yes, yes, it does. It absolutely does. I will agree with you. 100%. Jenny's got his little snake. Oh. And still, little. neither of them will put out. It's long <laughs> enough to wrap around his arm two or three times, and he's got these big, beefy arms from freelance lawnscaping or what have you. So, Harry, so basically what you're telling us, Steph, is that Harry has an enormous snake. You're That's exactly what I'm saying. Harry. Harry's enormous snake. So, uh, well, actually, in the text of the story, he does because Draco was very impressed by that at one point. I'm yeah, glad you're you're able to admit your obsession with Harry's snake to us, Death. I just really remember friends. things from this fic. And I'm wondering though if if Sandy was that enormous because she had <laughs> she was that. <laughs> Because <laughs> she was that long, you know, she measured that long. <laughs> I wonder, in comparison, how long Nagini was. That's really long, right? If you're going to have a pissing match, little snaky. I'm going to mention this now because it ties into something that happens toward the end of the story. But Harry uses an engorgement charm on Sandy, and she gets really big. <laughs> That's his secret. He's making his snake bigger. Yeah. So it's nothing to do with just don't tell us. It's all about the engorgement charm. It is. Uh-huh. It really is. Well, That's it. The, the We've been doing it wrong this whole time. The engorgement <laughs> charm is used for all f- sorts of male enhancement because Grindelwald uses it on his wand to turn it into a staff. Oh, I see. Ah, yeah. Because he wants to make his bigger as well. Yeah, and Dumbledore does it too, and Harry does it at one point, I think, here. And yeah, it's, uh, mm. it, it's, it's a all- good charm to know. Well, at least so- it's not that charm that turns Sandy into a blow-up doll. That looked like his sister? <laughs> yeah. That looked like his sister. Oh, <laughs> Oh, Harry. Because I had that that mental image in my brain that even though she was supposed to look like Jamie, she was that, that, you know, like flesh tone blow up. The little stiff arms and the little puppy face. Okay, I'm starting to think that Ryan's not the one who's got sex on the brain. (laughs) Is there anything else in this fic that we could talk about? Yes. Or is it yes. purely sex? <laughs> Lu- <laughs> From uh, the later part Luscious. of... Luscious. He steals Mariah's pelt or 
I was just about to say the same thing. And he can make her do anything (laughs) Anything he wants. wants. (laughs) The notes literally say, let the naughty jokes begin. That's that's bad. Whenever I have him in my notes, I always call him Luscious, not Lucius. (laughs) All right. In chapter 25. Moving on. If you Just need to know about the founders, go to the library. Yeah, yeah. that's it. This is what my note says. I'm not sorry about the snark, but did we really need to know all the 1,000-year-old dirty laundry? I mean, was it essential really to the plot in the end? Really, really? No. no. That's one of the things, though, in all seriousness for a moment, that I found very difficult with this fic, is that you're reading along and like, oh, this is a good storyline, and then it gets sidetracked by some, like, all the exposition and information and and bringing in a new plot, and you're like, but I was really enjoying that lot. And then you either never get back to it, or by the time you got back to it, you're too distracted by everything that's happened in in between. And I think you've got to make it relevant to your story. If it's not relevant, you can drop it. Like, Dean's whole backstory was dropped from the canon because it was just a side plot, It was, and it wasn't relevant to the the whole thing. And Hermione had a sister, but she took her out too because it wouldn't wouldn't work because it's too much information. Yeah. I mean, kind of like the Jeffries thing. I thought that that was going to go somewhere eventually. I mean, and it did a little bit. It got explained a little bit, but, you know, it was this big, huge, you know, this big, huge thing. And you thought that it was going to have some kind of monumental importance. And it really didn't because about the magic and him having the magic and, you know, all it ended up being was he was Roger's half cousin and he got kicked out of Hogwarts or whatever. I mean, yeah. that was kind of a letdown. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah I found, that's what I found a lot of a lot of things are sort of like they don't, they either don't end or they just sort of fizzle out and it's like that didn't actually mean anything to the overall plot. And then you just, you think the plot's finished and I found that there was too many plots for the story. Like you've got to have an overarching plot and I didn't really feel like there was one. It was just like a series of little plots. Little and things. And it what was in one thing, like the whole aura thing, and they rescue the Aurias, and but the other thing is all still going. It's like, oh, that's right, we were talking about Draco and Mariah, but he's actually still in love with Ginny, and I got very confused, and then all of a sudden Mariah's got a brother, and then there's this whole other thing about Lucius. I'm like, hang on, we've been talking about, you know, like the healthcare crisis, and, and, and Harry's worried about his Uncle Vernon, which I found very out of character. By oh, way. yes, that's in my <laughs> thing too. And I'm, and I'm like, hang on. And I found like I was jumping around all the time and I didn't feel like it flowed. And there was extra bits in there that you just didn't need. Like the whole thing just didn't connect for me. So when I go back to reading it, I'm kind of like, I thought we were talking about Roger Davies and Fleur and she had the baby and then and they gave it to Alicia. And oh, now Angelina's having babies and it just didn't connect for me. They weren't yeah. linked for me. Well, that anyway. too. And that Narcissa ended up being Daisy Farnuncle or whoever that was. It didn't really go anywhere. And either. somebody else. Yeah, and Mrs. Herrington Smythe, who, who got into Parliament to gut the the uh, the National Health Service, and I can can I just say I'm very glad we didn't get a lecture from Hermione on the merits of the socialized medicine system. <laughs> that would have been just too much to handle at, at this point anywhere. Um, yeah, but it would I have been I've an additional five thousand words. It of would have my been. life wasted. I I will stipulate. <laughs> Because you're echoing what I've said last week and really throughout Triangle Prophecy is that there's too much fic in this story. There's three, yeah. there's three basic plots you could go with and any one of them would make a good story, but you're trying to but cram all too much. All in the much. same fic? 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. You've got it's- the missing Weasley sisters bit. You've got the mucking around with muggle governments bit. And I forget what I said the third one was. Well, then you've got the whole Selkie bit, and you've got Ron is a werewolf, and you've got... You've got the Jenny Draco. I'm, I'm sorry, I remember now. The, the third one is, and the angsting for Ginny Weasley. So yeah. you can include think- all of those things in any one of those major plots. You could elevate any one of those three to a major plot and attach all of this other stuff to it, the werewolf mm-hmm. bit and, and what have you, but... The Snape as daddy. There's too much going on here. Because it's like there's this fic and it's on sink into your eyes and it's like on, you know, when you do the top 10 searches and, you know, the most read fics or the most reviewed, it's one of those. But it's got, it's, it's 84 chapters and it just goes on forever and ever and ever. And what it does, it takes every single character. Nobody dies. They all get married and have 27 children each. And by the end of the fic, the whole chapter word count is taken up by just describing who's got what children and who married who and who, who they all are. And it's starting to get that kind of feel for me. It's like you can't have anyone die. So we've got Sirius, we've got Remus, they've all got partners, they start having children, we, we're pairing everybody off, we're adding in new characters and it's starting to get that feel for me. Fix like that stress me out because I can't keep track of who's in there. It's like Breaking Dawn when she brings in all the vampires and you're like, who the hell are these vampires? I can't keep track of them. I think you have to be really careful, particularly about a original characters that you well, don't and, I, and in the many. end that just made me disappointed because well I was disappointed anyway and I can rant about that when we get there but you know just there were all these little things that I wish had happened or I wish had seen would be wrapped up and they just got left out there uh, or they got or they got written out conveniently or tied up conveniently that was way too convenient for me um Ron and Hermione they finally decide to do the deed, and he does it in the dungeon. <laughs> Way to be romantic, Ron! <laughs> but at least there was cushioning charms. Yeah, yeah, well, that's... You know, and Ginny, you know, all the while she's thinking, well, she gets squicked out because the thought of Harry and her being in the dungeons, and Harry doesn't get why she would be squicked out about it because he's clueless. Yes, you know, so, so they clueless. So they end, you know, they end up in the chair... And, you know, they're putting on the, the show of public affection and she just decides that she's going to go have a uh, peep show for him. Mm. Naughty, 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 naughty girl. Well, she's got his naughty snake, so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then he had to do the naughty, naughty, naughty dance out of the room because he couldn't control the snake. My, my sole <laughs> comment on that is that Harry can run full speed with an erection. He is a man amongst men. <laughs> well done, all, Harry! But, you know, he, ex- he like, exploded things and exploding snap, and he blew up the common room trying to get up to his bed so he could wank off. You know, it was all very... And he runs into the room, and Seamus and Dean are there, and they're like, what the hell? Yeah. Yeah. Just runs into the boys' bathroom, locks the and they call him a wanker, and he's like, Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. (sighs) Oh dearie me. On the question of insanely silly things, this is a little bit of a topic change, but they're giving the Order of Merlin second class to Ron. They're giving a werewolf a silver award. (laughs) 
one thought that through. Obviously <laughs> not. Oh, I, I'm reading this, and I'm like, okay, the first class is gold, and third class is bronze. Let me just guess what second class is, and isn't that what Ron's going to get? A, oh, yes, there it is. They're giving him a silver medal <laughs> pinned to his chest. Isn't that nice? It's like, wow, if, if, you're, if Fudge really wanted to make a point right here, he could just stab Ron with the award. <laughs> yeah. Mind you, though, in all seriousness, I actually liked this this part where he he didn't want to accept it, and he does that thing, the the big speech, and he he gives all that. I was I thought that was actually quite well done. It was, I was nice. like, Go! it was very nice, and I liked the melodramatic moment where everybody gives back their OMS as well. Yeah, <laughs> I just thought that that was a good a good part of the story because it was meaningful. I like mature Ron, you know, and I you don't get stand. to see him that often, so it is nice. No, to see so many. Him. So many writers, so many authors of fan fiction make him immature, jealous, petty, overbearing of Ginny. And well, the problem is he is of- all of those things. Mm-hmm. Not, not as bad as they make out. And you know what? Ron grows up. You know, he grows up. So at this point in the fic, Ron should be a little more mature than a lot of authors give him credit for. They either make him immature or they can't deal with him and they kill him off. I mean... Well, Barb has given Ron some pretty momentous circumstances to live with here. and Uh, She wasn't nice to him in this series. Well, she was nice to him in the sense that he grew up. He he learned to be a really decent person he out, he outgrew all of the stuff that was just listed for a lot of flaws. authors don't let him grow up out of it i mean maybe she used extreme ways to make him grow up but a lot of authors you know he's you know 33 and he's still acting like he's 13 yeah but i don't character no, the, growth the poor thing is going to have ptsd after this is all over <laughs> won't they yeah. all have that well, maybe not Harry and Jenny. Their love will prevent them from falling victim to that. <laughs> yeah. Maybe I don't know. Does sex cure PTSD? Um, it can't hurt to try. Probably not. Well, doesn't Harry spend the whole time in this the in, these chapters going? But I can't do Ginny because that's just what I tried with Hermione, trying to forget, and it's not fair, and it's not right. <laughs> so I don't think Harry is that why they haven't had sex yet? Because so I, I noticed Ginny misses out. I noticed Sorry. late <laughs> Ginny misses out <laughs> because Dudley threw himself off the smelting roof. Because <laughs> that's what uh, Harry's doing at one stage. He's like, "Yeah, I really want to have sex with Ginny. I really want to have sex with Ginny." But I tried that with Hermione when Dudley was killed, and it doesn't work. So I mustn't do that to Ginny. Mustn't do no, that. No, so he quits being no. He quits being noble at some point, and then it just becomes logistics. Yeah, yeah, and every time they try, something comes up. Yeah, well, I noted later yeah. on the only time that they actually do succeed is after her birthday. Mm-hmm. Which means like, that she's the, of, age. of age. Is that the moral of the story? Yeah, because the, she, w- she would have blown up. <laughs> she would have exploded if she had done it before <laughs> she was of age, because that's that's the penalty for having yeah. sex before you're old enough. You die. Yeah. Mm. And in you die. Yeah. Well, yes, and all the and, reviewers come along and called you evil, bad author for letting Ginny have sex before she was of age and married. <laughs> okay, I have something that I noticed, and Death might know this. I know. I don't think Keza will. P.S. May Sue probably will. There's a section yeah. when they're when Dumbledore is 
invoking limbo and he's sending the dementors off to never never land and <laughs> <laughs> you know they've they've rounded up harry's harry's you know had a nice negotiation and you know he's he set a, a date for coffee with the dragons and <laughs> <laughs> and there's dumbledore and he's the wind is blowing and there's an abyss and Dumbledore struck the earth again with his staff, and he's crying out incantations to close the earth. And Harry noticed for the first time the rope that was tied around Dumbledore's waist like a belt, leading back to the other stone. He decided not to take chances, meaning he didn't want someone else to blow in there and be swept away. This right there, I thought in myself, go into the light, Carol Ann. <laughs> Go into the light. It was just like poltergeist. See, I'm too old. No, no it's, it's not too old. It's don't do scary movies. I don't yeah, know what you're talking about. Yeah, but they show, they show that movie on, you know, like daytime television on, you know, like, you know, the WGN network on the weekends. It's not that scary. I don't know it's what poltergeist. It's this really old movie. If it's from the 80s, I was little. Well, not little, but little-ish. Little but um, it has, it's about this little, little girl. Little. She watches the TV and the static is ghosts. And next thing you know, her closet opens up and it sucks her off. And what it, it's the devil or something, maybe. But it's an evil force and it sucks her through the closet. And, and really what it is, is, you know, it's like limbo, purgatory, because there's the light and there's the dark and the dark wants to keep her because she's such a beautiful, lovely animated child. And, and they need to get her back. So they figure out how to get her back and they bring the psychic in. And the way that she figures out how to do it is they open up the closet and they open up, you know, the realm and, they feed this rope down through and somehow it goes through the closet and it ends up coming out of the dining room ceiling and the rope falls down and, and then the mom goes in and saves her and then they fall out of the dining room ceiling and it's just like a rebirth and there's baby cheese and everything. And the, there's this little woman and I wish I could remember her name, but everyone would know who she is because she's one of those character actors. And the whole mm -hmm. time she's telling the little girl, telling the little girl who's off in the closet with the bad and the good. And she's just like, Go into the light, Carolyn. Go into the light. You know, because her mom was supposed to be in light. She's supposed to trust, you know, to go into the light so that she would go away from the bad people. So I'm just seeing Dumbledore with his, with his rope around his waist to keep people from sucking in there and the wind is going. It's just like that movie. I swear you've got to see it. There was a Simpsons Treehouse of Horror that parodied that and I finally get it now. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. <laughs> you should have just done <laughs> So I actually described it well enough for you to understand. All right. Dumbledore has bumblebees for Patronus. I, I have notes about that. Yeah. Question mark, question mark, question mark. <laughs> really? Bumblebees. Okay. Hi. Yeah. This is P.S. from the future. Dumbledore actually means bumblebee. So that would be why. Has anyone else seen the uh, Transformers movie? No, no. All I could think of was this giant robot coming out of the end of his wand because one of the robots is named Bumblebee. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
They would basically Dumbledore's Patronus is a giant robot. That would be awesome. That, just, that would make this this fic about twenty times more awesome. If it would. I would, it would. If Dumbledore's Patronus was a giant robot, I think it would automatically become my favorite fic. Well, it would have to just by default. It would be worth reading through the four hundred and thirty-six thousand words. It would, be, it would even be better if if Voldemort's Patronus was also a giant robot, and they both cast their Patronus, and the Patronuses fought each other. That would be sweet. I smell a crack thick. <laughs> you get right on writing that, okay, Nathan? I will yeah. get right on that, and you can cover it on Peoncast. Okay, so Harry and Ginny can go shag in Maggie's rooms because she's been sleeping with Snape. Harry knows the password to the staff wing. There's no way this could possibly go wrong. <laughs> and Ginny admits to being a scarlet woman. Yes. And I like how it's Snape, Sprout, and Sinister who catch them, and they're all very smug. Oh, we will perform Professor McGonagall, and she will doubtlessly be scandalized And how dare members of her house act like this. And you're the head boy, and oh my goodness. And then Snape later on just says, if you hadn't been planning to be out of bounds, we would have needed to invent a reason. So for once, <laughs> your predilection for rule-breaking is useful. And how the hell does Harry not get stripped of his gold badge for head boy here? Because if I were the Slytherin prefect here who wasn't being kept in on the loop because I'm an evil Slytherin, just by definition, I would be pissed off and very vocal about this, demanding that someone else get the badge. Well, Dumbledore gets to choose, and he said, Harry, that's it. End of story. Dumbledore yep. says. Dumbledore says. Sounds like a game you play. Dumbledore says. Dumbledore says. Dumbledore says, <laughs> Harry gets away with murder. <laughs> Draco Malfoy gets away with murder. Ah, uh, ah, uh, didn't say Dumbledore says. Uh, uh, <laughs> dear, dear, okay, it's... I've been quiet because I was finding this, but after this podcast is over, you all must watch these two sections of this movie so that you know what I'm talking about. Very I good. know what you're talking about. I saw the Treehouse of Horror. No, you, no, you, not you, but the other. T- the rest of us. I think it's targeted at the older folk here because how dare you? Oh my goodness, you haven't seen it. What's Joe Beth Williams? Any, but this is section eight and section nine. Well, section eight and section nine. I'll I'll get you through the part that I'm talking about. Excellent, excellent. Okay. um, But when you see it, you'll know what I'm talking about because you've got the whole Dumbledore wind. Oh, I know what you're talking about. I just didn't make the connection. Because you've not seen the movie. Yeah, that's why. I I know the reference, but I didn't make it myself. So, yeah, that's moving on. Mom goes goes into the closet in part nine, right about three minutes and 15 seconds. But you need the the stuff in part eight to to get the back story to go with it. Okay, we'll all watch right. it, and then we'll record something to dub into place later. Yeah, it's. I'm watching it on. I'm watching on mute. And it's all very. It's all very uh, dramatic. <laughs> okay, um, Mercedes, whatever her last name is, is Luna only creepier. Like creepy is all hell. <laughs> She's another one of these OCs that there's absolutely no point to. Yeah. See, at this point, I think I was getting bogged down with all the pointless OCs, and I just was like trying to. I lost track. Trying to the, the fight my way through. Yeah, skip. I mean, I get when you're working with such less canon, you have to introduce people. I mean, when generally you write a fic, you have to introduce people if no one fills the function, but I kind of lose track. But 
really, see, the thing is, I think this, this, this book is basically picking up canon from Gobble the Fire. I mean, it's basically, this book is basically, I mean, this fic is basically the last three books. So if we had to read the last three books in one sitting, we'd probably be like, oh, I'm losing track of the, all these characters, you know? But mm-hmm. I don't think Daikaya added as many. When you look at each book, she sort of adds one or two main characters and there's a few peripherals. Like if you get to Order of the, Order of the Phoenix, she um, introduces Tonks and Luna. Anyone else doesn't really get a big thing. That they're, they're the two characters that she's introduced. There might be a couple of random people, but they don't have a big role. Thank you, Headmaster, for those kind words of welcome. And in Half-Blood Prince, she introduces Horace. And I cannot recall another big part, you know. And mm-hmm. so, I, but in this one, it's just like you've got extra Weasley sister. And, and, and the other thing is, she gets rid of characters too. Like she kills Sirius. She'll pull back on Moody's right, um, role. Whereas this one, it's like leaves everyone in there. No one's dead. She leaves them all in there and gives them bigger roles and, and then adds in the extra characters as well. And Canon doesn't do that because that's what makes it readable. To, because there's not too many people. Like, if you really think about canon and the characters that get introduced, I mean, in Deathly Hallows, I don't think there's Ted Tonks yeah, true. and Andromeda, probably, are the biggest new characters that have been introduced. Mm-hmm. She, she, and she brings them back a little bit at a time. Like, we get Sirius back in the, in the forest and James and Lily, but that's the only point at which we see him. Sirius is not in the whole book. We get the scene with Dumbledore, but he's not in the whole book. So even the dead people, when she brings them back for that little cameo appearance, it's in a chapter. It's in a few paragraphs. It's not, we're going to give Sirius a whole life and family. We'll give him a wife and three children and, you know, and that's what mm-hmm. it is that makes it hard for me to wade through all the people and figure out where we're still up to and who we've still got and, and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Well, talking about families and so forth, this is a tangent off of that. Just, I know when the fic was written, but in the context that we have of Order of the Phoenix, the following line is hilarious to me. Quote, Harry passed the rest of his suspension quite enjoyably discussing wizarding genealogy with Sirius's mother. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I found Sirius's mother in this so funny. Oh. <laughs> She's evil and terrible, and he like has afternoon tea with her in this. Slayed, absolutely slayed me. We get a lovely history lesson. We find out that everyone is royalty. Weasleys, Malfoys, Potters were all descended from the founders. Isn't that nice? That's because they're all Scottish. They're all royal. Yeah, they're related to each other and everybody. Old castles. There are a lot of old castles in England, though. Mm. I'd like to see a few of them. Someday. I have. I've been there. I've been to Tintagel. That's King Arthur, by the way. I was seven and a half. <laughs> but it's very. It's a very clear memory, actually, because it was such a big thing. We went for, for four months. We went over to England and did the whole thing. Well, you know, you can go back to England sometime soon. We'll just meet in the middle. I am planning to go back to England sometime soon. I'll show my kids all this stuff. And we're going to go and get our picture taken at Platform 9 and 3 quarters at King's Cross. And and Mr. Kess is going, and all the other Harry Potter things. I'm like, I don't think there are any other Harry Potter things. And he's like, but the theme park. I'm like, that's in America. He's like, well, why do you go to America? <laughs> Yay! Yay! He wants, he wants to go to America for when um, the Deathly Hallows movie comes out so I can go and watch it with Gen 2. <gasps> he does? That's what he said. I don't think it's going to happen, though, because that involves, like, money. Yeah, the... 
Yeah, that money thing. If he'll let you come, I'll pay. <laughs> he totally would let me come, but he'd have to come too because he's clingy. <laughs> he just, left, he just left you for a week. Yeah, and it's not going to happen again for another five yeah. years. But, but you know, he only went to Sydney. I'm not allowed to go to America without him. <laughs> it's just so. Indiana. Yeah, I know. It's not very exciting. <laughs> no, it is. They have corn and biscuit cans, you know. <laughs> he didn't even bring me back Krispy Kremes from the Sydney airport because he's <gasps> dingy. We only have Krispy We don't have Krispy Kremes in my hometown, right? So it's really funny. You go to the airport and you meet a Sydney or a Melbourne plane and they have Krispy Kreme at the airport, see? And everyone comes off the plane with all these bags of Krispy Kreme donuts because you can't get them here. And he goes, I'll bring you back some. I'm like, all right, this is the bright spot in my terrible, terrible week. He gets off the plane. I'm like, where are the donuts, man? He's like, oh, they were too expensive. They they wanted $12 for for whatever. And I'm like, man, I still wanted them. Did he he go to the Costco? Since we're already off topic. The what? They just opened Costco. Where? In Sydney? In Sydney, I believe. I've not heard of that. (laughs) I don't know what that is. My friend who I was pet sitting for went specifically to, you know, visit her son that lives there. But that was the big trip. They were going to go to the grand opening of Costco. I thought your friend was in Bendigo. That's where he used to be. Oh, but they, okay. no, they Bendigo made a big trip. Nowhere near Sydney. Yeah, that's a big trip. Costco. I don't know about Costco. Big yeah, warehouse no. club. Big warehouse club. Lots of what do you buy things. at Costco? What would I go there Everything. for? Everything. Chicken, oh. Computer paper. Oh. Oh. They, they have, didn't have a very, very good that. computer Dish- selection at this Costco. Dishwasher soap. Oh. Candy. I don't have a dishwasher. Books. Laundry soap. Books. Wow, this has got nothing to do with the fit. No, it really doesn't. Although I think she got all her characters from Costco. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. I could link it to anything. Moving back on death, we didn't see anything about the fit we can talk about. (laughs) Okay, Draco. He's in love with Jenny. They break up. He's still yeah. in love with Jenny, but then he has Mariah, and then supposedly he is, you know, he's better. He's He's got another girlfriend. He's still a little emo. He still shows up at places. But isn't it getting a little bit wearisome that every time Harry and Jenny go at it, he's like there looking in the window? Yes. Well, he's, <laughs> in this universe, Draco is the stalker of Jenny. Yes. <laughs> Ooh, that's like, um, I forgot the word. <laughs> it's like a thing. Like a significant thing. thing. Like a thing that that makes you go, ooh. (laughs) A revelation? No, more like a a parallel. Parallel. Oh, yeah. Foreshadowing. You know, and apparently, you know, because Mariah's Mariah's not enough. She's not enough woman, you know, that Draco is, it's okay for him to have his cake and eat it too. He, he, he gets to walk around and, and do her whenever and, and let her take care of him and moan over him and whatever. And he can be a jackass bastard to her whenever he feels like it. But then, you know, he, he gets to go be all pissy over about Jenny being with Harry. And then when he finds out that, that they've finally done a deed, then he, he's decided it's just, Oh, too much. He's just going to go back and be a Death Eater. Hey, maybe. correct me if I'm wrong, but maybe. I thought, maybe, I thought that maybe I'm getting confused and you might have to help me out here. She's a Selkie, right? I thought that right. meant that she could t- turn on her charms and yes. win him over. So how is he still pining after Ginny if she's Selkieing him to death? 
Well, suppose I don't think she's selkieing him. I think she she's just... not, and you got to consider when he's not around her, he wouldn't necessarily be affected. Mm-hmm. So Mariah's not selkieing Draco. I don't, we don't think... think so. But she selkied Harry, didn't she? Yes, she did. But it was she didn't she say it was the first time that she'd ever done anything like that? Yes, and but she she's probably sure lying. What was going to happen? What was going to exactly happen? Okay. Yeah, she she did say that, but as she's a Slytherin, she's probably lying. Oh, stop. Well, didn't you know all Slytherins are evil according to this fic? Uh, according <laughs> yeah. to this fic? Yeah. No, seriously, I was reading something. I'm reading along, merrily, merrily, merrily reading. I don't even know where it was. And, and it was just like, hmm, anti-Slytherin bias much? Okay, it's Ryan from the future. Doesn't the fic end with Harry giving a speech to an entire stadium full of people saying Slytherins are good people and don't be stereotypical and don't listen to the sorting hat and it permeates society and makes everyone turn against each other wasn't that the whole meaning of the story at the end just i'm throwing that out there because i didn't really pick up on the slytherin bias i actually like the slytherins in this one his name's a slytherin he's a great guy he's like father of the year just throwing that out there just i don't know maybe it's a different fact i don't know yeah okay enjoy the show bye yeah i don't know it was just really in there and then there was a bit of a lip service about not being it, like at the end or something. Harry's talking about choosing, or am I reading another fic? Oh, I don't even know. Maybe that's from Deathly Hallows. No, it's, oh, it's, no, it's that another. one at the at the Order of Merlin ceremony. He says, "Give it up for the Slytherins who really no, helped again, out here." That we know. Oh, that it's we're in the just... epilogue. It's in the epilogue. I'm thinking in the epilogue. Harry says something about when he's giving that big speech when he's blind, and yeah. <laughs> And he's talking about. I'm, I'm sorry. I, I, meant the, just wait. I meant the other order of Merlin's ceremony. Is there someone here I just spoiled? No. 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 Oh, she's. She's just think, has some things to say. Because I'm like, I'm hoping we've all read to the end. <laughs> By the way, Harry loses his sight. Only not really. <laughs> Only not really. <laughs> it's always but just we'll, not really. But we'll get. Oh, one. I read a fic once, I can't remember what it was, where Harry really, 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 really was blind. That was interesting. Good. There's a, there's a slew of them. There's a slew of them that were written post-Goblet where Harry loses there his There are a bajillion fics where Harry goes oh. blind. Yeah. yeah. Like oh, are you like that other? Does Harry go blind? Hmm, let me think. Yeah, there's a lot of <laughs> yeah. them. actually bad. Oh, I think it's the one where Harry tries to commit suicide where he goes, no, that's a different one. That's where he commits suicide, doesn't go blind. Oh, I don't know. You know what anyway, I thought maybe... was the weirdest blind thing? There's a fix. There's another fix. The blind person. Oh, my phone's about to run out of battery. Um, the, the blind person is not Harry, but um, is an OC, and she has a seeing eye owl. That's cool. <laughs> that's yeah. Awesome. It's, like, it's like magically hooked into her eyes. Oh, all right. I've, I've, like, so she I don't sees know what the owl sees? Because of the Harry, owl. Harry turns into an animagus in one of them. He's blind as a person, but when he's an animagus, he can see. Right. That cool. totally doesn't work at all, but whatever. So why in this he fic... He's an animal for the rest of his life. <laughs> in yeah. this fic... In this Harry, fic... It's just Harry, a squib. <laughs> okay, I can plug in my phone, but I have to sit on the floor because the cord won't reach to the chair. So that means that we need to not make P.S. sit on the floor for a really long time because that would be mean. Wait, hang on. I'm yeah, going away for I have a second to, to plug it in. Okay. All right. So um, I have a question. Why does Harry 
why is Harry familiar enough with muggle tools to be able to build a casket for Dobby? <laughs> Probably because <laughs> Vernon and Petunia made him do all the household maintenance. Yeah. yeah. He put on a roof. He could, he could. <laughs> but we questioned the say, room. Didn't, didn't he spend all that summer with Dick building the building crap? That's well, this thick, isn't been, it? See what I mean? Yes. The thick is too long. It's got too many things. So I'm like, is that in this thick? I can't remember. I remember. Well, they are one. supposed to be a landscaping oh. company, but they helped him put a new roof on the house. Uh, and yeah, there's another one I'm thinking com- of. Landscaping companies also put up gazebos and decks and stuff. I'm thinking that I'm, I'm getting this one mixed up and confused. He did do that in this thick, but there's also a thick where he um, meets, uh, he has a girlfriend and he does mosaic art. It's a fake. Because it's a and ridiculous preface. He does he, he works for he works for this company and he's very sad. It's post Order of the Phoenix and he's very sad and he meets a dog and he thinks it's serious, but they're really just it belongs to a bunch of muggles who give him a job and then they help him set up a bank account so Uncle Vernon doesn't take all his money and it's like a a building, landscaping. I don't know, but he gets all the chip tiles and he starts making mosaic art and then he gets, he goes out with the girl and then blind? she dies at the hands of Voldemort and he makes her this mosaic art in his memory and he cries a lot and Ginny helps him get over it and then they have sex of and everything's good. Ginny helps him get over it. That's, uh. Speaking of Ginny. Oh, speaking yes. of Ginny. Let's speak of Ginny. Yes. We've been knowing about the prophecy because this is called the triangle prophecy, which would lead yes. you to think that there would be something in the fic major about a prophecy, which there yeah. really isn't kind of. Who not. cares? <laughs> One prophecy is much the same as another. Right. But we'll just name the book after it anyway, because it, we just have here. Yeah. Whatever title doesn't matter. Um, we know that there's prophecy and we know Harry and there's this, you know, the three people and there's going to be this daughter of war and all along the flame haired daughter of war. And you're thinking, who could the flame can't be Lily. She's dead. <laughs> this time, <laughs> you know, de- you know, she's well, anyone- sorry. So all along you're like, it's Jenny, it's Jenny, you know, however they're going to figure it out. It's Jenny. That's what I had in my mind. It's Jenny that all along they're like, no, no, she was born the wrong time, born the wrong time. Hello, they didn't even know her birthday. Yeah. <laughs> she ends Doesn't up being the flame-haired daughter of war. Yep. And so I felt Hang very on. vindicated. Hang on. What do you mean they didn't know her birthday? The bit I read said they knew that she was born on April Fool's Day. Yeah, that's right. Lying, but that wasn't they lied the right about her birthday. birthday so that no one would know she was the flame-haired daughter of war. When is her real birthday then? I've missed I the think seven. it was on the, 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 the 7th. Yeah, because she goes to she goes to Hogsmeade and then when they come running back because there's an emergency and they're trying to get back in the door and and get to Dumbledore, Filch, you know, says, well, you didn't even have leave to go to Hogsmeade. Oh, uh, yeah, that's right. And she's like, well, I just had my birthday. And he's like, no, no, no. And, you know, Snape is like, uh, yep. get out of the way and let us through. It's not a big deal. And that's how they find out that well, she was actually born. I always thought it was Ginny, too. I'm like, this is so obvious. How can they not know it's Ginny? It's always Ginny. Yes, it is always Ginny. They haven't read all the fanfic we have, though. The characters don't know that Ginny is destined to stand at the side of the noble hero as he charges forward without looking and slays the (laughs) evil whatever. 
it is this week. We know it's not the dragons because they turn out not to be evil. Harry talks to dragons. Dragons are like snakes, only bigger, and we know Harry likes big snakes. <laughs> Harry has a big snake. <laughs> I think he likes big snakes because he just made Sandy bigger. So Harry yeah. likes big snakes just as much as everyone else. So, so we've got Harry the parcel mouth. He's like, oh, look, I can speak to dragons now because I can speak, you know, a dialect. <laughs> a dialect. Basically. Hey, have you read that fic? See, this fic reminds me of lots of other fics. Have you read that fic where Harry and Ginny each turn into half a dragon um, because they're <laughs> no. We're not no. serious. Uh, no, 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 <laughs> no, no. no. Anyway, get, back to Harry Potter get, and the and, Triangle Prophecy. Okay, I'm gonna se- I'm gonna segue into another Jenny thing because PS is sitting on the floor. Yeah. Okay, go. Sorry, I'll okay, stop so talking about Jenny's it. the Jenny's the flame haired daughter of war. We've been hearing about the 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 triad prophecy for ever, forever. Yes, forever. No, nine so we weeks. think that. So we think that. Yeah, nine weeks. So we think that when the, when Voldemort goes down, he he's gonna go down in some. You know, triangle prophecy flaming thing. And then the there's end. There's going to be he, winds whipping the hair and they're going to Yeah, be and like, they're going to, you know, go into the light and, you know, yeah. it, it's going to be a big, it's going to be a big deal. It's going to be like Michael Gambon in Half-Bud Prince whipping around all the fairy fire. Yeah, yeah, just like that. <laughs> yeah, like that. And then, and then in the end, he's, he's munching on some mandrake munchies. <laughs> and he turns into, he turns into like, he turns into a middle-aged man, you know, with prostate problems. <laughs> <laughs> Makes Expelliarmus seem realistic, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. It and, you know, he all, all I could his- say about that was Fred and George really have a good product line going on here. <laughs> Is know, that stuff true. patented? <laughs> no, so in the end, they didn't really need Harry, and they didn't really need Jenny. I mean, they were just the delivery system for the little mandrake munchies. Yeah. So really? anybody, anybody would have been able to to do to end him if they just. But had no one could have done it with the style of Ginny and Harry because Ginny just pops up and says, "Hello again, Tom." Yeah, that was great. <laughs> and he goes, oh, "Why do you call me that, little girl?" <laughs> could you see her with her hands on her hips? You know, yeah. hands on her hips and the wind in her hair. Hello again, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> And then Harry can stare at her and, oh, she's such a goddess. <laughs> no, Hermione is the Greek goddess here. I want to get my snake out. <laughs> she's, she's an Irish goddess. Oh, okay. I thought they were all Scottish goddesses. Do the Scottish have goddesses? Yeah, but she's got red hair, so she has to be Irish. The Scots have red hair. Oh, yeah, I guess so. We apologize to all the Irish for misrepresenting you (laughs) and to the Scots for forgetting that you have red hair, too. Well, I'm, you know, I'm sorry. (laughs) There's that whole, you know, stereotype about Irish redheaded women. Sorry. Mm. Whatever. They've all got fierce tempers. (laughs) (laughs) Do you think, seriously, though, you know, fanfic Ginny always has a fierce temper. Do you think yes. that that's actually accurate? Because uh, Canon Ginny doesn't really have a fierce temper that I've ever seen. She's feisty and she's, you know, fully charged and she's, you know, take, take packs a little pocket punch. But I'm like, what's with the feisty temper crap? I don't know. Is that just because she's got red hair? Yes. Red oh, and then she's also she's also she's also an Aries in this too, so that would make her 
fiery. Oh, I don't know anything about star signs. I, I think they're playing off of Ron's temper as well. Yeah, that's just Ron. That's not because he has red hair. I think this does a disservice to red-haired people everywhere. My mother had red hair. Oh, hang on. She's got a temper. Yeah, I'll sure shut up now. <laughs> I apologize to all the red-headed people who don't have temper. <laughs> Moving right along. Okay, so can I can I have my one last rant Sorry. and then... And then anybody yes. else, they can all just shut up and, and you all can just, you know, do your thing and you won't have to listen to me blather on anymore. I have read this story for nine weeks. We talked about at chapter 18, it was 400 and some odd thousand words. So by this point, it's a million words long. No, the the total length of just the third arc here is 436. It felt like a million so I've read three of them. I've had to live yeah. through Harry and Hermione, which was painful. Had to oh, live through yeah. Harry getting over Hermione, which was painful. I had to live through Harry and Katie, which was painful. <laughs> I had to live through Jenny and Draco, which was painful. Oh, you! I know better. You happen to like some Draco. Yeah. What happened to that? <sighs> No, in this fic, it was painful. Uh-huh, uh-huh. In this, this fic, fic. In this fic, it was painful. So we go through all of these things and all of this pain, and I've invested all of this time and all of my emotion, and I'm getting to know these characters, and I learned to like Sandy the Little Snake, and, you know, I got all invested in things, and even though it was painful, I really liked it, kind of. So we get all the way down to this third pick, and we get all the way down to defeating Tom. And dun, 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 dun. Draco dies, and Harry has to get noble, and he has to bring him back to life with the little spelly spell thing that he found in the book two picks ago that we read about founder history that really didn't mean anything, but really it kind of did because it was foreshadowing that Harry was going to go do something stupid. So after oh, we didn't need time, foreshadowing for that. Yeah. All this, all this time we've invested all of this time and all of this effort to find out that Harry's going to be blind and powerless. To Why? save Draco Malfoy. To save Draco Malfoy. Draco Malfoy. Draco Malfoy. <laughs> You know what, I, the one thing I did like about that was I liked at the very end where he could see again and Dumbledore helped him realize that he was protecting himself from the reality because I thought that was very good psychological writing. It was good psychological writing, but it's like you went through all of that and it was... To leave Harry blind and powerless. Well, he wasn't blind, but he's powerless. It was just like... Harry's a squib now. I'm like, yeah. how is that happily ever after? And he it's thinks he's Ginny with won't... Jenny. Oh it, well, it, yeah. Oh no, but it's not. It's it's just like it's premature. But see, the thing is, you look at Philosophus that book one. And poor little Harry is powerless. You've got powerless little Harry who's at the mercy of his cruel, mean, evil relatives, and he's rescued by Hagrid, also powerless. Interesting enough, parallel. Anyway, um, and he is introduced into this magical world where he can be anything he wants to be, where he's given freedom, he's got power over his own life. It's a very freeing thing. And then he finds out he's chained down again by this prophecy and stuff, right? 
And the point is that Harry is coming from, he has to free himself again. So to get to the end of the fic and find out that he's actually powerless again and he's back to where he started, which was not a good place. And all for saving Draco Malfoy. (laughs) You know, (laughs) at least he could have done it saving Ginny. See, if he hadn't been saving Ginny, then I can deal with it. Yeah. Mm. I mean, there was no reason. I mean, really. I mean, let Draco be dead. Exactly. Can I just say, there was absolutely no reason for Draco to even be dead. Because let's take note of what happens here. Voldemort tries to AK Ginny after she's done this other thing, and I'm like, didn't he learn anything at all from Lily? Hello? Voldemort, you are the stupidest effing villain I have seen ever in a story. And that includes the canon. You have one hour. I was about to do that. One hour. And I'm just like, oh my god. So the writing bothered me at that. Hi everyone, it's Ryan from the future weighing in again. I hadn't reread this part of the story when I was on the podcast earlier in this episode, so I just wanted to chime in now. We'll get to it in the Barb interview, but I just wanted to jump into the conversation here for a second. I forget if it was JKR who said it or if it was you know someone at Leaky or Pothercast or wherever made this point, but in the Harry Potter books, the magic is window dressing. It's like the Viper battles from Battlestar Galactic. It's something that is entertaining. Um, it's not visually entertaining, but it's something that, that pulls you into the universe that you can get excited about, you know, the magical world. But when you get down to it, they're human characters, and it's based on human decisions and choice and love and loyalty and stuff that's common to all of us. So I, I really liked Kez's uh, comment on Harry being powerless, but just to look at it from a different angle, Harry starts his life powerless because he's in the cupboard under the stairs and he has really no hope. For the rest of his life, he doesn't really have anything to shoot for. And then he goes to Hogwarts. And even though it's filled with Voldemort and Death Eaters and death and destruction, Hogwarts is a positive experience for him because of the people he meets and, and the hope he gets in his life. So that in this story, when, when the Hogwarts journey ends and Harry is now a squib, that was his choice. Because he decided that he had the ability to save a life. Yes, it was Draco. I'm sure he, you know, he would have loved it to have been Ron or someone else that he cared about more. But he was able to save the life of a person who saved Ginny. And he had that ability to save anyone. Now, one of the things in the story that's really interesting is they say, well, you know, if he saved, you know, Draco Malfoy, why didn't he save, you know, someone at Hogwarts who gave their life, you, you know, he didn't know that then, and maybe he would have. Maybe if he made it back to Hogwarts, he would have gone back and tried to save 30 people. But he had that ability at that moment to save the life of someone who made a sacrifice, and Draco did make that sacrifice. He didn't like him particularly, but he did make that sacrifice, and, and Harry just didn't think that was fair, that someone could do something like that and never be remembered for for making a final good decision at the end of their life. So Harry made that choice. And I don't agree that Harry is powerless at the end of the story. I think he is much different from the person who went to Hogwarts seven years ago, and it was never really about the magic. So I actually did enjoy it. Draco wasn't a good guy in the canon, and he wasn't a good guy in this story at the end, but he was a very great character in both, and I think he was worthy of being saved. I think it was... And I think the thing about when you read you know, the entire scene in the afterlife where Harry goes and and brings Draco back. It starts off, Harry, what the hell are you doing? And by the end of it, you have to agree. It's not a perfect decision, but I agreed with what Harry did. So back to your podcast. 
I would have rather have been half blind in one eye or, you know, he could only see shadows and he could, he could like still use his little walk around holding his amulet to see things. I would rather him be blind for Draco than to lose it all. It just, ugh. But see, even Harry would rather be blind for Draco Malfoy than lose it all. Blind for Draco Malfoy. That sounds terrible. You know what I mean? Like, that's why he was shielding himself. That's why I'm saying that's really good psychological writing, but I just, yeah, I, I think losing all his power is just too much for me. I'm just like, no, Harry's... It's like, you know, before Deathly Hallows came out and everyone's like, oh, Harry's going to die. He's, you know, we're going to lose the trio. We're going to Harry. He's going to end up dead from this. And I really hated everyone that said that. I'm like, he's not going to die because Harry has to live because what is the point otherwise? He has to live... I'm turning into Melinda Leo. He has to live and be happy and have a family, damn it. And, <laughs> And to me, there is no point if that doesn't happen for Harry. He needs to be powerful, he needs to be happy, and he needs to live up to all his full potential. And I don't think at the end of this fic that he that he does, because Harry is a wizard, and you take that away from him. and He's nothing. Just, He's just some yeah. abused, sad little thing. And I want the fairy tale, you know? It's a fairy, it's fantasy. Well, you want well, the, I didn't have to have the fairy tale. I just didn't want him to have to go through all this to save Draco Malfoy exactly. and anybody else. If he was saving anybody else and he did it, I would have been able to be okay with it, but not this. Not after all the crappy stuff he did in here. Draco was a dick. He was, and the problem is that death has not improved him at all. <laughs> no. And he wasn't even grateful. He comes back and he's just as much of an ass as he was. And within five minutes, Harry's going, now, why did I go after you? Why did <laughs> exactly. I do all this? Let this be a lesson to you, Harry. Never help others. <laughs> <laughs> Amen to that. Selfish, Harry. So that was- get rid of the saving people thing. You need to get rid of it. It's not healthy. Well, Harry <laughs> explains to Draco that hell is only a matter of belief. With Draco Malfoy, this is not a good idea to explain this to him. He deserves to be punished. That's all we need. Draco Malfoy convinced that he doesn't deserve punishment. Therefore, he's not going to get any. (laughs) No. Draco, you need to understand something. There is a hell, and you will go there. You need to be We're nice sending you. Yeah, so for all the Barb fans out there, I did enjoy reading this story. I have snarked the hell out of it. I did enjoy reading it. But this ending, I cannot accept it. No. Yeah. Not me. I will say, I liked the ending. I thought that it was a good ending because of the way she'd set up the characters. Because he'd become Draco's friend in the parallel universe yeah so mm-hmm. he did he I does think kind that of perceive drago as a friend or at least he sees that drago malfoy has the potential to be a good person boy when he saved drago malfoy he wasn't saving bad drago malfoy he was saving the <laughs> alternate world drago malfoy together i liked the way that you know how harry brought back his memories from the middle fic i can't remember what it's called i'm so stupid time of good intentions how they they waved wove wove their way into harry's thinking now you know Mm -hmm. like 
um, how they affected what he did. I think that was good. And that, yes, I mean, this Harry probably would save Draco. I don't like the fact that it was all done for a character that I really can't stand, but I think it's logical in many ways that Harry would do this. In some ways, Deathly Hallows, when he goes back into, you know, the, into the Room of Requirement and it's on fire and he's like, we've, we've got to get them out and Ron's like, oh, you've got to be kidding me. I'm like, that's just Harry being, like, it's not out of character. I'm not saying it's out of, out of, not out of character, but you just want to smack Harry in the head and go, stop being so damn noble and get on with it. And you sort of, you go along with Harry for the right going, okay, yes, you wouldn't be Harry if you didn't go back and save him. But I think this gives it a bit more weight. It's not just Harry being, because he's being noble. It's It's got a logical... Well, I can, I can buy that. I can buy that because I, I liked that, you know, that they were, they were good friends in the metal fic and I understood why he wanted to go get him. I understood his reasoning, but when Draco came back, he was, it's like, I, I want, if he was going to do it, I wanted Draco to have learned something from it or something for him to come back back and not, not be such a schmuck. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Draco has to be, he has to um, appreciate it. <laughs> Otherwise, it, you know. Well, I Draco think, has to learn a lesson as well, you know. I, I if really he didn't think, learn anything, that point. I think he does because as we find out in the epilogue, I was going to save this for final thoughts, but it's coming up now. Oh, At the end, we find out, well. you find out <laughs> that, that Draco, because he has died, now remembers the other timeline and he remembers Jamie and everything about the other life that he had where he was a better person. So we don't actually really see it, but I think the fact that Barb includes this is to answer our demand that, like, you didn't learn anything? Well, yeah, I think he has. It's just taking a little while to seep into his consciousness, and it's going to be a while before he necessarily changes his attitude and behavior. Yeah, but we build up to the big day, and it's, you know, you want some instant gratification at this point. Oh, yeah. But I, I like that the ending, especially the epilogue, because I'm re-looking at that now, and I, I like that it's not the perfect ending. I like that there's still some unsettling bits, if you want to call them that, because that's more realistic. You're right. You're right. I mean, I don't, I don't have to have things that are all, you know, sunny and rosy at the end. I just... That thing about Draco coming back and just not, it's not that he had to even be grateful because when he died, he died and he was, you know, he wanted, he decided he kind of wanted to go and, you know, why did you save me? But, you know, sooner or later or a day or two later or a week or two later or whatever, you'd think that he would have connected in his mind. You know, he has given up his sight and then eventually he's given up his magic for me, for me. That has to have some weight. You know, and it just didn't feel like it meant anything. But to me, it did. After reading all these stories, it meant a lot for Harry to give all that up for him. Yeah. 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 Hmm. Or for who he might be. Or yeah, he's who giving he it up for the potential. Could... The potential of Draco Malfoy. Through the whole thing, he never gave up on the the ideal that he had from the second life. He knew that Draco could be a better person. And he, through the whole last story, he always strove to get Draco to that point. You know, he, he knew in his mind that Draco could be a better person. It was just trying to get Draco there and Draco doesn't quite get there. No, definitely not. You can lead the horse to water. You can't make him drink. The, uh, do we, do we want to talk about (laughs) Harry? The epilogue. It will not. Do we want to talk about not the, um, not just the epilogue, but the, um, the afterward 
which is really what the epilogue should have been. Does anyone have thoughts on Harry inciting revolution by calling for house self-liberation and the burning of the sorting hat? <laughs> I think at this point I was point, just I was saying so to Harry, you can't burn the sorting hat. It's not going to work. <laughs> I find it interesting that he's done a backflip on Spew there, though. Like I'm like, mm, mm. well, the whole bit about the origin of elf slavery, I felt was it was way, way, way too late in the story to start introducing other plots. Yes. And I felt yes. like the subplots kept being introduced all the way to the end. And you need to resolve them at some point. It yeah. might be realistic for life, but it's not good writing. I think sometimes a good story will leave you with more stories to tell. You know, like mm-hmm. I'm one of these people that I don't like it when stories end. And a good story for me is one that I want to keep going. And if I if I put the book down and go, oh, that was nice, to me it probably wasn't a, as good a story as it could have been because if I really like the story, I want to know what happens next. Like Harry yeah, Potter? 100%, and I felt this way about this book. That you wanted to know uh, what happens I, next? Yeah. I wanted to know what happened next with Harry and Ginny, but I didn't care so much about all the other left the plots that were left dangling. I was so disappointed that the thing only went up to like five years later because it didn't say what happened after five years later. I'm Mostly thinking because I think five years is not really enough to show big like like for example like the babies were little children instead of like going to Hogwarts, so I might have liked to see maybe 10 years later. Yeah, yeah. well, but about 19. 19 would have been good. <laughs> yeah, 19. About 19. <laughs> 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 no, but P.S. is right. It's like five years I mean, once you start it's like, getting... And it's like all these couples are like, they're not having children yet, because that, I mean, obviously it's realistic, but I mean, you don't really get the sense of what they no, really did next. Not really realistic after a, a war there's traditionally a spike in the birth rate mm-hmm. yeah yeah but everyone starts years having babies. really it goes so fast and i keep i realize you know all the, all the older people say it and you hear it and hear it hear it how fast it goes how fast five years goes but it, it really does go time goes fast and the older you get the faster it goes and Five years really is is not. I remember five years ago, and it seems like it was yesterday. So, mm-hmm. it treasure the ones you have and hold them close. Good night, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty good, Dad. Thank you, thank you. I like it. The last word of the story before we get to the afterword is scar. Scar. I know. <laughs> scar. What was up with him going back to the Dursleys? Oh, I didn't understand his affection for the Dursleys in this whole thing. I think it was to make it go full circle. It was just very weird. It's like, okay, you could have gone to... The the whole thing about the perfect gift to give them as a non-magical Harry. So I, I liked it. I liked the bringing it back around. But they were mean people. Why does he want to give them a gift at all? Right. Come on. Because it's not, it's not literally a gift. It's like, it's almost not. It's like, it's hard to describe, but it's like, almost like sticking it to them in a way. Because he's being like, well, look at me. Like, I lost my powers saving the world. Aren't you happy now? And the first yeah. thing they're going to ask is, do you have the rent check? Yeah. No, the first thing she asks is, aren't you going to do something about your scar? <laughs> he's just come back and said, I'm not magical anymore, and she wants him to fix it. I don't understand how he's going to fix it. 
She doesn't want the neighbors to talk about it. Well, it's been there for 17, 19, 20, whatever, how many years now? Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter to Petunia. about it before. It doesn't yeah. matter to Petunia. She wants it gone. <sighs> a woman is insufferable. Yes, yes, she is. That's why we <laughs> love is. to hate her. Hermione uh-huh. listens to Hogwarts A History in the bath because she has a text-to-speech reader. Yay! <laughs> And all through it, it's going, Draco Malfoy. My last note here is just a snarky comment that this fic includes, this fic meaning Triangle Prophecy, includes four weddings and a funeral. (laughs) Good night, everybody. (laughs) Good night. Yes. So hold on to the wonder that those books brought to our Keep each other safe. Keep faith. Good night. Scott's ringing. He dropped right before I hung up on y'all. There we go. Scott. Hi. Did you disconnect the call or did it drop before I hung up? It dropped in the middle of Kayla's sentence. Oh, God. It's going to be fun. <laughs> okay. No more dropping aloud, Scott. You should just start <laughs> podcasting from my house, Scott. <laughs> Can anybody hear anything, any of that? Nope. Okay, here. it went away. I remember I'm in a hotel room. Why are you in a hotel? Because I'm in Chicago. Why are you in Chicago? Because I went to, to go see the Harry Potter oh, okay, exhibition that makes sense why you're, oh. today. I spent five hours at the museum this afternoon. Aren't you a lucky girl? It was um, fun. How many is too many chocolate-covered coffee beans? How many have you had? How many have you had? I don't know. I lost count. I didn't count. But maybe a couple handfuls? A couple handfuls? If you can't well, small handfuls. You know, like maybe maybe seven handfuls. I was really tired, and I needed my brain tonight. or else when I you start been to feel like you're going to leap like... out of your skin, you've had too many. Oh, no, yeah. not that. I'm just chatty now. <laughs> So we have a, a handyman that's been working here. You haven't scared him off yet? Nope. And the handyman. He, well, see, so yes. Just wait. I blame the story. Okay. It's the James the James Taylor version. <laughs> Let me tell my it's story. <laughs> he was ripping boards today, which means he was sawing boards up. So he was just covered in sawdust. And he came and he knocked on the door and he said, I'm going to go to lunch. And I said, do you want a broom or something to wipe yourself off? I said, no, wait. So, okay, so he leaves, and he comes back, and he's got his soda. And I said, that was a fast lunch. He's like, yeah, I'm going to sit on your porch for a while, and I'm going to just finish my drink. So that. he sits down, and he, and he takes off his shoes, and he wipes his feet and everything. Then he takes off his shirt. Now, you have to understand, this guy, God, I'm talking like you now, Kelly. Um, ah, ah, hey, there's nothing and, wrong with that. <laughs> did you offer him some lemonade? <laughs> he's covered in tattoos. <laughs> That's hot. He's a big guy. So he whips I off his shirt. Like that once. He starts wiping off his stuff. And I said, I'll just go back in the house now so you can take off your pants in peace. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, no, no, I'm not going to go that far. And I was like, okay. Oh. He's like, but you know, Uh-oh. there's sawdust everywhere. And I said, yeah, I'm sure it's worse than sand. <laughs> he looks at me and I'm like, oh, what? Oh, a bathroom I could use so that I could go take off my shorts. <laughs> I said, yeah, it's in here. So I let him go. Sue, 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 seducing the handyman. You know Scott? What?
I'm going to use duct tape on you to keep you in the call. Unless, of course, you want me to use duct tape on you for something else, but we're not going to talk about that right now. <laughs> you, you can take that many ways. <laughs> Sue got friendly with her handyman. <laughs> oh, see, now you scared him off. <laughs> he's always, he's so shy like that. <laughs> oh my gosh, this is so exciting. I just love this part. And welcome back to Peoncast. I'm he- Kelly. I'm Kayla. I'm Scott. I'm Sue. So today we are going to be recording the third in the F-series of Folly, or I guess it would be the third act of Folly in the F-series, and Folly is the seventh installment of the F-word series. Uh, this is by Anatasha, and... They're all available on his live journal. Right. Yes. And this is written as a response to the fortune cookie challenge. Yes. There is a crisis looming. Be ready for it. And the warning is folly of one kind and another. And this picks up almost immediately after two, where Ginny has left Harry and gone through the flu into the burrow. And this picks up with Harry stumbling through the flu after Ginny, dropping his broom and his rucksack. He starts to talk. And she gives him this warning flick of a chin that clearly says, look around you. And when he looks around, he sees that things are kind of strange in the burrow. Everybody is there. Everybody. They just finished doing that. Not the people in the burrow, but Ginny and Harry before they came out of the fireplace. They were also having a conversation. Well, they were having a discussion. And she says, I'm not going to try out for the harpies. And then immediately leaves. Yeah. And he's like, what do you mean you're not going to? And she stops him from saying anything because they're now in a room full of people. Mm-hmm. Right. So, and they're there for George's birthday party, yeah. which is George and Fred's birthday, birthday party. Yeah. So it's the first one since yeah. the battle. The first time it's been only George's birthday. Right. Mm-hmm. Ever. Yeah. And Mrs. Weasley is understandably looking rather upset. It's going to be a rather somber birthday. I can tell. Yeah. Well, you know, it's that whole... It's the first anniversaries. And Arthur says, perhaps you can go up and get George. Mm-hmm. Yeah, get him. And, and, and so they... They start up yeah, the stairs. Yeah, he's, he says you can get him ready, but it turns out that George hasn't left his room for the past week at least, or for some time anyway. And yeah. Mrs. Weasley can't bring herself to go in there, so they have to send someone else to go get George. And on the way up the stairs, Harry takes the chance and says, what do you mean you're not going to try out for the harpies? And she's just like, Harry? And Hermione says, Harry? And Ron's jaw drops and he says, you're not? And Ginny's eyes flash and she says, no, I'm not. And Things sort of get a little tense with that, with both Hermione and Ron trying to intervene between them. But eventually they just sort of shelve it for now and head off to George's room. Harry knows that if he's not careful, he's going to be wearing lots of bat bogies. 
because speaking of bat bogeys, I'm sorry, I have to jump in. You had a bat one bogey today? I went to the exhibit. Yes. (laughs) And in one of the cases was an owl for Theory of Charms. It was the OWL for Charms. The first spell on it was the bat bogey hex. (laughs) (laughs) It was like, yay! (laughs) No way. Yeah. They had the Bat Bogey Hex, they had Rick DeSempra, they had Levy Corpus, the, the, the Pixie okay. Charm. Is yeah. this a real Pesky, charm? Pesky, pixie Pesternomy. Yes. And that was a, uh, is it a real charm or not? Why? You know, and things like I mean, it was like, oh my god, I know all of these spells. <laughs> so did you get outstanding? <laughs> no. We're way on course. So... That bogey hex. Yes. Oh, yeah. He knows that if she gets to his wand, he's going to get hexed. And Ron says, just don't, you know, be hasty. And Ginny says, yes, a wise one. And we find out that Ron has quit the oars. He's decided that it's not for him. And he feels bad because he feels like he's leaving Harry in a lurch. But mm, he hasn't they, been happy. Right. Yeah, they planned to go through it together. But mm-hmm. It's not for him. So, so they're all on the way upstairs to get George. So Harry is like, I know that you're not happy at this. And Ron is like, you know, come on, I'm, I'm terrible. Pursuit, statute, stealth. Ah, I make Tonks look like a lethifold. Okay, the actual combat spells, the stuff you taught us in fifth year, those I was good at. And strategy. Not, yeah, that next, strategy not that the next Voldemort is going to sit down and settle things over a game of chess, but the rest... Although that would be a fun fic. I was just going to say, that would be kind of interesting. You have one hour to find a chess master. I will challenge him for control of the world. And then Uh. you will have another hour. (laughs) (laughs) So Harry says, I understand. And Ron is like, you know, you're not upset. And he says, no, I understand. He gives Ron a big old hug and Hermione joins in on the hug and Ginny just glares at him. Right. But yeah, poor Ron, he's probably feeling or he had probably had been really I guess hesitant to, to tell Harry and I was I don't know Hermione had already well, known. That actually but... did come up in one of the earlier parts. There were a couple of there was a little bit of a mystery through part one and part two that Ron had just been to a meeting with the head orer and wasn't telling anybody what it was about. Right. And I guess oh. that was him resigning. Yes. Yeah, but I could kind of understand. I mean, especially with all that had happened in Deathly Hallows. And he, I mean, he'll probably still feel guilt in some way for the rest of his life about that, feeling like he really let them down. Yeah, but he stuff. came back. But, yeah, and that's that's the yeah. important part. But I mean... And that's what Harry tells I think him. you'd always kind of have that, being that person in the back of your mind, though. Like, you'd want to be further trying to prove yourself to your friends to prove that you're not that person, you know? But the thing is... His friends are like, we know you're not that person. You don't need to prove yeah. it to us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. But I could kind of see Ron. Still, Ron like would, though. Yeah. He yeah. Was, and I know like I would, too. First year. He always wanted to prove himself better than mm-hmm. the rest of his brothers. Anyway. Yeah. Harry sort of recognizes that Ginny is not getting any calmer and sort of says, um, weren't we up here to get George? And so, so they go in. They knock on the door, and they're like, you know, come on, we need you to come. Cream juice is all gone. No answer. Yeah. I, I liked what Ron said here. Boy, old man, come on down to the party before all the prune juice is gone. Ooh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's because cute. Because he's now 
terribly ancient, being like what twenty four. Twenty one is that how old he's going to be? Yeah. Old balls yeah. first. Yes, ancient. Kelly but, and I have walkers yeah. now. <laughs> and uh, so no answer, nothing happens, and Hermione, who's already had a full blown panic attack over Luna, is starting to get upset again. So they kind of open the door and go in, and they find him curled up on Fred's bed and curled up so tight that they can't hardly see any of his face. I thought it was really interesting the word that they used here because Harry starts for George because his first responder training has kicked in. And I I got a kick out of the first responder word because that's Mm -hmm. not something I would associate kind of with a wizard. Or as EMT sort of people. Yeah. Well, yes and no, because they would need to know what exactly what's going on, what spells, whatnot. Yeah, I, it's not that they would know how to do those things. It was just it being called first responder. I don't know. That just kind of just resonated with me. It was just like, okay, that's weird. And maybe because I've had the EMT training and stuff like that, and that's why I picked it up. I don't know. But it was something that I just was like, okay, that's weird. So. Yeah, and it's interesting that the entire room has basically been stripped because it mm-hmm. used to be full of all their prank supplies and everything was like bright purple and yellow and orange and it's everything now is beige and the bed that George is curled up on is actually Fred's bed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but the pale yellow bedspread on it instead of the bright purple that used to be there. Well, they don't live there. Mm, that's true. And Molly has redecorated this room. You okay. almost kind of wonder too if he's that. even really been back, you know, since. Losing Fred? You know, I don't think he has. That would be hard. See, I thought he'd done it, just sort of as a... But I could see Molly having done that as well. Mm -hmm. You know, it's kind of like, we've shipped you off to college, and oh, by the way, we've made your bedroom into the gym. (laughs) Yeah, and who (laughs) knows? It might have even been, you know, stripped before the battle. You know, once they had moved out and they had their flat and Diagon Ali and... Well, yeah, they'd been gone for two years by the time that Battle yeah. of Hogwarts rolled around. And we know that they've That's used true. this room for guests before because this is where Harry ended up and oh, things like right. that. So there was still things in there from the twins, but I could see that Molly could have cleaned it out. And... Mm-hmm. So even though Harry immediately starts for George and Ron's one step behind him, Ginny still beats everybody to him. And she takes his pulse and realizes that he's still alive, because for a moment there, they weren't sure. And she kind of waves them all away, and she says, It's awful. No, don't worry. I'll be okay. It's just awful. And she wraps her arms around him and starts, you know, just hugging him and holding him. Mm-hmm. And he just starts sobbing. Oh. Yeah, he. she doesn't say, Don't worry, or it'll be okay. She says, It's just, awful. It's awful. Yeah. I was looking at that going, something's wrong with what I'm saying. Yeah, you have to look at that out. If you look at this the way that it looks, you have to look at the italics because it says, no, no, don't worry, or no, it'll be okay, or no, you know, what's wrong? Mm -hmm. It's just, it's awful. Yeah. Yeah. He's using the italics in place of quotation marks. I think the line, um, but quickly Harry realized that the sound was neither more or less then a year suppressed sobbing. George twisted in his sister's arms, throwing one brawny arm around her waist, and began to bawl. God, I think I did too. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That was just. Oh. That's George. So Ginny is holding him while he's sobbing in her arms, 
And um, first time he's cried since you sort of get the impression. Yeah, and, and he cries until he can't cry anymore. And then he says, "Do you know what today is?" And they all sort of look blank because, of course, it's Fred and George's birthday. But that's not what he's talking about. No, and they find out that Fred, Fred is yeah. to ask Angelina to marry him. Yeah, it was going to be a great joke. Mm-hmm. And Percy I like comes that up. It's Percy who brings that up, because George is trying to tell them about this, and he can't bring himself to, but Percy comes in and fills them in, because I guess Angelina's just shown up, and she's not in great state either. But then when George says that about being a great joke, Percy says, yes, I suppose it's so he'd never forget his anniversary. <laughs> you know, my, grand- oh, good one. <laughs> my grandparents' anniversary is April 1st. No yeah. way. They were married on April Fool's Day, yeah. That's <laughs> cool. Funny. They were married on April Fool's Day in 1946, oh. and they just celebrated their 63rd wedding anniversary. That's cool. Yeah, oh, Damn, long time to be married. <laughs> <laughs> so Harry's ready to go kick Percy in the shins when he hears the choked, vibrating sound come out of George again, and this time it's George laughing. Yes. And then Ginny starts laughing, and then Ron and Harry start laughing, and even Hermione starts to titter behind her handkerchief. Then Ron sort of says, you know, it sounds like Angelina could use her help, and that giving George something to do gets him out of some of his own funk, I guess. Mm-hmm. He heads off to get the party started. But as they're on their way out, Percy tells him, tells Harry that, Percy's mom and dad are waiting for him because Harry has sent them an owl asking to meet with them. And Harry's totally forgotten that he's done this. And he looks at Percy blankly like, is this another joke? And then he remembers that he had planned on talking to them to basically ask for Ginny's hand in marriage. And now he's like, I don't know if I want to do this right now because of all these other things going on. But he heads upstairs to their room anyway. (laughs) Mainly because Ginny is mad at him. (laughs) Yeah. Yes, clearly not happy with capitals. No. <laughs> she's not happy with them very often. Well, she's not... Think about this, though. I mean... I know, but... She's having she kind of sounds problems. like my sister. She's not happy with him because of the Horcrux hunt, and she's not happy with him because he's not supporting her in this thing with the harpies. Mm-hmm. That's the whole reason she's mad at him. Yeah. <laughs> The sex is great. It's course, the everything else problem that we're having an issue with. <laughs> and of course, this is the first thing to come out of Perry's mouth when he meets the Weasleys. Other than what he was planning on talking about, he's like, did you know she's going to not try over the Arby's? And they're like, um, no, we hadn't heard that was that we wanted to talk about. <laughs> yeah. You know, and he's like, she's got to try out, doesn't she? Ah, um... Harry, in my experience when women in general, and with Ginny in particular, it isn't a matter of letting. They're going to do what they want anyway, and if you try to stop them, you're going to find yourself paying for it for quite a long time to come. <laughs> <laughs> Good advice, Mr. Weasley. Yes. Uh-huh. So Harry sputters for a bit, but eventually he sort of comes around. And Oh, this is funny. Years. I liked this. this is, now, was that the reason you wanted to talk to us? Uh, no, I, that is, Ginny, Ken, Will, May, and then he runs out of steam. (laughs) (laughs) Miss Weasley just looks at him and continues just sitting there until 
Mrs. Weasley gets impatient and says, Oh, for heaven's sake, of course, you can marry her. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because they kind of knew it was coming. And they, I love that they say, you're the only one that we would consider good enough for her because you're part of the family. Mr. Weasley says he's the only one stubborn enough to stop with her. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's so sweet. Aww. Aww. (laughs) And then he's like, uh, okay. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, let's let's go party. Yeah, let's party. So they're partying. It's an interesting little transition in that Harry remembers everything that we read about in these first three parts up to now. And he remembers things that happened after the party, but pretty much the entire party is just a blur. Right. Mm-hmm. But he does remember one thing in particular, where he sits down and he's talking to Angelina. And Angelina is not looking well either. No. And he says, I'm so sorry about Fred, Angelina. And she says, thanks. Can I tell you a joke? Uh, sure. I loved Fred. Don't get me wrong. But George was always the one I fancied. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, Apparently, she thought back in book four that it was George who was yelling across the common room whether she wanted to go to the Eagle Ball. <laughs> and not Fred. <laughs> It's hard when you have two twins, or if you have a twin that you like, it's it, it can get kind of confusing sometimes. I've been in that position. So, so yeah. So now she kind of <laughs> thinks nothing is going to work out because, of course... Because we have the ghost both, of Fred. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. They could both use someone right now, but every time they look at each other, they think about Fred. Right. So mm-hmm. nothing is going to ever happen. And then we have a little flash forward where Harry muses that he remembers this moment three or four times when George and Angelina were getting married, for example, and when they had their first child and things like that. So, obviously, it did actually work out. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that's kind of a cute backstory to uh, the 15 years um, epilogue that we gotten in the book, and that's how they had gotten together, and Mm -hmm. even though we had known, like, in the books, yeah, that, that was neat how that was explained. Yeah. And I like the last line at the end of this little section. Love is like the grass pushing up through the cracks in a city street. People can try to pretend that they can conquer it, or that it isn't there, but it always comes back. Yep. Yeah. That's a good line. That's deep. And it's really true. I I had to spend a summer one time taking the grass out of medians on the highway, and they <laughs> always came back. So the next thing we have is Ginny off and running, and Harry is like, I need to talk to you. Mm-hmm. I like that it says... She led him out towards the paddock, steam flowing back over the silver-washed red of her hair. She's mad. <laughs> There's steam coming out. She's mad. And then she says, I'm furious with you. And he says, I know. Do you know, do you? Do you know why? And he says, I'm not sure. <laughs> and she says, neither am I. Or the worst answer he could possibly give. But fortunately... She's not That's such sure. a classic man and woman argument. <laughs> yeah, she's not sure why she's mad at him either. I mean, I know what you bloody said that set me off. No one likes to make a bloody decision and be told it was the wrong bloody one. I wanted to bite your bloody head off. And then, of course, it was all okay for Ron to bloody quit. But the thing is, I know you were right. Bloody right. <laughs> bloody right. Bloody, 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 bloody. Bloody, right. Apparently that's what Ginny does when she really gets it worked up. Yeah, she, yeah, she really likes that word. That's not the last time either. It's like, I knew you were bloody right. And Harry was like, 
You you do? Of course I bloody do. I've been sneaking <laughs> out here since I was fly since I was tall enough to open the latch on the broom shed. I love flying. I love playing footage. It's me. It's who I am. A chance to play for the bloody harpies is a bloody a dream come true. And she's still steaming. <laughs> yeah. Gouts yeah. of steam coming from her nostrils. It's it because must it's be cold. Yeah. yeah. Bring it's a chill Canada. April night, apparently. Yes. She has decided that really he's right and she should go to the tryouts. She just, she can't bear to go and not make it. Yeah. Can't oh, and through all of this, failing. Harry once again gets reminded of the first part with Neville kissing Ginny <laughs> that has to take his mind away from that for a moment because he's supposed to be listening to her. She kind of brought it up. Well, not in that context, but she's like, she's saying how she's scared of failing of everyone looking at me as if there's so little bloody little I've accomplished on my own compared to you, say, or Hermione, or my get of a brother, or or Neville. Yeah. Had their mind me. I know you're going to say I have, or that you love me no matter what, or something else is just as lovely, but Harry, there are three bloody things in my whole life that I've ever been truly proud of. One was the DA last year. And hey, when the DA joined the battle last year, where did I start the night, Harry? Another was Gwenog Bloody Jones asking me to try out. And the other was you. You saying, you know. I love you. <laughs> <laughs> she, of course, grins at him, but she's still mad. <laughs> yes. <laughs> because oh, yeah. those are the three things that are the greatest in her life. She can't imagine losing one. Mm-hmm. And he takes this as a wonderful cue. And he says, and she says, yes. And then he says, till death do us part? Yes. There's no question. pulls out the ring that he's been dropping every time he's touched it. And this time he's got it rock steady in his hand. And he slips the ring on her finger and he says, me too. And they look down at her hand and she frowns and says, but. And he says, you'll be brilliant. Even if you don't end up making the team this time. No one will think any less of you. Definitely not me. I'm not going anywhere. Aw. Yeah. Aw. And then he tells her, this is why this person's retiring, this, 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 this. You cannot tell me that there are two chasers your age who are better than you. Because Mm -hmm. if one person beats you out, there's not going to be two of them that will. And then she says, so you're saying if I get in, it's not a big deal. He says, of course not. Yeah. (laughs) She's not falling for that. And she says, you meant it, right, getting married? And he said, yes. Was that what you had you so jumpy today? A bit. (laughs) And then he tells her about Neville. Neville. (laughs) He's like, it's me, really? Oh, right, yeah, forgot. He's like, that's good. (laughs) Lucky me. You want to get lucky, do you, Harry? Her eyes were dark with promise. Uh, Yeah, he chases her around the paddock and then (laughs) tackles her back onto the blanket. Okay, he says I get to do this for the rest of my life. <laughs> Chase her around the paddock. Chase her around the paddock. As their embrace passed from the snog to something more, Ginny groaned and pulled Harry tight. April Fool, she sighed. April Fool, he thought, and released himself utterly to the moment and to folly. The end. So it was cute. And apparently this was the end of the F word cycle. This we did that he attended on writing. <laughs> the same sort of, um, in the same time period. And then it says in the author's note here that he's planning one epilogue. Actually, he wrote two epilogues, and we'll mm-hmm. probably cover those next week. I think it's 
30 years or 25 years or something after the period of time that these first seven or so were in. Well, he calls them seven because folly is in three parts, and there's also the drabble called fume, but that doesn't count as a number. Mm -hmm. And then they were all pretty much right after the year after Hogwarts, and then there's these two that are 30 years on. And it looks like he was intentionally just going to do one called Fortune, and it ended up doing Fortune and Fireworks. (laughs) Yes. So Mm -hmm. that was kind of fun. I I like these. I like the whole Folly series, from the Confessions to Luna, you know, showing up in skis and purple and green. Purple and green for her. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Just being strange for her. And then this one, just, it was so touching. I felt myself choking up so many times during the reading of this with George and, you know, laughing at Percy, making jokes, which Percy never does. And then somehow I can just hear him saying that one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And Harry and Ginny working things out and, and Ron quitting. I mean, that that kind of was like, oh, no, but okay. And, yeah, it, this was a really neat series. Yeah. Uh-huh. This one wraps up all the little mysteries that he had going through the entire first seven because Ron quitting from the Aurors and Ginny quitting, only not quitting, from the Harpies were sort of hidden. And... Um, that Harry was going to talk to the Weasleys about something and what it was. We could sort of guess what that was, but he refused to tell anyone else. Mm-hmm. Those were all wrapped up in this one. They were cute. I've enjoyed the entire F-Word series from mm-hmm. start to finish here. So I liked it all, too. He's really good at being able to pick up on all that and imagining everything pretty close to canon and making it more canon-like, I guess. I don't know what I'm trying to say. <laughs> But I think you guys know what I mean. He it followed- is very authentic. Yes. Yeah, that's a good word. It's a good expansion of the canon. It doesn't take you too far into a land. Not too It's like little nice moments mm-hmm. over the years. There's a good balance of the happy moments and the sad moments, particularly in this one specifically, but in the series as a whole as well. Mm-hmm. Folly in particular was a good little mini-series within it. Yeah, and it came um, in bits and chunks, so it was kind of neat to be able to put them all together. Well, I think that wraps up this uh, fic for us. Yeah, we'll be covering the other two next week, so you will have to come and listen to them. Right. And then we will have to move on to other authors' things, which will be a little weird after all of this. But <laughs> but we have stuff already set up. They're all sounding pretty good, and we're hoping that you're enjoying all of our blathering <laughs> <laughs> or one yes, go post in the forum so we know what you think. Yes, let us know how you think we're doing. So yeah. I guess we can say good night. Okay, good night. Good night, everybody. Good night, everyone. Good night. Or as Kayla says, bye. 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 <laughs> <laughs> she only said it once. <laughs> I've been saying it a few times now. It's almost like I'm. I should be saying it now because I'm it's almost like good night. Bye. 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 I'm not drunk. <laughs> oh, God, you're drunk. Uh-oh. I'm not. I'm not. What do you think I am? You're a little person. How much did you drink? 
Actually, not much. Not much. It doesn't take much to get me drunk. <laughs> <laughs> Calling Barb. Everyone, best behavior. Melinda, scale of one yes, to ten. Sir. How drunk are you, Melinda? No, not drunk at all. I've had about two sips. Guzzle. <laughs> Guzzle. Like, I've already had one beer. I am working on the second one. I'll probably... wearing a cone on your head by the time this is over. P.S. You're, you're too far gone. Just drink coffee. All right, we're I have red hots. Hold on. Let me double check and make sure this is the right number. Because what do you do if it's, like, not Barb who answers? Are you like, um, I'm sorry. <laughs> can can I speak around. to Barb? Just, yeah. Can I speak to the We're woman? some crazy podcasters. Exactly. All right. We're... Hello. Hello. Hi. Hi, is this Barb? Yes. Oh, thank God. We were like, what do we do if we get some random person on the phone and we have to explain that we're Harry Potter podcasters trying to... <laughs> well, thanks for coming here tonight. We're, we're packed with fanboys and fangirls. I hope that's all right. <laughs> okay. No problem. All right. Now, before I introduce everybody, I just have to ask you one question. Have you okay. listened to any of the episodes yet? I've actually listened to all of them. Oh, my God. That destroys our entire theory because we were going to be like, I hope you haven't heard them yet. (laughs) Would you rather I hadn't listened to them? I don't know. Every time I listen to it, I'm like, I hope Barb has a sense of humor and then release. And then I do the same (laughs) every single time. Well, I I did make some notes because there were times when people were like saying, why this or or just you know I wonder if so I do have a, a few like answers to your questions actually. I, ho- from I hope you podcasts. have theories on on the penguin sex issue. If you have any thoughts on that, <laughs> we can prioritize that. Mike can't I be here tonight. Very. Don't hard. know if I can really verbalize anything about that right now. It just kind of comes out. It slips out. We don't know how to stop that from happening. We don't know what to do with that. Sorry. Okay. We almost recorded a thingy for that. Melinda Leo, she is obviously, Barb, if you haven't met her, she's the author of Power of Emotion, Curse of the Damned. She has several young children in the house right now, and she's wearing a cone on her head. She's a little tipsy. Hi. We're we're trying to scare Barb as much as possible. We have uh, Aaron over here. Aaron is one of the hosts of Spellcast and he's very excited to talk to you again. Yes. Oh, Aaron, you're the one yes. who told me in San Francisco you were reading Time of Good Intentions on your Kindle. I remember that. And four months later, I'm still in the middle of Triangle Prophecy. I've been slugging okay. through it. It's just so... It's just so it's, 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 it's very dense. Sorry. This Go is ahead. a very great... It is, it is a bit dense. I, I don't disagree with that. It's a great story to listen to if you're an astronaut and you're on a trip to Mars and you've just got downtime on the flight. We have Deathrill. Deathrill, say hi. Hello, Barb. Pleasure to speak hi. with you. Oh, well, you've listened to these. You know who these people are. And we have uh, P.S. Oh, what? Hi. You're, you're get... right. You're going to mention Melinda's Okay, I'm looking at the clock here. I'm like, we're 10 minutes late starting. She I love has Do you... Oh, P.S. loves Horace Slughorn, and she really is drunk right now. Is that all right? I'm not drunk. You have a very okay. Meta- you have a very light <laughs> metabolism. I'm not drunk. A little bit, just a little bit. You are the reason bit. the PS still believes in Harry Potter fan fiction. You you led to her creative reawakening as a person. Death Row wrote "Till You Shook Hands," which is a very alternative and realistic AU fic about Harry and Slytherin that we once yeah. covered on this very podcast. And I will add here, just to get it out of the way, Barb, you inspired that. Thank you. Okay. You're welcome. (laughs) The time of good intentions sparked my creative juices, and here I am 400,000 words later, and we're still going. So, thank you. Damn you. And... He wants to make it twice as long as your as your thing said be the ultimate. All right, uh, my story in total is now as long as Triangle Prophecy. That's my longest fic too, and that's saying something. Four hundred thirty-six thousand words. 
Well, let's talk to Barb. Let's let's talk to Barb about the story. <laughs> Hi, Barb. All right, now you've you've listened to the, like lunatic people discuss your creative work for God and knows how many and skunks and all kinds of things. We've got Melinda over here. We covered Melinda's story, and there was a boat incident in that story that we're still talking about three years later. Two Melinda, boat, in- boat yeah. incidents. Like Melinda was trying to shove her head into a blender. It was bad. All right, so now you've been listening. You've been taking notes. Yeah, what but I you- think penguins take care of that now. Completely. <laughs> Mike, you never know what Mike's going to come up with. Now, you've been, you've probably wanted to reach through your speakers and like grab us and shake us and scream something at us for the last however many weeks. What is that that you would like to scream at us? It's Gemma Longbottom, not Gemma. Yes, I I'm sorry. She's the stupidest cop ever. I'm sorry. I don't care if I can let me turn my I'm back sorry. to you, murderer of your mother. Well, I, just so you know, too, I was just having a discussion with Melinda right before we started here. Now, Melinda's a big, big Harry fan. Loves Harry. She knocks him down the stairs all the time when she writes him. And he, always, <laughs> he has like a broken hip at the end of every Melinda Leo fic, but she loves Harry. And she's at the end of it. She's like, and, she, and, and she's not a Draco fan. Not a Draco fan. Okay. So she's like, I can't, be, I, I can't believe he gave up his magic for Draco Malfoy. Why would he give up his magic for Draco Malfoy? Why are you doing that? And I'm like, well, Katie Bell's foot exploded. You wouldn't want Harry's foot to explode. (laughs) (laughs) No, I loved Triangle Prophecy. I read the beginning chapters as that was being posted over and over and over and over. But I was disappointed at the end for Draco Malfoy. (laughs) Oh, no. Oh, I know. No, you're not alone. You're not alone. I know exactly what you mean, because I've heard from a lot of folks who are exactly where you are. And I just, I felt like I set it up in the second pick, though. The, the world in which they had grown up together and had become really, really good friends. And that was part of the point. Yeah, he wasn't saving Draco the Schmo from the fourth book. But I understand feeling that way, because you're definitely not alone. No, I just, that, that bummed me out. But I love mm. the rest of the fix. <laughs> <laughs> She's like banging her head into her keyboard. I'm like, Melinda, it's all right. You got to pull yourself together. We got the podcast in 20 minutes. You started at the end. I thought we were going to go through all the good we stuff. We were going to go through the beginning. Oh, I was you picturing, as you were talking about Gemma Longbottom, yeah. I don't know why. All I could picture was Katie Bell's foot exploding during that entire part. So I jumped to the end. All right, we will start at the beginning. Sorry about the black bikini. I really apologize. I'm like, oh my God, we're still talking about the bikini. It's 25 minutes, 30 minutes in. We're still talking about the bikini. All right, who would like to start this off tonight? I want to say something that has to do with the beginning because I have to say that for years, now I've been in the fandom since, God, since like 2002. So this was the fic I always started, but I never made it past the black bikini. I have to admit that. <laughs> I never I never made it that far because I am not a Harry Hermione shipper. The black bikini right. is like a test. Now. I could never get past it for how many years is it? Like six years. And then Ryan made me read it. And I got past, I forced myself to get past the black bikini, and I loved it. I have to say, I just want to get that out there. It rekindled my marriage to Harry Potter, I like to say, because I'm becoming multi-fandom, I can attest to. And Harry Potter had been fading from my mind at that point in my life, but Psychic Serpent was like a real, a dose of nostalgia, because it was, it was from those beginning early days of fandom where we had three more books left and everyone was so optimistic about the future. So I I have to ask you, what was it like sitting there having the first four books and seeing your way to the end? How how did that process, how did that strike you? Like, where did you get the idea to do it? Well, you know, it it was so long ago now. That's so strange to think of because we're almost at the end of 2009 and it was was Christmas of 2000 that I bought the four existing books from us. And of course, like a lot of 
parents, you start off reading the book to your kid and you read the first chapter. And then my husband would have been the one to read the second chapter the next night because we rotate on and off and I would have been reading to his sister the next night. And I didn't want to come back the night after that to the third chapter. And so the next day I just said <laughs> through the whole first book by myself, of course. And then the whole rest of the book, my son's asking, why is this happening? What's happening there? And I have to keep biting my tongue saying, you really don't want to know, do you? Because I know what happens and you don't want me to tell you now, do you? So I had to, you know, not spoil it for him. And I whipped through the first four books pretty quickly because I wanted to know what happened. And then I went online looking for fanfic because I assumed somebody had to have had other thoughts about what happened in the story after this point. And of course, tons of people did, although at that point in January of 2001, there were near, of course, the number of six that are online today. Fanfic.net had a laughably small number of Harry Potter fix compared to today, in fact, when you think about it. And what I found was that there were a lot of post-Hogwarts fix. You know, Harry had already defeated Voldemort, and this is his adult life. And I found so many of those, but I was kind of looking for the next step. I was both looking for Harry after Goblet of Fire, but also in that kind of format that J.K. Rowling gave us, where the, the format of the story is a school year for Harry. And there's a, a big bad for the year. You know, there's a there is a resident villain for the year, a new BADA teacher, you know, the, the kinds of elements that she brought to each of the first four books. And I wasn't really finding that. I was finding one-shots. I was finding summer romances. I was finding, you know, the post-Hogwarts thing. So basically, I sat down and decided to write the story I wanted to read. I think mm-hmm. that's how most people start. I think that's how I started, I know. Yeah, I think it's how lots of people do. So um, because even... I couldn't really find that. You couldn't find what you were looking for, yeah? Yeah. yeah. It's interesting because there's a lot of, nowadays, there's, there seems to be a lot of those that kind seems of like the can- most common. canon-esque trope yeah. is the, the book thick, what I like to call the book thick. Yeah. Given your desire to, to write a book thick, how did you decide to make Time of Good Intentions so different in the sense that it's set in the AU? Because it's not right. really book sticks because we don't get to see what's going on in the quote-unquote real world during that time period. It's just this AU. So how did you decide to do such a different format for that thick? Yeah, that that was the you know the departure in the middle of the trilogy, and I I decided to have some fun with it because I I thought on the one hand I I do want to do a fifth year book that's sort of like with the format that she has sort of laid down as the uh, the template, but then I thought I wanted to sort of throw a hook in there in the middle and do something a little bit different, um, and I was basically inspired by that bit in the first book where it almost seems like Harry and Draco could be friends and you know and that's where they shook hands came from of course obviously thank you a reference to that <laughs> but, but I think you know I think lots of people were intrigued by that that what if moment and also of course Harry under the, the sorting hat and that what if moment when he had the choice to be in Slytherin or a different house and so there were there were that, those there were a lot of moments that build up in canon that were what-if moments for me. I thought pretty early on, for instance, that Snape didn't just hate James because he saved his life. Come on. He, he <laughs> hated him. It was pretty clear to me because he got Lily. And so That's I saw crazy. all these things. You know, hating someone just, just saved, for saving your life, even if they're the biggest bully in school who's been giving you grief for years, still didn't quite hang together for me. What so there were all these that- things in canon you know, that were big what-if moments for me. I thought, well, what if I combined all that stuff? And it all sort of came to fruition in this alternate universe. Because, and, and also just the issue of Voldemort kind of manipulating Harry by trying to give him exactly what he wanted. So it all kind of added up to it would all best be addressed 
in this alternate universe. What did you end up thinking of Deathly Hollows about the way it really did end? What were your thoughts when after you read that book? Well, I would say that um, I really agree with J.K. Rowling that the last two books are really kind of one book that's been split into two bits um, because I, I think that my reaction is really to the last two books where we get the introduction of the Horcruxes. And so we find out that the big difference between Harry and Voldemort ultimately is that Harry is a whole and integrated personality and Voldemort is a splintered personality. And she really weaves the theme of wholeness versus splintering throughout the entire series but doesn't really elucidate it to the sixth book. You really get it on the page then instead of strongly implied before that. And I think that's why Harry never mastered Aquaman. He was never able to divide up his brain that way he was supposed to in order to keep Voldemort out he was whole and integrated. It was really a good thing he couldn't do that because that's who he was, a whole person. Then when that continued in the seventh book, the, the storyline of the Horcruxes and hunting them down in order to make Voldemort vulnerable, we continued to get that wholeness versus splintering theme. And so I thought that it was really masterful the way she carried that through, the way she had hinted at it earlier and then finally revealed, gave us the big reveal in book six about what was really going on. So um, I really enjoyed the conclusion of the series and I thought that the, the construction of it was amazing. I have to ask, what do you think of the epilogue? I have no problems with the epilogue. <laughs> okay, good. I just had to, everyone has to ask. We had to go I, there. I think it's what she pictured for Harry all along, and she wanted him to finally be happy because she, you know, she has said many times, and I was actually at one of the Radio City Music Hall okay. events, Harry Carey and Garp, and she hung, she hung her head and said, I've been so mean to Harry. <laughs> and you can tell she felt so bad about it. Melinda, take She wanted to be nice to him finally, you know? She wanted to be nice to him. Well, yeah. I'm not sure if you've ever read any of Melinda stuff that we joke with her. There's one scene where he's chained to the wall and they break his kneecaps. And I'm thinking, Melinda's always yelling at people for being mean to Harry. You hypocrite. Okay, well, I, I've been mean to Harry, too. So, in, in, in these six, I've been horrible to him at times. So, I understand, definitely, where she's he coming from. He just gave him a dark mark. blind to them. Killed everybody he, he knows and loves. Yeah. Well, there was that. There was that, too. He didn't get hit by a car, though. Everyone else seemed to get hit by a car. And he didn't get a flat tire. <laughs> Can I ask you a question? I have to ask this. Did you have, like, Google Earth up? Was that around when you were writing? Because <laughs> it was when they were driving through the countryside and all their field trips. You knew exactly where they all died. It was, I think it was MapQuest, actually. Take <laughs> <laughs> a left on Elm. You can tell this fic was written in 2001. Nobody uses MapQuest right, I don't anymore. think, uh, yeah, or, or I think that wasn't the name of it. I, it's actually, I've got the link on the little page I've got on my, um, my computer that I use for that, where I've got, you know, all the links I regularly use, and it was this map program that covered Europe and England. Multimap, that's what it is. Multimap.com. So that's how I, that's how I researched their cross-country trip. It was, it was hysterical. I'm like, I feel like I'm in the car with them. Like, it's like we're driving down the coast. My favorite had to be, though, when they go to Maggie the second time, and they tell Maggie she's a Weasley. Like, within 20 minutes, she's on the road trip with them, and Molly's in the potted plant, which I love. That was kind of funny. Well, a question actually on the subject of the cross-country trip. I brought it up in in the podcast on Time of Good Intentions. What was Riddle in the diary thinking when all of a sudden Harry and Draco show up 100 miles from where they used to be? Because they're flying. Well, I think that it's pretty clear later on when he's out of the diary finally that he was somewhat suspicious of what they were telling him and the truthfulness 
or lack thereof, and that he was actually delving into Draco's mind a little bit. And before he actually, you see Draco kind of a, as a shell lying on the cot. And so he knew a lot more than he was letting on when he was sort of conversing through the medium of the diary with Harry. So what he was thinking was exactly what was happening, which is that the two of them are on this mission that they're claiming is one thing that probably isn't quite that and he's going to be very much on his guard at the point when he is, has enough power to leave the diary. So I thought anyway, I'm hoping, but I made it fairly clear that when he emerged from the diary, he didn't just buy everything they were telling him lock, stock, and barrel. It just seemed like that was one of the things that would have aroused his suspicion. I just assumed he because didn't have one the map of West yeah. Grimm and he wasn't clear on the fact <laughs> that they had traveled so far. Maybe yeah. he didn't have access to it. Yeah, well, it's just mm-hmm. they go, there's no description of going from town A to town B because they were flying and I didn't think they had told Riddle that they were flying. So if I were Riddle, that would have raised my suspicions. I just wanted to ask, because I can't remember if I covered this in the podcast, does Draco die in the AU world before to bring Riddle back? He is sort of very close to death the same way that Ginny is very close to death in the chamber, but and at the same time, Riddle is strengthening still. If he had remained a reality outside of the diary for longer, Draco would have died, just as Ginny would have died. At the, at the point that the diary is destroyed, it hasn't gone that far, so it's very close. I never thought he did the first time I read it, and I think there might have been a line in there that he sacrificed himself, so I didn't know if he meant it literally or just, you know, 98% of the way there, but I wasn't sure. Well, he gave a lot of his life force in order to allow to leave the diary, which is what allowed then Harry to do the tandem spell again. So that was a sacrifice because he was he was risking his life to do that. He didn't know that he wouldn't die from that. Well, I thought it was interesting that Riddle went even further in this AU than he did with Jenny in the Chamber of Secrets. Because if I remember correctly, in the Chamber, Riddle couldn't do magic necessarily with the wand and in the story you've told he's doing a tandem spell i I thought that was very interesting well he was still i I think that he was a little bit weaker still in the chamber he was getting to the point where he could harry could still kind of see through him at times i think Mm -hmm. so i think there wasn't as much of a progression that had occurred there i think people can see through you you probably can't do music (laughs) yeah he he was (laughs) substantial enough to hold harry's wand and trace letters in the air but that's really about it and Mm. the only reason i can think of for why he kind of magic when you think about it. He was doing some magic. You know, having letters appear magically in the air because he's manipulating the wand is a a low level of magic, perhaps. True. It just shows you that Tom Riddle has a flair for the dramatic because he wanted to summon the basilisk and have him eat it. Yeah. Well, look at the trip he just yeah. went on. He, he, he's he's in the diary. He's like, okay, you can picture him in his little desk in the diary. Okay, where are we now? <laughs> we, 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 we've been taken in by the Jews. We'll be, we'll be right back. Like, like, oh, for the love of God, where are we? I had a question about kind of the premise of the first spec is called, of course, Harry Potter and the Psychic Serpent. What made you come up with the idea that snakes had the site, why did you decide to base the first fake off of that? Well, there were there were a few different things. I mean, first, I thought, you know, after we saw Harry speak parcel tongue to the big snake in the first book, and that went after Dudley, and then we find out in the second book what that really means, that he's got this similarity with Voldemort, that it's something that's, what was it, we also, I think, heard it was Salazar Slytherin at the time, too, was a parcel tongue. So we got that, and he can hear the basilisk, all that sort of thing. And then we got two more books where there's nothing really that emerges that has to do with his parcel tongue ability. And I thought, well, that's kind of interesting that we just get that in the 
at being important in the second book. We get a little hint of it in the first. I thought it might be interesting if there was something else that came up in a story that had to do with Harry and his parcel tongue ability. So I thought, well, but what could it be that's actually useful? And then I thought, oh, gosh, Harry and Ron think divination is just the stupidest thing on the planet. What if it was being able to see the future? <laughs> because they're so disdainful anytime they're in Trelawney's class. And everyone around them, especially Hermione, is very disdainful. The two McGonagall really poo-poos the idea of divination when they when she knows they first started taking her class. And she tries to, you know, basically set their minds at ease when she, she finds out that, of course, Trelawney has predicted the death of one of the students early in the semester, that sort of thing. So I thought, well, you know, you take an ability he has he doesn't use much and you combine it with um, something that he really thinks is ridiculous and doesn't even believe in completely. And that could get kind of interesting. <laughs> now, obviously, you've said you have children. You're, you're leaving your imprint on the world. You know, after you're gone, you know, you will be remembered always for, you know, the things you leave in this world. I, I need to know, when you wake up in the morning and you just and you just pause and reflect, how does it feel to know that you have spawned, you know, the, the continuum that is landscaper Harry? <laughs> how does it oh, feel? Oh, so much guilt. Oh, so much <laughs> I know. I've, I, I it's funny. One thing I heard folks saying a lot during your podcast was, well, it seems cliched now, but this was probably where it started. I know that I am to blame for so much, and I, I hang my head. And I admit it. But you know what? I also have to say that many of the same moments that made you all go, WTF, they also make me face palm and say to myself, now, good God, what was I thinking? And then years later, you look back at them, and, you're, and, you're, and you do think, oh, God, what was I thinking? <laughs> <laughs> well, the funny thing was, one, um, Keza, one of our hosts, is from Australia. So every time we touch upon, you know, something in America or something in England, we have to stop. And it, like tonight, I had to explain to her Parliament, like even though she has one, so we usually have to stop. And it was hysterical when you were having Hermione get very upset over dismantling of the national health system. I'm like, oh my god, they're still trying to figure out the damn public option. This was eight years ago. Come on, <laughs> Barb. Thank you so much for not writing another five thousand words where Hermione totes the merits of the NHS. <laughs> Thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> no, I didn't feel inclined to, to go there, no. Mm-hmm. But it's funny. I have to say that Mike's interpretation of the tarot reading in Chapter 8 got to be the most <laughs> hilarious version I've Hold on, Harry doesn't desire Petunia? No. When Harry decides that's Cho, that's because it's Cho. And the the thing, and I know he thought that was a misdirection, that, oh, well, you know, we're we're fearing that right away, so that can't be it. But Harry doesn't guess everything in the tarot reading right off. But I didn't want him to come off as a complete idiot and not guess anything. So there's a little from column A, a little from column B. But the thing about Cho, I thought, was fairly obvious. That's what I thought Harry would do. Like to have so, so Mike gave me a good giggle on that every oh, time he so brought up Petunia being the one that he desired. But you know what? It, it gets even worse. You know, you know Robert from Spellcast. Well, okay, Aaron over here knows Robert too because you know they both work on Spellcast. Mike is under the impression that means they live together and want to raise a family together. We have been trying to convince him for twenty weeks that they are not a gay couple trying to make it in America. I even have had. 
Aaron sit down with Mike and try and explain it to Mike. And Mike's impression is Aaron's in denial. Last week when he finally told him, and first of all, Mike only believed it when I told him. Then he tried to angle an invitation to Aaron's wedding. <laughs> so I don't want you to feel bad. Because like, during the penguin sex and during the unfortunate moment in episode 90 <laughs> where Mike displayed you know, his sex ed program, it's not you, it's really us. That was fascinating, yes. I bet it was. Mike has a very unique perspective. Yes. Yes, he does. Yes, he does. We that's try to get him to give his his view of what he thinks is going to happen in effect right at the very beginning. It, it usually generates conversation for the next several episodes in. Yeah. Oh, yeah, we did. Um, have you ever read Naked Quidditch Match by any chance? I've heard a lot about it, but I've not read it. It's a great fic. He thought the main plot line was that Draco wanted to fondle <laughs> Harry. We don't think Draco is actually in the story. He thought that he actually did it and that Harry liked it. Oh, that that was that was it. Okay, well, it's been a while ago. That was in the 30s. Yeah. So I have had people take the premise of Harry and Draco both being in the prefix bathroom at the same time and write some interesting flash fic about it. So I have seen I have seen that as like a, a uh, sort of branching off of psychic surface world. <laughs> on, on the subject, why was Draco staring at Harry's equipment? He's comparing himself to everybody else because he's a cure. He's Draco. It was hysterical because, as you know, we've we've been making big snake jokes all throughout, and it just seems like Draco really missed the opportunity for a good comeback line there. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, you always remember those the things you should have said twenty minutes later. I don't know. Maybe it was L'esprit d'escalade. Right, now, I have to ask a question, because 90% of the people, when we when we put the fix on the podcast, a lot of people weigh in at the beginning, oh, I can't wait to cover that one, oh, I'm never going to read that one. In the case of this fic, you know, sometimes getting podcasters to come on and cover a story is a little difficult, because maybe they don't like it. We had everyone sign up for, for the for the middle fic in the trilogy, and like that, like, they were overflowing <laughs> trying to get in on that thing. I ha- the, the one thing we'll get is, I will never read this story, because Harry and Hermione just doesn't work. I'm like, read the story she doesn't well, think it's it funny when i was in the middle i think of writing the third fic was when i started seeing people posting things on harry Ginny message boards and communities saying oh it's harry Ginny now you can read it now it's like people, like harry Ginny shippers had permission to read the series. <laughs> oh, I, I remember that that was hysterical <laughs> which i thought was pretty funny it's like okay then you know because i don't know i thought that i was making it somewhat clear from the beginning where it was going. And and actually, I thought it was great on your podcast that it was recognized by a lot of the podcasters that Harry Hermione didn't work and was really dysfunctional in the story. Melinda's at the grocery store, and she's talking to people in line. I just want you to know Harry Hermione just doesn't work. Well, I thought that's how I wrote it, actually, that they didn't work. And I thought it came across very clearly that it didn't work. The bikini, was, the bikini yes. was confusing. Come yeah, I have to say, that was my hang-up for six years because <laughs> I thought it would be Harry Hermione, and I do believe the wreck list that I got it off of, which is, I believe, Fiction Alley's pre-Order of the Phoenix list. They have it as under fix that are a class of their own, so never mind. I don't know why I thought it was under the Harry Hermione section. It's not. Never mind. It is the first ship, and when I was reading it, reading about Hermione suntanning, I thought it would be Harry Hermione, and thus I avoided it for six years, and I have learned Mm -hmm. the error of my ways. 
those of us who do not <laughs> limit ourselves to a ship enjoy much more fan fiction. Well, the mm. thing is, for the people who get told, you know, that they're they're on the website that Barb just talked about, and they're and they oh, it's a Harry Ginny fic. Oh, I'll sit down and read it. By I'm doing memory I'm math in my head here. I think it's Christmas break fifth year. They're reading this, going, "This is Harry Ginny." Are you kidding? Well, it's well, obviously yeah. Harry Ginny from the very beginning because the first present he opens on his birthday is right. the Basilisk Scamula. That's even before he gets the picture from Hermione. Well, not the very first present he gets, but it's you get the Basilisk Amulet even before you get to Hermione in the um, the black bikini. So. Well, I'm talking. You know, maybe it's Easter break fifth year. It, it's the very graphic one. I'm like, hmm. I don't think. I think basically what kept me going was the knowledge that Melinda had finished it. Because I'm thinking, <laughs> if Melinda can finish it, now my, my taste is a lot is a lot broader than Melinda's. So I figure if Melinda can finish it, I can finish it. Well, yeah, but you have to remember this was the first fic I ever read. And so I read it before I was a shipper of any kind. It just, as I was reading this, I was like, Harry Hermione? No, that doesn't work at all. And this was the first one that started with the Harry Ginny. And I was like, okay, maybe. And then I read Order of the Phoenix. I was like, oh, she was right. It is going to be Harry and Ginny. Well, I have to tell you, I I have a weak spot for Ron Weasley. Sometimes when Ron just talks, you know, about the weather. I want to reach through the page and just strangle him. Not your story. You know, I read the first one. I read Psychic Serpent. I'm like, you know, Harry, Hermione's not really great. But, you know, it's 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 not bad. You know, you're 15. This is the relationship you're in when you're 15. That's not bad, because usually they're a lot worse. Mm-hmm. And then you get then then we go to the AU world, and it's Harry Jenny, and, and I remember the banners from, from the Quidditch changing room, which Harry could never walk near without blushing for the rest of his life. And uh, I'm, I'm in the bag for Harry Jenny. Then Ron gets involved. And Ron says, down and says, Harry, I, I want you to know, you need to break up with Hermione right now. Now, I'm not saying this for me, Harry. I'm saying this for you. It's all for you, Harry. I'm doing this for you. At that point, you honestly turned me into a Harmonian, because I wanted them to stay together forever, just to spite him. Well, I think a lot of people who were staunch Harmonians before and after that had the same reaction. They really hated Ron for doing that. And part of my intention was actually to start to turn Harry away from Ron because the next thing we were going to do is we were going to see him living in this world where Draco's his best friend, which he said, oh, no, my best friend's going to be Draco Malfoy. And we were going to have Ron had been his kind of nemesis at school for years. And they had always butted heads and they were playing pranks on each other. And so that was really kind of foreshadowing leading into that. I didn't quite mean to make people dislike Ron. <laughs> I think that, I think that was already built in before that. you started. That, that was yeah, already there. seriously, if it's any consolation, well, people, I don't like yeah, Ron, yeah. but it's not because some of Some people Ron. already disliked Ron, so it just kind of fed that, I guess. And I certainly um, dislike Ron for that, seeing that... Harry knew very well that Ron was already interested before that happened. So Harry was kind of the first one that, that did wrong by his best friend. Well, there. then Harry comes back and he's had the whole experience in the other worlds and he, and he's had the Mazel Tov experience with Ruth and Ruth and he comes back <laughs> and he's, and, and he's, he's doing, you know, previously on Harry Potter and the time of good intentions. And you're seeing the flashbacks <laughs> of that year and he's under the invisibility cloak and Ron's like licking on Hermione's earlobe while she's sleeping. And then five minutes later, Harry, we, we didn't do anything that, you, that we should have done. <laughs> nothing I'm wrong. Like, I'm like, you, I'm sorry. You're Ron Weasley date rapist. This is not going well. Like, it, it, like, like, 
Well, but then I love the part where Harry, you know, I, I think I said in the podcast, he, you know, comes outside with, with Hermione and, 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 and Ron in the hallway and he kind of kicks Hermione's tires and gives Ron the keys and says, she's all yours, Ron. And the, the whole thing blows up and Ron's like, Harry, that was completely insensitive. How could you do that to another? <laughs> and then I just love Harry's response. Ron, I bought you some balls. <laughs> like I just I thought that was one of the best fitting scenes in fan fiction. I don't know. Well, I did have fun with that, actually. <laughs> but, well, I think the thing about the real, I guess it's hard to label it this way, the world that was going on when Harry got back and had been going on since September, the version in which he didn't change time. During that whole year, he and Ginny and Ron and Hermione were sort of trying to resist this draw toward each other because they already had these set positions, so to speak where Ginny was with Draco and Harry is with Hermione, but they were feeling this pull in this other direction. And so I think that Harry feeling the pull that he was feeling toward Ginny wasn't feeling so inclined to judge Ron and Hermione harshly. He could identify. So seeing them when he was under his invisibility cloak, I mean, I think he was really torn because on the one hand, yes, you know, technically she's still his girlfriend, but on the other hand, he's also feeling a pull toward Ginny, who's with Draco, and so he's a really torn person at that point. So that's why he's not just sleeping out from under the cloak and saying, aha, aha, look, you two are up to something. Oh, you know? I admit, I'm completely biased. I'm, I'm, ra- I'm raising an army against Ron, and then someone points out, well, you know, Harry's doing the same thing. I'm like, no, no, Harry's stressed. Harry's under a lot of stress. You know, we got to give Harry. Now, I, now the, the last question I have, then I'm going to turn it over to everybody else. I have one word for you. We're going to play a little word game. I'm going I'm to say a word. You're going to tell me the first thing that comes to mind, all right? I see. Okay. Kilts. Wizards in. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas McGonagall is the only person not Scottish. <laughs> It's it's so funny. Actually, earlier today, a friend posted online that she was planning this. She's planning this wedding, and that somebody helping her plan it was recommending a bouncy castle on the lawn where the wedding was going to be, you know, where the reception was going to be held. And okay. she's got a lot of relatives from Scotland who are going to be wearing quilts, and quilt, she just felt like a bouncy castle in quilts. <laughs> <laughs> so I've just been thinking of that the rest of the day and just giggling every time I think of it. I, I didn't put a bouncy castle in the, uh, in the sick, though. That would have been Thank interesting. Goodness. During the final battle and the giants are everywhere and Neville's bouncing on the castle shooting up. That would have been really different, yes. I don't think I've ever I, read that before. And no one's ever read that before. <laughs> and, I have to say, one thing I didn't do is I didn't put the Wizards and Kilts in a bouncy castle. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> we, we, we appreciate that. She did that. not think to that level. That's <laughs> very kind. So I have a question, if I may. On Fictionality, both your fic and Paradigm of Uncertainty by Lori are both listed as being uh, published a day apart in 2001. I don't know if that's a... a a typo or something, but... Oh, actually, I, I did make a note on that, actually. You've got the original posting dates for all mm-hmm. of our fix really off because Fictionality wasn't like created till after we'd been posting on other sites for that a while. That makes sense. And a lot of the initial fix that went up on that site went up in the middle of July 2001. Gotcha. So, as far as I know, Lori started hers sometime in, like, 1999 or something like that. I started posting uh, on fanfic.net in May of 2001, and I'm not really clear on when the Draco trilogy started getting posted. So that's just because that's when the the fictional archive was getting up and running. That's all that that means. 
Well, that we, was... we weren't really. The original posting date is listed on uh, fanfic.net, actually. Okay. It's, it's like late May of 2001. So, well, um, like my, the first my... 12 chapters or something. My actual question was how do you feel about us covering Lori's fic before yours? Are you jealous? Or do you, you want to <laughs> beat up Lori for. Uh, have, are no, you uh, relieved? Really, please. It's on, funny. Please. At one point, somebody speculated that I that I knew Lori, and the funny thing is, Thanks. we actually lived fairly close together, but we've never met in person. I didn't and mean we, to imply that you had. I just yeah. knew that you knew each other. <laughs> well, someone said they they wondered, but, so and we've only really had glancing contact online. So um, I've actually met Cassie and Heidi and, and and a bunch of other folks, but I've never met Lori. So that's all I can say about that. That and you can discuss whatever you want. But I don't, you know. You, you guys decide what order you want to do things in. As I've mentioned, Triangle Prophecy is 436,000 words, and I don't have the word count for the other two fix. I remember I was following when you were posting Triangle Prophecy. i got to ask, how did you manage to post every two weeks? Because your chapters are like 25,000 words each. Those actually weren't every two weeks because they were long and because I was very busy and also, at a certain point, I started posting the prequel. Yeah, Lost Generation. At the same I remember that too. As the as the third part of the trilogy, so I was alternating chapters of the third part with the prequel, and and I I got so many upset people contacting me saying, "Just concentrate on the mainstream trilogy. Don't do the stupid prequel." <laughs> <laughs> so that that upset a few people. So it actually was more like a month between chapters as well, which is part of what sort of stretched out the process of finishing it because I was doing the 20 chapter prequel in between there. So that's going to make it take longer because that was what 31 chapters and the prequel was 20. So that's 51 chapters and that's not exactly going to happen in the blink of an eye. No, it doesn't. I I just remain in awe of the sheer volume that you put out and I feel very inadequate whenever I So do I. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we were joking. You obviously listen to the podcast because our podcasts are like 17 hours long and your fix are, you said, 436,000 words. And I remember you heard this in the podcast. I'm I'm like, Harry has a very unique conversational style. I don't know where I've heard this before. It seems very familiar. I'm like, oh my God, he talks like I think. (laughs) Well, somebody said that Harry talked like George Bush which I found really perplexing because I don't think I've ever heard that man speak in complete sentences. So, At least not complete grammatically so, correct sentences. Yeah, I'm not really clear what, what the similarity is there. you got to listen when he speaks Spanish, then he speaks complete sentences. Oh, is that it? Well, I'm, I'm not conversant in Spanish. Well, Harry just so. cracked me up in this because, like, take, for example, the one where he calls Draco when the, when when he realizes that the neighbor's house has been broken into by wizards. He calls oh. Draco. It's like 4.30 <laughs> in the morning. He's like, Draco, something's happened. Otto the milkman has been taken over by the Death Eaters, and he's been captured by the Death Eaters, and he's been replaced. I don't know where Otto is. I think Otto has a kid in school. I wonder how Who he, is this? I wonder how he puts a kid through school and the milkman's salary. You think the milk's all right? Maybe I should go over and get the I can put the milk in the fridge, and that will hold the milk so then Otto won't lose his job. I'm like, Harry, focus! Who is this, and why are you calling so early? I'm like, that's how I think that... Or he's like, I must... He's like walking out of his house. He's like, I must tell Draco about the obedience charm. I must tell Draco about the obedience charm. It will change Draco's life forever. It's the most awful news I've ever developed. Ooh, tent! Tent! into the park. It's, it's how my brain works. I'm like, like, the ultimate question here, Barb, is does Harry have ADHD? <laughs> 
And if so, I'm screwed. I, I don't think that I consciously had him behave in that way. As in, I was trying to say, oh, you're supposed to figure it out from this. He's got ADHD. If he comes off that way, I don't know what to say about that. There's times when he distracts himself, yes. Harry seems to get distracted by shiny objects. (laughs) Well, did you ever see the film Up? There's a a point in it at which a dog is constantly distracted whenever he sees a squirrel. (laughs) He just turns and says, squirrel, and he's just sitting there staring at the squirrel for a minute. And Mm -hmm. so that's a little bit like Harry. Harry, (laughs) Does that make Ryan a dog? No, well, it makes me a dog with ADHD, (laughs) but seriously, once we diagnosed Harry, the fix just made so much more sense. (laughs) <laughs> well, I, the reason I wanted to put the fic on the podcast was, number one, like Death Row said, it's really long. So you get to see literally every moment in these characters' lives for three years. Except and, certain important plot information. Yes, Harry edits himself. Harry puts in self-spoiler space. He's like, and I looked up at the Death Eater, who is a professor who I cannot mention his name right now in third-person dialogue. But the, the thing I, which I really loved about the story is there's just some ideas in it and there's some plot devices in it which are just so... F- they're so unique and they're just so funny that I just like I don't even know if they were meant to be funny, but I I love the fact that Harry just takes Remus through the wo- the, the Forbidden Forest and he's just been in Ron and his life is over and it's the most tr- second most traumatic thing to ever happen to him. And if you walk far enough, you'll come across like a fifties diner on the other side. Of the Forbidden Forest. It's, it's like, like a, an English pub, not a but well, close enough. I mean, I, yeah, but it's like if if you walk far enough, you will find food. I love that. I'm no in the podcast if you've listened to prior ones I will listen to fan fiction while I'm driving and if a scene amuses me sufficiently I will crash my car I was driving um, and it was the part (laughs) where Ginny uh, comes back to the castle and discovers she's not 17 yet (laughs) and she's like what do you mean I'm not 17 was it 16 or 17 Uh, 16 whatever it is she discovers because her birthday was was modified by 3 or 4 days a week later or something. Yeah, her birthday is off. She goes to Dumbledore's office, and Dumbledore's like, I will consult the manual. And he gets up, and he walks over, and it's like the tallest spire in the school, and he waves his wand, and the giant book comes falling. And Harry looked up at Dumbledore and realized that book is going to hit him in the head and kill him. And all I can think of is, what that would be the best way to kill off Dumbledore. I would never have read fan fiction if he is killed by the school. Rocks fall, Dumbledore dies. I I didn't do that, no. I think it would have been the best fan fiction ever had, because no one else would have done that. Of course, that's what everybody was saying would happen to the seventh book. Rocks fall, everyone dies. Mm-hmm. Well, then years later, we'd be doing this podcast, and we'd be like, I, that's such a cliche, Dumbledore getting killed by a falling book. I mean, I wonder if Barb was the first person to come up with that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. It's funny. I had a few notes, actually, that I made on some of the podcasts, other than it being Gemma Longbottom, not the Gemma Longbottom. Somebody was wondering why Dumbledore in this universe turned down the minister job to teach. That was me and... Yeah, and I always thought it was because he could do more for a force for good this way, and I think... But the Dumbledore and Toby felt the same way, kind of good intentions, that working behind the scenes was a more effective way to hold things together, to run the underground movement. And I don't think he could have become minister at a time when Voldemort's followers were in full power, actually, because those were people like Umbridge who were sympathetic to the pure-blood agenda and were more willing to bend the rules to grasp power and keep power. While I don't believe Dumbledore would have been willing to stoop to that level in order to attain a level of power for himself, which would have been necessary, I think, at a time when he wasn't being asked to take the minister's position, was probably actually having to run 
for the offense against an opponent who was playing dirty. Uh, the dirty players were more likely to win in this kind of situation. So, I don't know. That was my philosophy anyway before we found out the Dumbledore backstory in Deathly Hallows. Fair enough. Well, you know, I was speculating at that point because we only had the first four books. And so... I had to kind of come up, okay, what might be the answer to why Dumbledore really isn't the minister? And so I had to kind of extrapolate from what we knew from the first four books. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in some ways close, in some ways off, because I can't really read J.K. Rowling's mind. No, nobody can, but... You, you and know, Melinda I don't think- over here came pretty close, though, because we're sitting here and we're talking about this. We're like, did she predict this, too? Yeah, well, you no- had a prophecy before there was a prophecy, didn't you? Yeah. Well, yeah, I did. Listen to her over here. Well, yeah, I I mean, a prophecy, but it's not that bad. I don't think I was the only one to think that there would be a prophecy, though, because I think in any story where you've got, like, a little baby who's being targeted by a big, powerful person that nobody else can beat, um... Why else would this person go after a baby if he didn't get told by somebody, oh, well, this kid grows up, he's going to be a problem for you? And I guess so, the scene was planted in Prisoner of Azkaban, just like the the parcel tongue was planted in an earlier book, and you used that later. So I guess you took the prophecy as given in the third book and thought that the theme would be coming up later. Well, in the third book, Harry hears a prophecy from Trelawney, which almost immediately comes true, exactly as she says it's going to, although Harry doesn't understand it at that point because he thinks that Sirius is the servant of the Dark Lord. He doesn't know about Peter yet. So he obviously interprets it in a different way at the moment he hears it during his divination final. But it does play out pretty much exactly as she says that very night. But even so, you killed Fred. So did J.K. Rowling. Well, there you go. You see, you got one. How does it feel? Take a bow. Well, you know what's funny, actually, is I think the weirdest moment for me was on one year. I can't remember what it was now. But this was 2006. And on August 22nd, I got an email from someone saying, you have to go on J.K. Rowling's website and see whose birthday it is today. Uh, I was wondering why on earth I have to do that. So I went to the, the website, which I check maybe once a month at most, but I'm not constantly on there. And the person whose birthday was on August 22nd was Percy Weasley. And my jaw hit the floor because <laughs> two years earlier, I had posted a chapter of Lo- The Lost Generation in which Percy was born on August 22nd, 1976. Wow. And I got it to the day, and I just, I don't think I've ever gotten anything quite so exactly as Percy's birthday, because there's 365 days to choose from, you know? Well, no, you Um, got a lot, I mean, nothing that exact that we caught, but you got a lot of stuff, Uh, why am I blank, Death Row, you just listened to a bunch of these. You guessed one? George and Angelina. George and Angelina, Hmm? which, that was a little bit out there. I mean, you're not going to, George and Angelina was big. What else? A lot Um, of people thought George and Angelina was very weird. Fred and Angelina was canon. What was I thinking, right? uh So, Mm -hmm. yeah. You almost got it right that there was a birthday for the Weasleys on April 1st. Yeah. It was soon after, I think, that I finished Psychic Serpent that she told us that their birthday was April 1st. We only heard that it was some time in April in the fourth book because they weren't old enough to be in the tournament yet because they were only 16 in uh, September and October of that year. So all we knew was that they were turning 17 sometime in the next April. Um, She didn't pin it as April 1st yet at that point. And I was not trolling websites and reading interviews at the time I started writing this, so I didn't know 
that she had already said that Hermione's birthday was September 19th and not the 9th. I only knew from canon that it was sometime in September because she got her cat. It was paid for by her parents as an early birthday present when she was shopping in Diagon Alley. And we didn't, in canon, have Ron's birthday at all at that point. So I took some liberty with that kind of thing. And took his to. birthday in, mm-hmm. in the middle of May because... It served my plot because, okay, I needed to have Ron's birthday in May because we're getting ready to celebrate Ron's birthday, and then we have the big climax, the big crisis at the end of the story. And so that, you know, and the funny thing I thought about the seventh book, though, when he had his near-miss being poisoned after love potion on his 17th birthday, is, oh, when it comes into the story, it's because there's a big crisis. (laughs) And I just... Thought so that was that was pretty funny that she did it that way too. So whenever I've come across those things, it always kind of pleases me because you do a little dance. Uh, admit it, you yeah. do a little I dance. Do a little dance. Oh, I yeah. Well, yeah. We were joking with Melinda because Melinda wrote the Seventh Horcrux, which was the alternate uh, Deathly Hallow story. And there's a line in the Seventh Horcrux that I'm paraphrasing here, but it's pretty much your Horcrux, Harry, the one that Voldemort never intended to make. Whatever it was, it was the exact line of dialogue. And we're all re- we all just read the Seventh wow. Horcrux, and then we're reading we're reading Melinda's story, and we're looking up, and we're like. Oh my God! J.K. Rowling is a plagiarist because obviously Melinda wrote this. <laughs> but it's like, but it's, I don't believe he says in the canon. Doesn't he say you are the seventh Horcrux? Yeah, it's the exact. It's the exact line. Dialogue. I don't How remember could, if that's, but he definitely does say the one he didn't intend to make. Whatever line it was, it was. But I'm just looking at your story, and you had, you know, granted, you know, order came out, you know, and and more fix were more fix, more books were coming out as you were writing it, but like like George and Angelina, like little little thing, like we joke about the fact that there was actually no opera house in Hogsmeade and they don't wear kilts but you also nailed well there some actually other- wasn't an opera house I called it the town hall and they used it for okay thank god thank god because I was they picturing used it for the, the yeah. they used it for the opera it, it was a multi-purpose building <laughs> It's where they had their apparition training. That's where they had the Order of Merlin Award. So it, it served a lot of purposes. Now, let me ask you this. I'm just curious. Now, obviously, as you're writing this, Order of the Phoenix comes out, and you get more canon as you go into this. Like, if you could have, like, we always ask authors this, like, what would you have changed, or what do you wish you could have used, or what are you glad that you didn't have to use? Like, what what are your thoughts on your story now, looking back at it? You know, years later. And... Hmm. Well, I think I have to think about that because stuff that we got in the fifth book was we we saw we found out how the ministry really worked. I kind of made up my own really weird version of the ministry that had to do with abandoned tube stations being magically linked. <laughs> Although one thing I was pleased about was finding out that it was in fact underground because I was reading some other stories where the ministry was some kind of grand edifice in Diagon Alley. If you walked far enough, you'd find this huge marble building or something. And I just thought, okay, I'm, I'm going to put it underground. And then she put it underground. So I thought, okay, that's cool that she did that. And I put like a magical window in Arthur Weasley's office. And then she had magical windows underground in her ministry. J.K. Rowling is a plagiarist. You see what I'm saying? <laughs> I died when I read that. That was just hysterical to me. Well, you'll be amused by this. Um, it, it, it took us a while to record all these podcasts. So I got like married somewhere in the middle or before or wherever. 
and I went to right. London on my honeymoon, and, and my friend Jen, one of our hosts, told me, take a lot of pictures on your honeymoon, you'll want them later. So I misunderstood the directions, and I took a picture like every 12 feet of the entire honeymoon. <laughs> and we were actually, we were right near Parliament, and I saw the Westminster Tube Station, and I grabbed my wife's hand, I'm like, come on, right. we gotta get a picture. She's like, what happened? I'm like, this is where Voldemort attacked a tube full of muggles. And I went over and grabbed the picture, because we were just reading that part of the stuff. Like, this is well, so cool. Well, I think that if I had known about the Horcruxes, that would have been a really useful piece of information, because like I was saying, I mean, I thought the way she tied together the last two books with the wholeness versus splintering theme was really masterfully done, and it's so important, I think, to the overall theme of the series that that, I think that's something that I would have wanted to know if I could have, because it's just super important, and we didn't find that out to the sixth book. Although you got the great scene, no. though, with the candy. You know, just he keep eating candy. Keep eating that candy. And, like, he comes out at the end, he looks like Al Lipschitz, so ordering the, the, all the Death Eaters around. I, like, you, you couldn't have that in canon. Come on. <laughs> I had some fun with using a playful thing. I, I think that's actually something where I, I tried to be true to the kind of thing she was doing throughout the earlier books, which is we didn't find out officially till the seventh book that things that Voldemort disdained are, you know, children and children's stories. And, you know, the fairy tales are something that Scrimger allows Hermione to keep because it looks like it's just a frivolous little book of children's stories. Nothing important could possibly be in a book of children's stories, right? Which I think is also a kind of funny commentary that J.K. Rowling has slipped in there about people's attitudes toward her books, which are <laughs> ostensibly for children, right? So I, we're, not, we're not officially told to the last book that this is an attitude of Voldemort, that he disdains and disregards toys and games and things for children in addition to disdaining love and this kind of thing. And so I thought it would just be the most poetic kind of justice to bring the guy down with candy because it's just emblematic of children and childhood and the kinds of things that this sort of person would look down on and think were beneath his notice like a baby. But of course he could kill this baby. Why would they be able to kill this baby? But he couldn't. And of course he couldn't because he was protected by love of something else that Voldemort, you know, has absolutely no appreciation or respect for. So I felt that I was trying to be within the general spirit of the series, even lacking the information that I did in the last three books. I want to jump onto your response there. You talk about the sacrifice and, oh, I can kill this baby, that's no problem. In the final battle, Draco Malfoy sacrifices himself for Ginny, and then Voldemort tries to AK Ginny again. What the hell was he thinking? Because he obviously hasn't learned any lessons from being well, I, I think set. that we see that in Canada, too. This guy is not a, a real lesson learner, in spite of the fact that he was head boy and a prefect and all that all that stuff and so smart in school. It's just um, people sacrificing themselves is, is something he thinks is stupid. Why would you do that? That's a dumb thing to do, Voldemort would think. So it's not something that's on his radar. And so, yeah, my, my objection to it comes from his monologue at the end of Goblet of Fire, where he basically spells out the sacrifice that, sh- that Lily made was old magic, and I should have counted that. I should have thought about it, but I didn't. Well, I think he associated that with a, with a mother's protective instinct. I, the old magic that a mother's love can wrap around someone protectively. And I think that that's carried through when Dumbledore explains to Harry 
that it's because of his aunt's blood relationship with his mother that he experiences the same protection at the um, the house in Surrey. And so I think that Voldemort also would probably associate that kind of thing with mother's love and with mother's relationships, and he would know that that's why Harry is untouchable when he's in Surrey, and he wouldn't necessarily associate it with anybody sacrificing themselves out of love for anybody else because his mind doesn't go there. Yeah, I think even to even knowing how he died the first time, quote unquote, he's still so cocky. You know, when, when he you know remarks, oh, Harry, so cocky. He's, yeah. he's like, oh yeah, that thing with your mother—that was bad staff work. You know, that that was just a, that was a typographical <laughs> error. You know, we're not going to let that happen again. Even though he knows exactly what happened, he's still going to do exactly the same thing again because that's never going to happen. What are the odds that would happen twice? Come on. But I even like the way because I remember the first time I read it, you have you know Harry attempts to get himself killed, so then you know, Ginny will be protected and. and Voldemort's like, I know what you're planning, blah, blah, blah. I was so focusing on Harry, I wasn't even thinking about Draco. And, you know, throughout the story... Throughout the and neither story, was Voldemort, because he thought he was on his side. Well, it makes me a little concerned I'm as dumb as Voldemort, but but hear me out. You know, so, so like, even like... You have the, one hour. You have Ryan one monologues, hour. Voldemort monologue. I have one of those. Phones. Yes, uh, and I love candy. I love candy. But, um... <laughs> It's, but it's like when you watch it, like it completely distracted me because then you're picturing, you know, Draco quote unquote loves Jimmy, but he'll also sleep around. So it's like, you know, does he have, you know, the the, the stuff to do it? And apparently he does because Jenny saved and you know has a scar. And I just thought it was really well done. And I know Melinda will never bring herself to you know, thinking that Draco Malfoy is worth it. But the way we always judge these stories is, you know, okay, the, the story begins at the beginning of fifth year. And by the end of seventh year, Harry is going to the gods to save the life of Draco Malfoy. That's a that's a big journey between A and B. And, and it is a big journey. Right. I mean, I originally saw that happening, but I knew that I had to set it up way in advance. I couldn't just go there in the blink of an eye. So I knew that's where I was going with this from the start. And... And it wasn't always an easy trip to get there because I still had to make Draco believably Draco and be not really a nice person all the time. Or even the majority of the time. Or even the majority <laughs> of the time. I'm picturing him at Dunkirk right now as we're all talking. <laughs> well, they got along well, didn't they? When he met Dunkirk, when uh, Petunia came to Hogwarts, they actually got along. He was he was playing with the dog, remember? Thank God the castle got wrecked because they would still be trying to renovate the great from the, the entrance hall from when that damn dog. <laughs> oh, there was one of one of the notes I had here. Well, there, I had a few other notes, but one was somebody kept saying that Roger's cousin was singing Rogers and Hammerstein, and it was yes. Gilbert and Sullivan. It was Gilbert yeah. and Sullivan. We, we corrected that so, on the discussion yeah, thread. Was- I, I corrected that. Yes, Aaron corrected we, that. I corrected that. <laughs> I corrected that. So I was yeah. noticing I, I, that. I'm with you on I that mean, one, Barb. Yeah, I, I think was, it was me who did that, actually. <laughs> no, okay. I, that brings up a point. Now, usually I found that authors will, you know, even before Order of the Phoenix came out, they will find some way to make Cho Chang into a bitch going forward. You turned her into an Animagus Death Eater who will claw your <laughs> neck out. <laughs> you have strong feelings on the subject. No, not only oh. is she a Death Eater bitch, she is the most boring 
date and the worst <laughs> kisser in the world. Did you have an agenda, Barb? I think when it came to Cho Chang, I just never really saw her as someone that was going to end up being Harry's true love. Let's put it that way. Uh, the girl he immediately noticed and got a crush on in a third year Quidditch match, who then kind of distracted him during the match when he was playing against her by pointing out death, uh, um, dementors who weren't really dementors. Just It all just voted ill to me. And so, yeah, I kind of took her character and ran with it. <laughs> and that was and written had... before even the rest of us all developed a dislike for Cho and after <laughs> Order of the Phoenix. <laughs> That was the, a lot of that was before Order of the Phoenix because I, I'm trying to remember now. Let's see, that came out in 2003, and I was still writing the last fic at that time, but not much longer. I was pretty far into it at that point. I'm just thinking here. I would love to see Cho Chang in in her with her talons go up against Fleur when she's pissed. Ooh. <laughs> It would be quite a cage match. <laughs> I was going to say cage match. I'm like, maybe I should have <laughs> I was thinking cage match for a moment there. There like, you go. I, yeah, I just, I'm thinking to the entire story now, you cram so much in that story. We have Ron as a werewolf. We have Dumbledore being blind, and he's got, like, the, you know, the eyes that always twinkle. We've got some plot reasons for that now. I love the fact that, I'm repeating some stuff from the podcast, but I just love the fact that, you know, all the ores are trapped at Azkaban, and we're just going to leave them there. Budget cuts. We can't go out. There's, yeah, there's a lot of uh, little subplots, especially, I think, in the last book. There's there's the whole thing with them going to the, the Quidditch yep. tryouts in the, in the European Cup. There's, uh, of course, the Azkaban rescue. And the, uh, the broom race at the Dragon the broom Reservation. Race dragons, yep. right. I did misread that. I thought that, I thought that was a PETA incident. I thought they were very upset over the loss of the dragons. <laughs> Turns out not so much. Oh, no, I I didn't want to upset Peter. No, <laughs> don't upset Peter. You know why? It's not worth it. You're just never going to get off their mailing list and just don't upset. <laughs> so I I can basically summarize Aaron's point. The general consensus seemed to be that there was just too much going on, especially in the last story. There were three really big plot arcs. There was the missing Weasley sisters, there was Harry and Ginny's angst, and there was the mucking with muggle government. And I was of the opinion that any one of these plots would make a great main plot. How do you respond to the criticism that there's too much story here, and also to the criticism that there are too many OCs to keep track of? Well, I've actually never had anyone tell me there were too many OCs to keep track of. But, um, <laughs> but at a certain point, though, yeah, when, when you start spinning plot lines out and they're going a particular place, you have to choose, I guess, between either – and, and you're posting something as you're writing it. You're not writing the whole thing, then editing it, then posting it because it's a very different process. At a certain point, you have to sort of choose between, am I going to let this play out? the way it seems like it has to if it's going to play out completely or am I just going to drop that plot line and then have some people scream you dropped this plot line you never went anywhere with it so you know I had to kind of choose between those two options at a certain point and if I dropped a plot line I'm not remembering what it was but I'm sure somebody will tell me you know it would have been great a scene where because because I can be a very dim person when I try and understand a situation I would love Harry to have been sitting there going okay explain to me the thing about your sister Ron, one more time. All right. This is <laughs> and what happened? Like, I just think it's fun. Well, no, the one thing I did laugh at was there was a chapter where uh, I think you ended on the words, you know, Magnolia Crescent. You ended with an address, and it was the address that was used earlier. Appleby Magnum. Magnum. Well, the address. 
Yeah. In where Maggie lived. Yeah. Right. And I'm like, can someone remind me? Because that sounds familiar, but I don't remember where that was. <laughs> and I feel like I'm the only one. Maybe it was important. There's definitely a ton going on in the story. There's, there, there's so many different plots and there's so many different characters. And... Like, my thing was, like, on some level, is it information overload? Yes. But on some level, it's this completely insular world where literally there, there's never a down moment because so much stuff is happening at once. And some of the stuff you can laugh at right. in retrospect. But some of the stuff you look at, and you'll be like, okay, that was five years before it actually happened. She got that right. And you have an opinion on everything. There's parts where I think Ron <laughs> is the most annoying person in the world. But the fact that I want to reach through the page and strangle him is a good thing because it means he's probably being – well, if I want to strangle him, he's very well written. But you have an opinion on all of it. And I, I like the fact that the story ends with Harry saving the life of of his enemy and sacrificing to save the life of his enemy. Then you'll have a moment where Harry in, the, in his other life will be sitting down with, with McGonagall and he'll be like, you can't apparate at Hogwarts. How do you know that? It's in Hogwarts of History. You've read it? Yes. Thumping Goodread. And, <laughs> and you get over the fact that you've had – no idea what the hell Harry's been talking about for the last 20 minutes because that's a real and you know what when I think of this story like years later after I read it and I just reread it again I picture Harry in the Great Hall in the other life with I believe it was either the Bloody Baron or Nearly Headless Nick mouthing fix this and he you know he had to find Hermione Granger I picture Hermione with like a nose ring and (laughs) I picture that I picture that whole thing going on I picture was it Justin Finch Fletchley where Harry thinks he's gay and he's not and he's like ooh that yep. was tacky. Yeah. You know, like, I picture them you know, at uh, 5,000 feet. Alicia and the horses, Draco breaking his hip, falling from 35,000 feet. I picture Ruth and the word Mazel Tov repeating 5,000 times. And that's one, <laughs> that's one story. So I'll say this. I will never forget this story years from now because there's so much in it. At least half of it will stick with me. So mm-hmm. I had some people tell me that they very vividly picture Harry walking into the Seder with a beard looking like Elijah. Oh, <laughs> That has stayed with me. And they left the door open for Elijah, and here comes Harry. And Bubby starts screaming, ah! <laughs> I do have a friend, actually, who's Jewish, and said that something like that did happen one year at a Seder where they had their door open, they had the extra place set at the table, and then somebody just walked in the door who looked like they could have just walked out of the Old Testament, and everybody kind of freaked out. Oh, my goodness. So I thought that would be a really hilarious thing to happen at a theater. Oh, it was hysterical. Well, the thing I love is that you wrote so... Like, I just was um, listening today to the part at the end where Harry is... Um, I, I, I can't remember her name, but he's talking to, quote-unquote, the god about bringing Draco back. And the first thing I had in my mind was, is that your view of religion, that whatever you think is going to happen is what actually will happen? And it's, I just thought that was a fascinating part of the story. Well, the, funny, the funny thing is, I've encountered that now written into more than one novel. The most recent example I can think of is I can remember it being mentioned in one of Terry Pratchett's Discworld books. I've recently been reading a few of those that I haven't read. And, of course, there's so many of those you could spend your whole lifetime reading through all of them. And I thought that that was really interesting. I know I've come across a similar concept presented by someone else in fiction. And I thought it was funny that at one point someone linked me to a discussion on, I think it was a Harry Hermione forum somewhere, I can't remember where, where somebody was extremely offended by this. It's like, oh, how, how could she think of it like that? And I kind of thought, well, it's like, have, have you died? Do you know what actually 
<laughs> have you been there? Can you give us a report? Because I think that, you know, as long as we're in this life, we're pretty much all speculating. And well, the thing I think that you taught us yeah. is if you if you go to the other side to bring back a loved one, or are layers. We're many layers. Mm-hmm. Well, right. I mean, Draco comes back and he can remember the other life. Which I really liked. That was great. Like, I think that was yeah. so good. I thought that that would be consistent with the ghosts' experiences. Mm-hmm. You know, because yeah. they knew about both universes. And if Draco died... This occurs to me just now. It, it raises a question. Does Professor Binns in the alternate universe have the memories of being a ghost? Uh, Once he dies, not when he's alive. Not when he's not alive. Not when he's a living person. Okay. Not when he's a living person. So it doesn't go the right. other way. Right. I just uh, love you that... Don't, you don't have that knowledge until you cross over. Let's put it that way. Or until you, know you cross that line between the living and the dead. I wish um, we could film this thing because I would love to film the scene where Benz is teaching and Harry just slowly opens the notebook. I know. <laughs> <laughs> like stuff like that, I think is so cool. That particular plot point where the ghost can tell what had happened in the alternate universe, that was a stroke of genius, if I may say. So that was just the way it was tied up at the end with Draco really brought the whole thing around to the starting point of the previous one when, as Ryan says, when the Bloody Baron comes up and fix this, fix this. I tried to picture a scenario in which that didn't happen, okay? I tried to picture a scenario in which Draco sacrificed himself, Ginny lived, Voldemort is vulnerable and gone, and Harry didn't save Draco. And I had already written Harry repeating James's line to Lily, but saying it to Ginny, if he died, you would have been sad. And I knew I just couldn't leave it there. I knew that Harry had to step up. That's who Harry is. Can I just so, say that that line right there has stuck with me over many, many, many years. It's very powerful. Yeah, it was a great line with the James and Lily scene there. I really enjoyed it, too. And I, I enjoyed doing that, too, because I was kind of out there for a while. I remember on the old Harry Potter for Grown Ups group, there were some people that were so adamantly objecting to the idea of anything ever occurring in any way between Lily and Snape. Unrequited, you name it. The idea that Snape motivations had anything to do with feelings he might have had for Lily were anathema to a lot of people. And so I was considered kind of fringe at the time for even suggesting that on the group, let alone uh, enmeshing that kind of a theory in a fan book. And I have to say, actually, something you know that go into fanfics at, at an early stage like that before we have the last three books in the series, it almost a way of sort of theorizing in fictional form and sort of fleshing things out and saying, well, maybe if it went like this, you could see how this theory doesn't seem quite so crazy. (laughs) So that was something that was definitely in my mind when I was thinking of that. And it's funny, somebody was wondering in the podcast at one point how Nate could have heard James saying that to Lily, but they were both in the hospital wing at the same time. And that's why we know, because it's Snape's conceived memories that Harry is seeing. So we oh, wouldn't right. know that if, if Snape hadn't witnessed it. Because I did this thing that J.K. Rowling didn't. I was kind of confused why she didn't because I'm not sure I feel that that completely worked. But I did this thing with the conceived thing where when Snape didn't know what people were saying, when Harry was on the opposite side of the Great Hall, they were just, it just sounded like gibberish to him. Because he would just kind of go blah, 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 sitting at their <laughs> tables in the Great Hall. Because Snape didn't really know what they were saying. He was sitting clear on the other side. He was in his own milieu. He could maybe hear what people were saying about an eight-foot diameter round him or something like that. But he didn't know what people were saying over at the Gryffindor table. And so it sounded like gibberish to Harry when he was over there. So I thought that that was a little peculiar. I was kind of confused by that, I have to have to say. Well, I was just going to say, I love the fact that when Harry shifts over to to his other life for the first time, he's, I believe, he's taller. And then when the whole thing <laughs> ends, you realize he has a Scottish brogue this whole time, which... He didn't even notice. 
No, but, he, yeah, he, when I was a wee, I'm like, oh god, he's Scottish. <laughs> right. Well, he he didn't get starved and kept under the in a cupboard under the stairs. He was given proper nutrition and allowed to get some sunlight. So he had a different upbringing. Well, I'm trying to picture Dan Radcliffe having a film this. <laughs> He's like, just stand up taller. Give, give, give him lifts. Give him lift shoes. <laughs> Platform shoes. Well, the joke was in the first few chapters. He gets the haircut. He starts running during the day. I'm like, turning him into Dan Radcliffe for the start of year five. She totally predicted this would happen, that he would cut his hair shorter. Well, the funny thing was, yeah, he didn't look anything like that when he was like a little kid and making the first movie. I think that the trailer for the first movie was coming out when I was planning the fic. I wasn't really paying attention to the movie stuff at that point. I mean, I saw some cute pictures of little Danny and little, little Rupert and little uh, Emma, and it's like, okay, that's nice. They don't really look like how I pictured the characters, but that's how movies go. I kind of ignored that and was doing my writing, and now they've got Dan Radcliffe with a, a very short haircut that is weirdly similar to uh, how I, what I pictured as like serpent. Actually, I'm I'm a little. It's a little different than I expected them to do in the movies because that's not what she did in the canon books. Oh come on! You can picture Dan and Emma filming the garden scene where she's sunbit. You can picture the entire thing. I can picture it. Just that first <laughs> couple chapters. After that, not so much. Well, I just I'll just close. I I just want to say like when I I will always remember this fic because I. Like, We'll just all, I'll always remember just so many different plot points happening at once, and so many of them were just so either original then or they're original now. Like Ron is a werewolf. I feel like we've gone so many different places with these characters because they've they've, they've gone on road trips and they've gone to weddings and they've gone to Quidditch matches and they've gone to you know Sirius's castle. They've gone to so many places. I feel like I've just like traveled around the solar system with them a little bit. <laughs> so it, it, it's it, like you said, it's you know you started at the beginning of year five with you know Harry moving some rocks and you end with him sacrificing his you know sight or magic or both for for Draco Malfoy and there's there's really a long journey across there and you end up at you know in pubs in the middle of, of the Forbidden Forest and you end up in a lot of different places across the, and, and there's killed so, like you know what would have been really cool if in the first chapter of Psychic Serpent Harry like bumped his head like he, he was moving a rock and he bumped his head and he flashed forward I'm wearing a kilt why am I wearing a kilt and he just saw him <laughs> I, I mean you would never believe it but it actually it holds together and it, it's it's such a great story so i just want to definitely say that and i'm sure i'll think of many great little moments that i think <laughs> only the, only the story could provide like i'm picturing otto, otto the milkman I'm like maybe i'll take i'm picturing harry taking over his route because he doesn't want otto to lose his job i don't know <laughs> it's, 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 it's just the, no other fan fiction has gone where, where, where you had gone in some direction Probably not, yeah. Um, that's, that's, I don't know what that says I, about me. <laughs> are you writing anything now, Barb? You you made a comment earlier about how it was different writing fan fiction because you posted it at the time rather than finishing something. Right. So have you written something original? Oh, yeah, yeah. I've been actually querying agents, and um, and I'm actually in the planning stages right now because so you're never supposed to write a sequel to something while you're trying to get someone to buy it. And I'm actually in the planning stages right now for a completely different story from the one that I'm um, trying to shop around. And although it did kind of originally start, it's funny, it originally started as a way for me to turn 
the fic I did after Psychic Serpent, which um, which was replay, into something that could be my own universe. And instead, the funny thing is I've, I've created this other universe and I'm, I'm doing my world building research right now, but I'm actually kind of in the plot coming back to some things that I did in the trilogy rather than replay. And although I have the privilege of picking and choosing fewer things to include since I want to to make it much tighter and and have an arc that still it hangs together very well. So I'm in the planning stages for that right now while I'm shopping around the completed manuscript. Right. Mm, cool. Excellent. Well, I think you definitely have like five readers you know, right here, so definitely let us know. <laughs> <laughs> or should we just keep Googling Go- Golden Griffin Animagus? Perhaps that you carry. <laughs> well, I'm not going to use the word Animagus because I feel like that's a J.K. Rowling thing. But I, I'm fairly certain I made up the Golden Griffin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Griffin Door, Golden Griffin, and I'm sitting here reading this. I'm like, that seems perfectly reasonable. <laughs> mm-hmm. I kind of thought it was pretty reasonable, too. And uh, I that's part of why I decided to send Harry and Ginny on their honeymoon to Venice. Now I'm getting crickets, right? Before we the crickets. I'm just laughing with Philadelphia earlier. Well, you know, she mentioned, I think, just Salem in the uh, the canon books, although there's uh, some stuff about Quad Pod, the American alternative to Quidditch being played in America. Not actually and, uh, mentioned in the text of the canon, only in Quidditch you know, that's through, the through the ages. Right. So I have read Fantastic Beasts, I have read Quidditch Through the Ages, mm-hmm. and it's funny, I just today followed a link on a whim, somebody was linking to a, a Harry Jimmy fic that had to do with her playing professional Quidditch, and they got wrong that thing about how they don't substitute during the game, and I just felt like, ah, you didn't read Quidditch Through the Ages! <laughs> <laughs> Funny, somebody also mentioned at some point um, about how I probably had like these charts on the wall for the prefect patrol yes, schedule. Me, look me in the eye. And I have to say, it. I did work out the whole prefect schedule on just that OCD. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I'm the same oh, way, Barb. Good company here, because Barb. Yeah. I'm just too afraid of Flint's not to do that kind of thing. So I knew if I didn't work out the whole schedule, I'd have a Flint come up about something that happened there that couldn't happen because of just, you know, unless someone had a time turner or something. Mm-hmm. So Ezreal solved the Flint Flint. He went home to take care of his sick grandmother and had to repeat the year. Family uh-huh. emergency. Okay. You have to admit you love your universe when you not only make up the, the, the schedules for everyone, but then you allow them to have time off and to, and to trade <laughs> with a friend. Well, I, I absolutely understand the need for organization. I've got a dozen Excel spreadsheets with everything that I need to know about my story. So I can only imagine the sort of thing Barb had to do. Part of my world-building exercise right now is I've got these tremendous family trees I've concocted for the characters. <laughs> I've got them like going back to 1900 or 1896 or something, and I've written the history of this culture going back to the mid-19th century. I'm, I'm kind of pathetic, but I guess I'm my working goodness. Well, I guess then it, it makes sense that you would know who has the 7.30 to midnight shift, if you yeah. really stop to think about it. That's not well, that, that you, you mentioned the family histories. This brings up a, 
line I had on the podcast. I thought it was hysterical in the context of Order of the Phoenix that Harry spends the whole vacation discussing wizarding genealogy with Sirius's mother. That slayed me. <laughs> Sirius's mother is a wonderful, wholesome woman. Can I get you something to drink, dear? I'm like, ooh, did I get that one right? Did not get that one. <laughs> no, no, I did not come up with uh, the portrait of Mrs. Black's screaming about pure bloods and mud bloods and all that sort of thing and generally being an annoying person in two dimensions anyway. Mm. And uh right. So it's funny. That I think is one of the most jarring things to read in old fix is reading like Sirius's parents being nice people. <laughs> Someone mentions Mrs. Black to Harry at school and he just looks down, smiles and shakes his head. She's such a lovely woman. Like it's just <laughs> <laughs> Because you forget. Right, right. Well, I made his older, one of his older sisters kind of not a nice person, but nowhere on the on the level of the uh, the canon Mrs. Black. She's in a class by herself. I'm sorry, I'm picturing Sirius right now in dog form when Harry comes to the door. Excuse me, can I borrow the dog for a minute? Harkening back to something we talked about earlier about just the sheer number of plot elements, I have to ask this, and please don't take it disrespectfully. Why did you keep introducing new plot elements even in the epilogue? And I'm speaking specifically about Natalie McDonald being Bill Weasley's illegitimate dog. In that case, it, well, it was kind of a small thing, so I didn't feel that it was like a huge thing. But deal. part of deal. that does play into, I was writing the prequel at the same time, and it does play uh-huh. into stuff that was going on in the prequel. It resolves actually a plot line from the prequel. So in a way, it's introduced in that at that point in the Triangle Prophecy, but in another way, it was introduced much earlier in of Lost Generation. <laughs> Right. award for the longest unresolved plot line ever. I mean, there's like over a million <laughs> words between The Lost Generation and The End of Triangle. <laughs> well, that's why it's a prequel. It sets uh, up some things that get resolved finally at the end of the third fic. Well, and then, it's, it's good know. that we're catching those little things because when we read The Coven of Echoes by H. Whimsy, it's a fic called The Coven of Echoes, and one of our hosts pulled me aside after we read it and said, I have a question. What are The Coven of Echoes? Because I wasn't following <laughs> the plot. So sometimes you need to talk to us like we're bored. So there's a, there's a few things that happen in in the prequel. You see the intact Weasley family before the sisters disappear, and you see Bill and Charlie's guilt after that happens, and they feel responsible. So there's a lot of stuff that goes on in the prequel that's mentioned in the trilogy, but fleshed out in the prequel. So I'm trying to remember precisely, but I think I was spending so much time actually answering questions about the backstory on my Yahoo group that I finally just said, do you people just want me to write a prequel with all this stuff in it? Because I had the whole backstory thing, and people just kept asking, what about this, what about that, why did this happen, why does that happen? I said, well, back when the Marauders were in school, blah, 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 because I had all this in my head that, that this was the backstory for, for some of these things. And finally I just decided, well, why don't I just put it in story form? Would that be more interesting for you to read? And I was like, oh yeah, write a prequel. And then I got all the complaints about writing the prequel because it's slowed down the so you can't please everybody, obviously. Yeah. Well, one thing I just love about the story so much is that it's it's the, it's the theme of possibility. Once Snape knows there was the possibility he could have been a great dad, he can become that person because he knows it's possible. Once Draco, you know, or from Harry's perspective, once he knows that Draco can be a good person, then he's still his best friend. So I, I just love the different 
angles that you took on that. I, I'm, I keep coming back to my final thoughts. I've been trying to articulate this <laughs> Like I just, I that was one of the things that I thought was really great about the story. I, that, Do you have anything you want to else you want to ask? I've got um, one. The whole thing with the teenage romance and you know, Jake, Drake goes in love with Jenny. Jenny might like Harry, but Harry's with Hermione, and Hermione might like Ron, but Ron, Harry, and Hermione together. All the, the cheap tricks on all the all of the just the the turbulent relationship drama that takes place throughout these three books is this something that you experienced yourself and and decided to write about or is this something that you just imagined out of nowhere i guess is what i'm asking um, i don't know if anyone's experienced that <laughs> i would have to say a little from column a a little from column b <laughs> when it came to originally trying to think of what direction things might go in after goblet of fire i had the concept that okay voldemort might try to manipulate harry his emotions try to manipulate him through threatening somebody that harry had an attachment to and and, the, and that's why in the plot you've got him trying to influence a whole bunch of different teenage girls who might turn out to be Harry's girlfriend with the idea that one of them might stick. You know, it's like you're throwing the pasta at the wall, some of it might stick, you know, because Voldemort was planning to, to try to use that to, to get to Harry. And, and what actually particularly pleased me about Order of the Phoenix is that that's pretty much what Voldemort did, except he did it with Sirius. He convinced Harry that Sirius was in danger at the Ministry in order to manipulate Harry and get him to do what he wanted him to do. And it worked, because Harry showed up at the Ministry because <laughs> he wanted to go rescue Sirius. So I was really very pleased, actually, when I read that. I was like, oh, okay, you know, different person. Same idea, though. You're wondering why everyone loves Harry so much, and you just figured there was this great hair. But as it turns out, it was more behind the whole thing. Right. So Harry had this superficial idea about why the girls might be interested in was actually much more insidious than that. Yeah. <laughs> because it was the great dark lore being the matchmaker. But well, your, your, your Voldemort was just so much better at some points than, than canon Voldemort because he's actually like, he has good staffers. Like, he's actually recruiting the best <laughs> and the brightest. Whereas, Vol- whereas Voldemort in canon has like the stupidest people in the world working for him. Well, you, you do have to wonder sometimes about that. What I was thinking at part two was I felt like she couldn't really actually make him as ruthless as like a, a mob boss in the real world. This is this wasn't going to be a magical version of the Godfather, right? I mean, she had an audience that was rather young on average, although obviously a lot of adult readers. And she wasn't going to go there. You know, Voldemort wasn't going to walk around the table with the baseball bat and then bash someone's head in. So which I think it was actually a different mob movie, but yeah. <laughs> well, I think that was the untouchables. But the same idea. I mean I I figured she wasn't going to go there, but what if you could write a story where Voldemort went there, where he was as ruthless as possible because it wasn't necessarily a story for children. And I knew that she couldn't do that because that wasn't what she had set out to create. And I respect that, you know, that and I yeah. think it's wonderful that she has this story that appeals to people at so many different ages on so many levels. So that wasn't where she was ever going to go with someone who was quite that level of ruthlessness. But I had the what if in the back of my mind, oh, what if Voldemort could be just that ruthless? And so that's the kind of villain I had in my mind where uh, the stakes were perhaps, you know, a little bit higher because there was the, the possibility that he would behave much more um, evilly, really, than someone who could fit into a book that you could sell to a 9 to 12-year-old. Well, so he's so much smarter, and he, he's trying to, you know, he's <laughs> he's making sure Harry's so exhausted that Harry will agree to anything, and he's trying to, like, you know... It be, 
he's like the creepy old man who, you know, part of the expression, want some candy? Come with me. We got to do something. We're going to save your mom now. Well, and then, then Dumbledore is screaming, screaming, I'm Harry. How could you do it? I'm like, I didn't sleep for six weeks and they said they could bring my mother back. I thought about it. You leave me alone. <laughs> well, well, be fair. Voldemort is not exactly 100% the smartest guy. He's recruiting blatantly, openly, sending black parchment envelopes delivered by Raven to people in the Great Hall at dinner. He's trying to recruit Percy as well, although Percy obviously wasn't at school still. But he was daring, and he wanted... He, he didn't necessarily want to sneak around and be afraid. At the same time, he didn't want to be, you know, just walking into the ministry and say, Hi, I'm taking over now. So, you know, he sort of walked that line. And, you know, in hiding, but sending out these recruitment letters, which, you know, I, I also kind of looked at as an opportunity for humor. Which character do you regard as being most like yourself? That's hard to say. I mean, you know, whenever you write something, elements of yourself go into this, that character and go into another character. Possibly root, you know, little little bits and pieces, I would say. And although A.U. Hermione, there's there's little bits and pieces, too. Awesome. Do you play the cello? So, uh, no, but I, I am a um, professional singer. <laughs> uh, <laughs> do you have the nose ring, too? No nose nope. ring, no. no. You know, in addition to Landscaper Harry, is it possible that you founded the Gryffindor track team? Has that actually occurred in a lot of other This is a joke we have yeah. as Dumbledore is in his really? office with his cup of tea in the morning and he hears out the window da, 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 and he looks and they're all running across the lake. He's like, do we have a track team? Like, what the hell? You also must have created Hermione goes through a change over the summer. Greek goddess I was doing this so long ago now, you know, it was about eight years ago in January that I started planning the fic because I was planning it, let me see, from January of 2001 to April of 2001, and I started writing it, and then I started posting the first chapters of it in late May. So that's a while ago now, and I guess there's been a lot of trickle-down since then to other fics. I've seen Landscaper Harry everywhere. But I was also actually, yeah, really pleased when I read the fifth book and they had DA because mm, yeah. Yeah, I, I felt like that was a little similar to the Dueling Club. I'm like, oh, okay, that's cool that she did that. Ha <laughs> ha. I did another one of my dads. plagiarist. She's up to it again. Oh, uh, I know there were some people that would actually write to me and suggest that. I said, no, I really honestly don't think she's paying any attention yeah, to me not. whatsoever. <laughs> I would be really shocked and amazed if she knew I existed. Well, if Mike were here now, I know he would be asking you if the entire dueling club, you know, from its first year should be invalidated because of the fact that Neville was on steroids or whatever he was on there. But that was... I know. It's a big scandal. It was an awful Very scandal. big scandal. We think Tiger Woods is bad. Like, that was the scandal. <laughs> scandal. No, no, no. Whoever those guys were who on steroids in the Major League Baseball. Yes, that's probably more apt. Right. Oh, Neville, more, that's, Neville that's would more, probably yeah. prefer it was more like the Tiger Woods scandal, but it was probably closer to that one. Uh, well, he right. sort of so, has that going on with yeah. the Ginny and Hermione thing, which, go Neville, rock on. And he was doing very well with um, Parvati until, of course, um, not so much in the end. The other thing is, Mike was also convinced that the reason there was a, d- a difference in Ginny's personality 
personality in in the other life was, of course, due to the lack of the fall of the Soviet Union. He thought that really impacted. <laughs> oh, oh, oh! And nothing to do with her not having written of a diary. Yes, well, right. th- there was that as well. But I, th- I, I think it was Gorbachev that threw her over the top. But the one thing I just do want to say is, you have to love the fact that in your world, if you want to avoid the draft, you go to America, go to America, United States, <laughs> and if you go to Canada, you you'll get shot. Get shot. You just blew the stereotype. I'm like, Hermione got shot in Canada, and people are like running to America to escape war. I'm like, wow. This is either dated or this is a different universe. (laughs) I enjoy irony. What can I say? That's great. Serious question. Like PS, I am a sucker for AUs. Where was the AU going? Before year six. Where was the AU going before if, year six? If Harry from your version of year five had never made that whole deal and gone time traveling, where would the alternate universe year six have ended up? Oh, you mean if he didn't fix the time lock? No, I or mean he never went in the if first he place. never went in the first place. He, he means if it was just a straight up what if and not uh, him coming from an alternate universe. It was just straight what if uh, Voldemort didn't kill Lily for no reason and Harry has no memories of that and Voldemort has no memories of that, right? So what if that had been the way it happened the first time? Is that what you mean? Rather than Harry having this other yeah, life. What would have happened in that it? universe had things not been shaken up by the, the, the quote unquote real Harry and entering the body of that universe's Harry. Yeah, we've had a lot of discussions oh. about string theory. And <laughs> we hope you plan that out, because we know you have books. So we well, can- the question is, did they even exist? I mean, this is... <laughs> well, the way, I, the way I think about it, um, cause as, as much as I'm OCD, there's some things I, I, I didn't plan out. The way I think about the alternate universe is it existed from October 31st, 1981 to the day in May when Harry fixed the timelines and not before then and not after then. And whereas the universe he returns to technically has existed continuously because of the Harry that went back in time and prevented himself from altering the timeline, the events of the night that his parents were killed. And that Harry carried carried on and got on the train and went to school and went to sixth year and, you know, we get a few of the flashback things that, that tell us some of the, the events of that year. And then he gets the, the brain dump in May when the timelines are fixed and suddenly he has the memories of two lives in his head. So basically the other universe existed for this slice of time, mm-hmm. but not before then. All the same events had led up to that night that led up to right. the universe in which Harry like existed, where universe. he grew up in Surrey. But it ends as soon as Harry leaves. So Hermione doesn't drive home in her car and Snape isn't still waiting in France or wherever he is, that universe. Right, because sense. once he changed the time again, that universe actually kind of winked out of existence. Okay, fair enough. Ceases to exist, that makes sense. Mike would get awesome. put out on behalf of all the people that cease to exist. Oh, Mike was very upset over those poor people that winked out of his... Prince Harry and his lover are spiting Harry Potter until the end of time. I also saw that episode of Star Trek where Picard lived for years and has married and had kids on the other planet yeah. and everything. Mm-hmm. So, so I, I've seen all that stuff. We're going to do a Star Trek podcast after this one if you want to hold on. I'm, I'm down. Yeah, very good, very good. Well, that makes sense, too, because why That's bother fine. switching the universe back if it's going to exist anyway? And then they would yeah. just wonder what happened to Harry. Yeah, where the hell Harry go? What the hell was Well, no, because Harry went back in time to fix it, so that AU would carry on as normal. I'm talking dramatic-wise. Harry would end up being initiated as a Death Eater. He would have committed cannibalism. He would have gone on 
in in that role that had been established for him. He committed cannibalism. He would have the night he stole. Well, he prevented that. Yeah, he prevented that when he was initiated. Oh, that's right. That's okay. I'm sorry. I thought I was picturing like a different plot point. Like I thought like they ran out of food when they were like I. I, I'm like, wasn't so they? Oh, that was the thing you got. You got Hermione's traveling sack of horrors. You got like the bread and water sack. You got that. Oh yeah. No, I didn't give Hermione Mary Poppins bag in this way. Right, right. But I thought it was hilarious in the seventh book actually that that Hermione was traveling around with Mary Poppins bag. <laughs> everything was, was in there. I still think it was great that Hermione in the AU universe was just so cheap. Like I just thought that was his <laughs> Like come on, she's Dra- a billionaire. Well, actually, but she can't. Draco <laughs> I mean, some people were saying that she was wealthy or something, but I I know a lot of working musicians actually because the, the work that I do is is freelance chamber music. It's like it's it's not something you ever go into for the money. Let me guarantee you that. And I know cellists and violinists and people who play harp accord and and they're they're hanging on by the skin of their teeth frankly <laughs> it's not nearly as glamorous as you'd think and not as lucrative so Hermione's a little bit tight with a pound well did you intend with Hermione too I'm not sure if it was just maybe like as the story progressed or maybe if it was your initial idea or if I just badly misread the thing but when you meet Hermione she's like you're picturing this like goth person you know like the complete antithesis of Hermione and by the end at you know she, she's this famous person and she's off to America and she lives on her own and she's emancipated from her parents also and then by the end of the story like she she's more or less the Hermione that we know and Harry's like I thought you wore a nose ring now I wear a nose ring that you could get infected well there's a public persona and there's a private persona the funny thing is I remember one time years ago I guess I was in my early 20s and <laughs> getting the Wayback Machine and I was at my uh, my voice teacher's house getting ready to have a lesson and she had this music magazine on her coffee table that had a photograph of this up and coming violinist who was dressed kind of goth and punk and had her violin and her ripfish nets stockings on and the, and the story was all about how this this girl was kind of remaking the image of classical music and that that image kind of stuck with me only I turned her into a cellist <laughs> That I thought, well, that isn't necessarily who that person is in private. It might be, it might not be. And I just thought, well, Hermione would be a very savvy person in marketing herself. She would figure out what would get people's attention, what would seem different, and go with something that would, you know, be effective. Wouldn't necessarily affect who she was inside, though. I just thought it was great that over the course of the the book, you're at the end, you're like, okay, it's really the same Hermione. It's not actually the person that we thought that she was. Right. I I tried to keep the core of Hermione fairly consistent. Yeah, I thought that was cool because it wasn't what you expected when you started to read it. Uh, Well, Hermione would still have 11 years of relatively the same upbringing. Right. Well, right. She grew up with the same parents. She didn't drop a cello as she did when she went to Hogwarts in, you know, the second strip. First, obviously, J.K. Rowling didn't write Hermione to play the cello. So you have that, that point of divergence a little bit after the point when she doesn't get a Hogwarts letter because they're not taking the muggle-born students at Hogwarts anymore. So mm-hmm. something else had to have happened in her life other than her just plodding off to, you know, the local comprehensive high school, I felt. So. Can I just say that the ban on Muggleborns is a brilliant plot device and I'm using something very similar? <laughs> 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 
Oh, that was another thing, actually, I had to say, that maybe do a little dancing in the seventh box. The Muggleborns weren't allowed to go to Hogwarts anymore because Voldemort's people were in charge, though. So I, th- I think there's a lot of reasons why I really enjoyed the sixth and seventh books. It's like, I've got pages marked. Oh, I called that. Oh, I called that. <laughs> so that was a lot of fun. But, you know, I think what was even more fun, though, was the things that I didn't call, though, because that was those were all surprises. I don't just want to read a book to, to find things that I thought I knew. Well, thank you so much for sitting down and chatting with us tonight, and thank you for writing the entire... I know you didn't do it for us, but it helped. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, I think you've heard it here. I mean, half the people here are like, thank you so much, you changed my life, and... and It was definitely a story that none of us will ever forget because there's so much good in it and so much hysterical stuff in it and so much great emotional stuff in it that we'll just never forget it. Well, I have to say, probably the, the... greatest thank you I ever got actually was this last summer I got an email from this guy on the Yahoo group who had been the captain of the uh, Harry Katie ship back when I was writing the third fic and it turned out that at one point he needed um, someone to data read a fic for him so he got in touch with someone who was on the he knew from being on the Harry Hermione ship on the Yahoo group and she data read his fic for him and they became friends online and and Andrew was actually emailing me this last summer because to tell me that they had just gotten married. Aww. And I just, like, I couldn't believe it. It's like, oh, my God, he was thanking me for making it possible. And I just, that, that is probably the, the coolest thing anyone ever told me in connection with Life 6, that because of this, they met the person that they're spending their lives with. Isn't that, like, freak, so. like well, I've joked with Melinda, we've had people... Um, you know, who have met on her mailing list, who have met on the on the forum of the podcast I create. It's like you think you sit down to do this little thing that will help you because maybe you'll enjoy writing it or you'll enjoy creating. Oh, something. I know, yeah. And all of a sudden, like kids are born. Yeah. It is mind blowing. I have to say that. <laughs> yeah, to think about like all the yeah, effect you you've had. Yeah. yeah, it was a while ago. Now I think it was coming up on my son's birthday, so I was looking for the Harry Potter stuff. Um, it was right before Whoa. Deathly Hallows was coming out. And I was on one side of a Harry Potter display, and there was a bunch of teenagers on the other side. And I just happened to overhear bits of the conversation they were having, and they were talking about fan fiction. And then I realized they were talking about my fan fiction. (laughs) So it was just, it was just surreal. It was like, no way. (laughs) I had, I one time was sitting in a class, in a college class and these girls in front of me were talking about stealing Harry and half of me wanted to jump up and be like we'll be covering that in a few weeks <laughs> well no we had a ho- we had Rena one of our hosts was at a wedding and she was I think she was like doing the usher thing at the wedding believe it or not and she ran into a couple friends who came to the wedding and they were they were they mentioned Harry Potter he's like oh yeah I think I've read them but it's like your other life you don't talk about this yeah. or <laughs> and, and they're like, right. oh, we, we, we just we found this podcast called Potterfic Weekly where they talk about all these, and they, they didn't realize that their friend was the host on it. So it, it, <laughs> it, it's like weird how you have like the the different lives and the different faces. But yeah, like anytime yeah, you, have- it's just yeah. When people contact me about things like that, it's just really mind blowing. And I think one other time somebody told me that they used. Percy's vows that he said to Katie on the ship for their wedding. <laughs> if you can believe it. Because <laughs> they loved what Percy said. It's like, oh, 
okay. So I sort of wrote their <laughs> wedding vows without ever meeting these people. It was really, that was probably one of the stranger things. So that that was interesting, too. Then you must be thinking, I hope I proofread it enough. I yeah. mean, this is really a big deal now. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you you got to hope that something didn't slip in there by accident, that, that it was a goof or, yeah. <laughs> pound sign in the middle of it or something. I promise I will always pound sign. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's everything. Anyone else have anything Okay. We talked about me. Star Trek and... <laughs> oh, this is... We haven't even scratched the surface. You gotta come, want... When you watch Galactic, you've got to come back and podcast with us again. Potterfickforum.com, okay. all one word. When you watch the miniseries of Galactica PS, we'll have a couple questions for you. There you go. I'll have to really uh, start dropping the broad hints to my family that that's the thing on my list they really need to pay attention to. E- email me your <laughs> husband's cell phone number and I'll take care of the whole thing. Or better yet, just say it on the podcast. All right, we'll let you go because we're sure you have work in like five hours. Sorry about that. Okay. <laughs> that's no ran, problem. Ran over. All yes. right. All right, we'll talk to you soon. Take care, Barbara. Okay, you too. Good Good night, night. everybody. Bye. So hold on to the wonder that those books brought to our lives. Keep each other safe. Keep faith. Good night.